Friday, July the 8th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We've got a fun one for you as I'm going to start to try to do a little bit more video with uh, the interviews that we do. So when we interview guests here, I'm going to try to record those and then post them also on social media. So if you're on Twitter or Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, you should be able to uh, watch those videos if you'd like. Some of them will be on camera. If they're not interviews I can do on camera, then what I'll do is I'll either pull up a logo, maybe I can pull up the past performances, some sort of a website that kind of is relevant to whatever the uh, the topic is. Hope everyone's having a, a nice week as we get set for another big weekend. So on this episode, we'll uh, dish out a couple of plays for Friday Golfstream, then some really fun interviews. We touch base with John Dooley, track announcer from Horseshoe, Indianapolis. We preview the Indiana Oaks, the Indiana Derby. We talk with John about uh, some of the the memories from Arlington and fairgrounds and some cool moments in a discussion with John Dooley. Then we get into Belmont. There are four graded stakes races on the card, and Caleb from On the Wrong Lead helps us out diving into the Saturday Belmont graded stakes races. So we hit races four, seven, eight, and nine. Then we'll get into Prairie Meadows. It's the Iowa Festival of Racing. Mary Rampolini from Daily Racing Form joins me to talk all about the Prairie Meadows Saturday stakes. So we get into races 6, 7, 8, and 9 from Prairie Meadows. Then I'll talk about the Delaware stakes. It's another really good card at Delaware. I'm going to hit Louisiana Downs full card. Then I'll get into an interview with Louisiana Downs leading trainer Shane Wilson. This was a ton of fun. You'll get to learn a lot about him, about his operation, how he came to become a trainer, and what things have been like for him as he's continued to gain major success uh, over the last few years. We close it out with this week in wrestling. Chad Cooper joins us to talk about everything that went down in WWE last week with Money in the Bank. And we hit Monday Night Raw. Then we dive into NXT, recapping Great American Bash. And then we get to AEW, everything going on in the world of AEW with Dynamite and uh, positives and negatives there. On a loaded episode of That's What G Said that is presented by BetterThan.Vegas at BTV Bets. Make sure to give them a follow right now on Twitter. Free live streams each and every day. Heck, on Friday, we have a Woodbine mega stream Friday mornings, noon Eastern, where we preview the early pick five from Woodbine, and then we dive into the early pick five from Mohawk for later that evening. Uh, We're starting to preview NFL team by team in each division. We just uh, ticked off the AFC East which you'll also get a preview from me coming up here uh, on the next episode with Eric. So Better Than Vegas is the place to be. I'm hosting shows over there for them all the time. Free content, free live streams, handicappers, gamblers from all around the world just trying to help you become a better better. Everything's free over at BTV. Let's dive on in to this episode. We'll start right off the bat with the horse racing portion. Kick back and enjoy. We've got a lot of racing talk. Couple plays for Friday Golfstream. Then we'll get into Saturday, Indy, Belmont, Prairie Meadows, Delaware, Louisiana Downs, bunch of different guests. Uh, interview with trainer Shane Wilson, and we close it out with this week in wrestling. <music>
horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Don't forget about that Friday morning live stream this weekend in Stable Duel. Every Friday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. It's myself, Barry Spears, the sniper, and Matt DeSantis. Uh, We go through our best bets for Friday and for Saturday in the Stable Duel contest, and we dish out a bunch of price plays it's the no chalk zone. We're not giving you anything that's like under five to one. Rarely, even you know, maybe there'll be a four to one or nine to two shot here, but nothing under that. As uh, Stable Duel has a fun schedule this weekend, 
just to mention some of the big games that they have going on this weekend. On Friday, Delaware, Laurel, Monmouth, Gulfstream, Prairie Meadows, and they have a free ride at Prairie Meadows. Then on Saturday, you've got Indiana Derby Day game, Delaware Dash, Prairie Meadows, Iowa Derby Day game, and Ellis Park also has a game. Sunday, you've got Monmouth, Prairie, Laurel, Gulfstream, and Monday, Parks, Colonial, Monday Night Lights at Assiniboia Downs. They also have a free ride there. Free games Friday, Saturday, and Monday. Get your entries in and play, race, win. Let's dish out a couple plays for Friday for Gulfstream Park. If you're looking for some Friday action, just wanted to give you a few that I was looking at. So we're at Gulfstream Park, and we're going to take a look at races 3 and 7 over at Gulfstream. So in the third race, I'm going to go to the outside with the number 8, Papa Diamante. This is a three-year-old filly who's going to come into a new barn for the first time. Uh, this barn is four for their last six with new acquisitions, or four for their last 16 with new acquisitions. This is a filly that is dropping in class again. She's dropped from maiden 40s to maiden 25s, now hits the maiden 12-5 level. The blinkers come on. She got some action last time out. She's speed, and she's drawn well. It really just looks like the rail horse as the other major speed in here. If she can get an alert beginning and just sit off, the rail runner, I think she'll have a big say in this race when they turn for home. Papa Diamante, the number eight in race number three, who is eight to one on the morning line. If we can get anything around five, we'll make a win wager there. I'm going to flip to race number seven, and we're going to look at the number six in here. I believe in magic. Three-year-old filly was a debut winner, came back and was a runner-up against first level allowance company going a mile and 70 on the synthetic. Then tried the dirt last time out, and it wasn't a bad effort. She was close up, but she was a little bit wide and in between horses. They lined up six across the racetrack, and they were all bunched up. And she loomed up nicely, tired late, really wasn't bad. Returns the, to the synthetic, and I think she'll sit well from the outside. Six to one on the morning line there. Anything around five will make a win wager. Wouldn't want to take too much shorter than that, but around that price, she's a play. I believe in magic. In race number seven. So that's Friday over at Gulfstream Park. And uh, we'll turn the page on over to Saturday. And as we hit Saturday, we are going to bring on track announcer John Dooley from Horseshoe Indianapolis. He's going to help us talk about the Indiana Oaks and the Indiana Derby. So kick back and enjoy this conversation with track announcer John Dooley. It's a big weekend coming up over at Horseshoe Indianapolis. There's the Indiana Derby. We have the Indiana Oaks and I believe eight stakes races on a 12 race program. It is a fantastic day. So we had to get the voice of Horseshoe (laughs) Indianapolis to join us. A man that I'm sure many of you have heard many, many times through the years at fairgrounds at Arlington. Now over at uh, Horseshoe Indianapolis, John Dooley joins me to talk about the, uh, the big Saturday. John, thanks so much for taking a few minutes out. How are you doing? You know, doing great, you know, uh, Indiana Derby Week 2022, and uh, we have no racing on Friday, but really looking forward to the uh, big card. You noted, uh, you know, a dozen races, eight stake races, including uh, <laughs> the Grade 3 Indiana Derby and Indiana Oaks. Really looking forward to the big day here in Indiana on Saturday. So tell us a little bit about how it's been for you making the move over to Indiana. You've had a, a, a couple months over there now calling the races, and I'd imagine for you, it was probably some mixed emotions, right? As as one 
big part of your life finished up. Uh, you spent 20 plus years at Arlington. It was a, a new opportunity that opened up. So uh, probably a whole lot of emotions going on over the last year or so for you. Yeah, it's been a real roller coaster, you know, and also we wrapped up the season. It was a tremendous meet. I've been down at uh, Fairgrounds, of course, in the World yeah. Fairgrounds Racecourse and slots there since the 2004 season. So, you know, after Epper Center, you know, wins the Louisiana Derby and uh, heads to Kentucky, you know, under the Twin Spires for the first Saturday of May as, you know, the uh, Kentucky Derby favorite. And, of course, uh, we all know the result with uh, Sonny Leone and Rich Strike uh, pulling off the upset of Epicenter. But all the emotion of wrapping up a great race meet at the fairgrounds yeah. and then starting a new one. So much history. Fairgrounds, 150, 150 seasons for fairgrounds, racecourse and slots. And here at Horseshoe Indianapolis, they're celebrating their 20th anniversary season but I got here in April of course uh, having lived up in Chicago you noted 22 seasons at Arlington Park so I've been a resident of Arlington Heights and you know trying to settle down here in downtown Indianapolis I enjoy the city it's a great city great people it's uh, you know they love their sports here too uh, I always love a good sports town and having uh, been uh, fortunate to have uh, been born and raised in New York spent time in uh, Cleveland they love their you know of course you have uh uh, you know, the baseball team there in Cleveland, I don't know what they're called now, the Guardians. Yeah, I think the Guardians, the right? Yeah, yeah. Chief Wahoo and the Tribe, you know, back in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Major League, right? We're thinking yeah. of Wild Thing. Yeah. Exactly, you know, <laughs> and, the, and the Browns and, and you know, the – you know, just everything with Cleveland and then spending time down in Texas, of course, you know, between the Dallas Stars and the Mavericks and, uh, you know, you can't forget the Dallas Cowboys and then 22 seasons up in Chicago, of course, with, the you know, the Cubs, White Sox, you know, the Southsiders and, uh, you know, the Blackhawks, they won. They were, you know, so great through the 2000s, Coach Grenville oh, yeah. and, you know, the Blackhawks. So they'd often bring the Stanley Cup out to Arlington. And then I come to this city. And uh, they do have the Indianapolis Indians, a triple A, you know, baseball team that's right here in downtown. They host big crowds, really great looking victory field, nice little ballpark. But it took some getting used to. And then uh, the staff at Horseshoe Indianapolis, they were, you know, so welcoming Caesars Entertainment and, um, you know, with open arms uh, as, you know, kind of an adopted uh, Hoosier and, uh, you know, starting here <laughs> in mid-April. And now, yeah, time is just flying by. Now we're already into July. And here comes, you know, the Indiana Derby on Saturday, the big day of the meet here. So it's been you know, wow, since the start of the year, it's just been nonstop. But, uh, you know, I love the work, love thoroughbred racing. And, uh, you know, let's go for Saturday. Yeah, it's <laughs> been like some a couple really good years for you. I was just thinking about a lot of the horses at fairgrounds that you've called that have gone on to really good success in triple crown races. That has been the real place where, you know, we've seen major horses prep moving forward, thinking about the Arlington Millions through the years and all the big horses. I mean, you have gotten to call some of the all-time greats and probably interact with some of the, the greatest trainers and jockeys and the best owners throughout the, uh, throughout all of the years. What a, what a seat you've had to so much of it, right? Yeah. I mean, you think back, I mean, to, you know, Richard Mandela and uh, the likes of some of those horses that have won the Arlington million uh, over the years. And now, uh, you know, I think back to the, you know, late great hall of famer, Bobby Frankel. And now of course, you know, Chad Brown, as, uh, you know, Bobby was his mentor. And now look at the success that Chad Brown, when you talk about turf yeah. racing, you know, Chad Brown's name comes, uh, you know, right to the top of the, you know, the list. And uh, those all those great horses that race with us, uh, you know, at Arlington Park 
world-class facility, world-class turf course. But again, changing times, you know, it's, you know, we're in 2022 and Arlington was around for a long time. And obviously here, you know, the 20th anniversary season of Horseshoe Indianapolis, the casino opened 24 seven. So, you know, you get that, you know, uh, harmony, that relationship between gaming and horse racing uh, that we all know about. I mean, I'm a hundred percent horse racing person, not so much the slots, but even the, you know, fairgrounds race course and slots. So, you know, it makes the money for, you know, Churchill Downs Incorporated and, you know, things change. But I, I was so fortunate to be there 22 seasons, a lot of great memories. And, of course, the pizza man comes to mind for Giroux. Yeah. You know, that was really part of his rise. I mean, a lot of people right. on a national level did not know for Giroux. And, um, you know, he wins, uh, you know, a lot of races, including uh, the Stars and Stripes with the pizza man, takes out that, you know, great Arlington Million uh, for the Illinois Breds. And, uh, you know, Florent is going to be riding here on Saturday and uh, look forward to seeing him ride a horse that I really like, Best Actor. Yeah, and I believe uh, I just read that he's going to be um, headed Del out Mar. to Del Mar for the summer <laughs> because you know what? It's smart. He he sort of looked at the lay of the land and Flavian Pratt, who was top dog mm-hmm. out here for so long, he's moved his tack. There are a lot of really live mounts for a meet that has bigger field sizes than some of the other meets in Southern California. It's a great call for him. Mm-hmm. And um, I imagine he will do very, very well over here. The times that he has come out, he's done very, very well. So um well, well, we'll have to get you back on a show where you and I can go through history because we can <laughs> talk about hours of all the great the tin, man, the tin man. You can just keep going all the Europeans. <laughs> wow, like and, and just picking your brain about all of them would be so much fun. But we have uh, the future to talk about and yeah. some really good races coming up this weekend. It's one of the biggest days of the meet, maybe the biggest at Horseshoe Indianapolis with the Indiana Derby and the fantastic supporting undercard of stakes races and no shortage of big name barns. When the money is up, big barns are going to show up. There's $200,000 up for grabs and grade three status in the Indiana Oaks, 300,000 up for grabs and grade three status in the Indiana Derby. And we've got uh, Brad Cox, Ken McPeak, uh, Brendan Walsh, Tom Amos, um, you know, Keith DeSormo, Possibly, I, I think they may run at Prairie Meadows with Candy with Candy Ride and Candy Raid with what I was looking, but just the who's who of big barns shipping in for these big races. It feels like a fantastic day from top to bottom, and a day where you get some of the local horses get a chance to maybe step right. up and and running in tougher spots, and then you get the big barns and some of the really big names. A perfect uh, little little snapshot into everything that is Horseshoe Indianapolis this weekend. No, that's a great point. You know, you know, we have a couple of local horses. New Year's Fever comes to mind, a horse trained by Brandy Steele and also a really talented horse by the name of Moens. And we yeah. saw that in one of our state bred races here. He's an Indiana bred. And uh, when they were finishing up, John Cork came in town to ride uh, here. Uh, it was the uh, Hoosier sophomore stakes. And at the end of the call, I said, you know, some Lauer power. And Mike Lauer, he's so tough <laughs> in those state bred stake races. But, you know, he's entered to take on open company in the Indiana Derby. But, you know, past winners, you go down the list and, you know, Brett Calhoun, Mr. Wireless is also on the undercard here yeah. on Saturday. Uh, you know, Doug O'Neill, Mike, you know, Michael McCarthy, uh, Brad Cox, uh, having won back in the you know 2020 shared sense with Fulmon Giroux, no stranger to the winter circle here at Horseshoe Indianapolis. So as you mentioned, you know, in the timing, you know, here the rigors of the triple crown. Of course, I was a big epicenter fan going into the Kentucky Derby, Preakness Stakes, and after the Belmont, you know, Steve Asmussen, you know, regrouping the three-year-olds, you know, they're heading up to Saratoga. You mentioned Del Mar, you know, during the summer meet. And, uh, you know, I think the, the the calendar fits for some of these up-and-coming three-year-olds that yep. are maybe trying to make a name, you know, for themselves 
Kenny McPeak mentioned, yes, he's he's wheeling, rattling, and roll back really quick. And of course, you mentioned Arlington. I think the American Derby, you know, for me, the American Derby meant turf, you know, yeah. in Chicago. But this year was run on the dirt at the Churchill Downs, and it proved a you know a winning formula for Brian Hernandez Jr. and Kenny McPeak with rattle and roll. But of course, you know, wheeled right back into action. But uh, he mentioned to uh, Jenny Reese, uh, this horse has been training lights out. He's been training very well. You know, we'll let the horse tell us, you know, what you know where he wants to go. And it's that time of the year, you know, why not take a shot, see what you have, you know, get against, you know, this, you know, grade three group on Saturday. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, see what you have. But uh, I'm also, like I said, I'm intrigued a little bit by best actor, you know, an up and coming horse. And when you talk about connections, you know, to me, Brad Cox and Florent Angerou, they certainly know how to win on the big day here, uh, you know, in Shelbyville, Indiana. Uh, before the uh, Indiana Derby comes that Indiana Oaks and um, we'll have interstate daydream for brad cox in flurry racing stable and this is a very very nice philly john she won the black eyed susan and if you look into her five race career overall she's done so little wrong one of her defeats came in the adirondack in her second start when she lost to a philly named wicked halo who's just continued to win races we saw wicked halo win again last weekend and another one of her defeats came in the grade one ashland on a wet track when she ran into a very, very nice Philly named nest that we've mm-hmm. seen go on and perform very, very well. So you really can't knock much of what she's done. She's going to be the horse to beat. feels like no doubt in the, uh, in the Oaks. And uh, you'd have a tr- you'd have the best winner circle photo ever if part ownership of my racehorse with yep. 63 caliber, who uh, you know has actually been running you know uh, bang up races here for Tom Amos, who's only 10 wins away from 4,000 career wins. It would be a real yeah. big win for Tom Amos, my racehorse, and all the owners of 63 caliber, who's you know run well over the track. I also have my eye on Patna. I remember yeah. watching her down at the fairgrounds when she was on debut and behind of uh, Bell Rebel, and I remember that uh, Philly winning the opener on Louisiana Derby Day because, of course, it started off a massive day uh, at the fairgrounds on Louisiana Derby Day for Joel Rosario with Steve Asmussen. They won the opener with Bell Rebel. And then, of course, you know, later in the day, Epicenter taking out the MillionDollarTwinspires.com Louisiana Derby. And I think she's a really, you know, talented Judmon homebred. You have uh, Marcelino Pedroza Jr., who's just been winning races in bunches here. He's got about 36-plus wins here this season as a three-time riding champion in Horseshoe Indianapolis. He knows his way around this oval, and he's on a really talented Judmon homebred that continues to develop and looks like uh, she's going in the right direction talking about Patna. Yeah, those two that you mentioned, too. Patna, they're both progressing nicely because Mm -hmm. in racing, everything isn't linear, right? It's not a plus B equals C and immediately every horse just can be uh, undefeated and win every single race. Sometimes it's progression. It's finding out this horse wants to go a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be behind horses. They do want to be on the front. Maybe we have to make a little equipment change some sort here and there, but whatever it is, um, these are horses that we see a lot of times at this point of the year, like you said, in these derby, like the middle tier, the middle of the summer derbies, we get to see, some horses that maybe weren't quite as precocious as others to get into the triple crown, but they are good horses and progressing. And those two kind of feel like horses that fit the Oaks in the Derby series really well. 63 caliber who has noticeably improved since she stretched out, right? She stretched out went a little bit longer and just looked like a completely different horse. She was always one that they were high on because she got bet in her debut at Fairgrounds. Yeah, I, rem- I remember that. Yeah, she was well back that day on debut. She is. Uh, she's very interesting. Like you said, if we got 
if we got a wind photo there, we'd have to get <laughs> wide lens back up so you could fit everybody in the picture there. For I think uh, Cody, Cody, Cody photo will definitely would sell a lot of photos. Uh, I think they okay. have. I was just yes. caliber over our last couple of starts here, but you know, you mentioned Candy Ray. I was I was kind of curious if she had gone. And, yeah. and ran in the Indiana Oaks because she doesn't have a lot of speed. And I thought, wow, you know, it's an interesting spot for her because she figures to, you know, drop out toward the back, you know, James Graham and come with one of those patented James Graham, you know, mm -hmm. late runs. Uh, like he, he he does so well for Keith DeSormo at the fairgrounds. And, of course, I've never, as of yet, it's my first season at Horseshoe Indianapolis, so I haven't really seen James ride over this track. But I thought, wow, you know, Candy Raid, can she, you know, make up that ground late and maybe get the win? But as you pointed out, there's that other option, of course, in Iowa with Candy Raid for uh, Keith DeSormo in addition to the Indiana Oaks where she was entered for this Saturday. Uh, a good look at the field for the Indiana Oaks. It's going to go as race number 11 on Saturday and following that Indiana Oaks is going to be the grade three Indiana Derby, the big feature. We've talked a, a little about some of the horses that are in this field, but it is a good field. And as rattle and roll has been installed as the five to two lukewarm morning line favorite, he is wheeling back quickly on seven days, but he was good. And what, when looking at the, the race that he ran and how he won, it wasn't as if, he was a speed horse who was on the lead, battling it out, dealing with a ton of pressure and had to run really, really hard all the way around. He got a pretty nice trip that, you know, pulled him right into it. He won pretty well, kind of like put him away and, and cleared off. So I, I can understand why you'd be willing to take another shot in here with a horse like this. It's in good form with a grade three race and $300,000 up for grabs where, you know, you're going to be either favored or one of the top choices. Yeah, you know, I've liked this horse since the winter. I remember mm -hmm. after the race in the Fountain of Youth, you know, I talked to Brian Hernandez Jr. about rattle and roll because there was talk, again, this is going back to the winter, that uh, Kenny was talking about running of a horse in the Louisiana Derby. And when I was talking with Brian, you know, he mentioned that, you know, rattle and roll just, you know, didn't like that track, you know, Gulfstream Park. And, you know, when we were going into the Louisiana Derby, I thought, hmm, you know, epicenters run well, but I thought maybe rattle and roll would be my, you know, kind of Louisiana Derby pick, you know, going back to, to March. But uh, since then, you know, of course, after that uh, fountain of youth, you know, having run, you know, at the fairgrounds, but, you know, real confidence boost taking out the American Derby. And now Kenny says, hey, you know, a week later, but the horse is training well. The horse is, uh, you know, looking, looking sharp and let's, you know, wheel him right back and maybe take out, uh, you know, a grade three race, uh, the Indiana Derby. But I've liked rattle and roll since the winter. I know Brian was always high on this horse's ability and has a, a shot to make it the wins back to back from the American Derby into this Saturday's grade three. I believe uh, one of the, the big players in this race, also uh, Actuator, I believe they are going to run here. This is another one. There's a good card over at Prairie Meadows this weekend with a couple stakes races. So there were some overlap with a couple horses that were cross-entered in these two. I think they were saying that Actuator was going to run in the Indiana Derby. He He's a very, very talented three-year-old who just earned a nice speed figure in breaking his maiden and winning by seven lengths plus. You mentioned Best Actor a little earlier on. Those are sort of the next tier of horses that are lightly raced with major, major upside types of horses who can improve so much from one start to the next. 
Yeah, and then I look at a horse like King Ottoman, having spent a 1997, 98, and 1999 before heading up to Chicago at Lone Star Park during their inaugural seasons, working for uh, the late Steve Sexton, Corey Johnson, two titans of the sport. And King Ottoman, he's coming into his own too, you know, coming yep. off that win, you know, Texas Derby win, trained by the Hall of Famer, you know, Steve Asmussen. He has, of course, epicenter, you know, eyeing the spa. But uh, King Ottoman coming into uh, this race, you know, in good form and, uh, you know, out of the Texas heat. By the way, forecast-wise, I mean, we, we've had a hot Indiana Derby week, but Saturday, Gino, sunny and the low 80s. So weather-wise, it, like it looks like a real gem for Saturday's card. Oh, so it's perfect. We're really looking, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to a big day with the 12 races and eight stakes races here on Saturday. But I think, you know, you got to give a horse like King Ottoman a big yeah. look. And then, of course, my, I kept going back to best actor. I'm like, yeah. you know, this horse is two for two. You know, having one at Oakland Park, a sloppy track. So, you know, he's, you know, a young horse, and yet he's, he's already overcome obstacles or different mm -hmm. uh, track situations that have been put, uh, you know, forth in front of him. And he's, you know, undefeated. Flo's been working the horse and uh, will come in to ride. And as I mentioned, you know, Flo, a two-time winner of the Indiana Derby, going back to shared sense and also um, with uh, Axelrod for Michael McCarthy a few years ago. And what's nice about Best Actor, like he said, in just his two starts, we've seen him um, already have to deal with an off track mm -hmm. and a fast track. He's flashed speed. He's been able to sit off a little bit and show that if somebody else wants to go take the lead, he can relax right. nicely and then move to the front, which is another box. You just kind of want to check with horses along the way. Um, he, he fits very well in here. If anyone's looking for a, a big long shot and, and kind of on the flip side, we talked about horses that are coming into this race with really nice form. There's one that's coming into this race where the form might be a little muddied up, but when you sort of look and go race by race as to why we can go, okay, well, trademark has run into jack christopher who has been awesome in his return to the races this year he's going to be headed to the haskell i believe um in the bluegrass he was behind zandon smile happy and emmanuel so no shame in finishing behind those runners emmanuel is going to be one of the top choices in one of the big grade one turf races at belmont this weekend and then in the two races prior to that his first two starts of the year um he was behind classic causeway when Classic Causeway was really good at that point of the year at Tampa, one of those races came on a good track. I don't know if he's quite as good as some of the others right. in here, but for connections, if you're looking for maybe a long shot to some of the bottom of the exotics, if he could save ground from the inside, he's probably not going to have to deal with any of the, the monsters like he's faced in some of those recent races. Yeah, and then uh, there's a couple of locals in there, as I mentioned. You know, Moens has been doing great work against yeah. the Indiana Breds and New Year's Fever. Brandy Steele also has that uh, three-year-old uh, cross-centered for Saturday. We have a nice turf stake called Snack Stakes. Kind of looking forward to calling that to an uh, action-packed turf race. It looks like, again, as I mentioned, we have a nice forecast. And then you get to the out. I mean, how about the Rebel winner? You know, Unoho. I know I mean, we haven't even talked about him at all, really. Yeah, yeah. Comes, you know, here, you know, the a massive Unoho, you know, fan club and even Fowler Blue, you know, Doug O'Neill, people so associate uh, Doug with the West Coast. Yep. And of course, uh, you know, Hot Rod Charlie called that the uh, Louisiana Derby winner, really liked Hot Rod Charlie. And wow, did he just continue to improve? I mean, Dubai World Cup is races in the Breeders' Cup Classic for Doug. But, you know, Doug O'Neill's a, a two time winner of the yeah. Indiana Derby. I mean, I was just looking at uh, Tammy Knox does a great job for us here at Horseshoe Indianapolis, the publicist, and she put together a nice Indiana Derby media guide. And I was going through it and I'm like, wow, I wrap in 2017. And you go back even further in time, uh, back to uh, 2003, excessive pleasure was Doug O'Neill. I'm yeah. like, wow, you know, I so associate him with the West Coast. Yeah. And yet 
you know, he's he's come here, he's had success, and he brings in Fowler Blue, and you get, of course, Kentucky Derby winning jockey Sonny Leone and his legion of fans that'll be here on Saturday, too. That's one thing I love about Doug. I love Doug quite a bit. He's a great guy. <laughs> but one thing, they they are very old school in that they run their horses a lot. They're mm-hmm. not afraid to run them a lot, to run them back quickly, to ship them all over the place, to take on tough competition. They never shy away. They're, they're always up for the challenge and you can't win it if you're not in it. Right. You know, you have to give yourself an opportunity. Um, I love that Doug is always willing to ship some horses around on big days and we get a, a nice team there with some Kentucky Derby winning connections. They didn't win it together, but uh, <laughs> Kentucky Derby winners, nonetheless, teaming up there with Fowler Blue. Well, that's what I'm saying too. You know, this it makes this race, you know, from a handicapping perspective, such an you know such an intriguing race. You know, five five times started in 2022. Fowler Blue, Unoho, of course. You know, first run since the Arkansas Derby and a Rebel winner. Then you have you know the up and comers. You know, the horse like you know bet you know like Best Actor, and you know we mentioned him for um, for Brad Cox and uh, teaming up with Flo Roll and Giroux and Rattle and Roll a very short rest, which yeah. you know sometimes you talk about. Well, you know we're not going to see this horse until Saratoga. He's you know not going to run for a while. And here you know Ken is saying, hey, he's training great. He's eating up. Okay, ready to kick down the stall door. Let's 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 run him in the Grade Three Indiana Derby and you know let's rock and roll with Rattle and Roll. So yeah. I think so many different handicapping angles are at play. Storylines. Race. Yeah, fun storylines too. <laughs> like we're saying with local horses, with uh with horses coming back quickly, with horses on the up yeah, and uh, actuators no, group, King yeah. Oliver from Texas. Uh, just a, a fun weekend ahead over at Horseshoe Indianapolis. We've been so lucky to have track announcer John Dooley, the voice of Horseshoe Indianapolis, join us here to uh, help us talk about the big day. John, uh, it's so nice to hear your voice because it's some it's like for I think a lot of horse players, it's a warm, comforting voice that we've heard so often through the years and uh, probably more than some of our family and close friends that we hear when we play the races uh, all so much. And I didn't get um, early on when I was started working in racing, I didn't get the chance to interact with you quite as much because a lot of times when I was working at TVG, we weren't necessarily covering some of the races where you would yeah. be talking. So we were sort of we kind of missed each other a lot of times when when talking. But um, it was so nice to catch up with you. And I. I hope uh, we can get you back again anytime we have big days, anytime there's anything important going on or big races to promote. It's so nice to pick your brain and, and talk history with you. Yeah, I mean, I love that two-hour segment as I reminisce about great Arlington Million winners, 2000 yes. through 2021. Yes, <laughs> so, that would be a blast, no. and people would love people <laughs> would love it. I know, uh, I know they would. Um, you are someone who is is just university love uh, universally loved nobody ever has a, a bad thing to say about you oh, you are one it. of the absolute best when it comes to uh, track announcers and calling the races you paint a fantastic picture it doesn't matter if it is one of the lower level races on the card or the biggest race of the meet you always have excitement in your voice and you always make it feel like it is the kentucky derby or the louisiana derby or the biggest race for that day and i think that's something that I always uh, really appreciate when I'm listening to your race calls. Cause you just, you never feel like you're phoning it in. You never feel like, Oh, this is work today. You always sound like you're excited to be there and it makes me excited to want to play the races where you're calling them. So thank you so much for being such a great ambassador. 
Gina, I appreciate that. It's like, you know, I said, you know, so much respect for all the horsemen, the, the men and women, you know, that have put so much into this sport. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Doug O'Neill, a trainer that I respect. And, you know, uh, during the course of this race meet, Deshaun Parker, I knew his late father, Daryl, you know, and you, you, you develop so many friendships, not only, you know, on track, but off track. And, you know, Deshaun having won his 6,000th career race here. So many great stories each and every day. It's just, you know, so fortunate to be able to go to the track. I mean, again, you know, a bad day at the track better than, you know, a good day anywhere else. And, yeah. you know, I've lived it for so many decades, uh, you know, whether it was uh, my days back in New York or, you know, Chicago. And now fortunate to be working here with a great team at Horseshoe Indianapolis and look forward to the winter down at Fairgrounds NOLA. But hopefully uh, we can catch up uh, sooner yes. rather than later again. Yes. And you mentioned Tammy <laughs> earlier. We have to give a shout out because they have a great team over there. Tammy, Eric, Rachel does a really great yeah. job as a, a nice promoter of everything. And she's fantastic on social media. So shout out to the whole team, probably leaving uh, someone out, but I wanted to give some of them at least a mention because you ha- it, over the last few years, it's felt noticeable that they have really wanted to make the product the best it possibly can be Very true. upgrading everything, making it better uh, for the, fr- uh, the betters for a uh, better friendly, right? The wagering menu, lower takeout, just lots of positives, lots of um, transparency. Um, and, and I've seen so many people really excited about uh, horseshoe Indianapolis. And it feels like there's been a lot more buzz and a lot more people playing it. And it, it starts from the top. And it trickles down. It really does. So uh, great team over there, John. Yeah, well said. I mean, you know, Eric Hallstrom, you know, in charge and, uh, you know, really appreciate, uh, you know, as a vice president of racing and general manager, we have, you know, the drone views, Air Horse One is up and above the track and the stewards use that, fans use that. I I look at that during during some inquiries and think, wow, that horse, you know, crossed and cleared. He was definitely clear. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. no no action taken, no changes made after an inquiry. We try to provide, uh, you know, handicappers, fans, betters, horsemen, you know, with the, uh, you know, best views. Uh, you know, that we can. And I think, uh, you know, I think we put out a good product out there. And for the most part, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but a special day for Saturday and uh, set a dozen races, eight stakes. And for us, it's the big day of the meet. And, you know, appreciate people like you, Gino, you know, great job, your passion for the sport, your energy, and, uh, you know, for having me on, uh, you know, we appreciate people like you that help uh, promote, uh, you know, our track on a big day this coming Saturday for Indiana Derby. John, thank you so much. We're all going to give you a follow on social media (laughs) at John G. Dooley. We'll be hearing you calling the big races out there this weekend. And uh, best of luck with everything that's coming up for you in the next uh, few months in the summer. And we'll talk again real soon. Sounds good to me. Cheers, Gino. Thanks so much. John Dooley there helping us out. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll have a lot more if you're listening on the podcast. If you're watching our video on uh, social media, thanks so much for hanging out. And make sure to give John a nice follow. Big thanks to John for helping us out. Always great to hear that voice calling the races out there. I wanted to quickly mention uh, uh, one or two more things uh, about Indy for Saturday. A really nice undercard races too. If you're uh, if you're diving into some of those races, there are lots of opportunities to make some money. I thought in the tenth race there might be a play if you're playing any kind of late exotics. Keep an eye on the nine horse in there. That is El Kabong, who's going to go third start off the bench. Can he take one more step forward? He's been really impressive and visually very good uh, in his last two, and those are both wins. Put a line through the race in September, the race at the end of the year that sent him to the bench. He had a little bit of trouble in one start where he was fifth. He ran off pre-race in his debut. He's been a really nice horse. El Kabong, his 10-to-1 on the morning line, I'll be including him in some exotics. That's race number 10. They'll be going a mile and a 16th on the turf course. And then the uh, the 11th 
and the uh, and the twelfth are the Oaks and the Derby. And just one more little recap in the Oaks. I'm just going to have a hard time getting away from Interstate Daydream. I think she's just the class of that field. In the Derby, I did think that the one trademark was interesting and maybe worth throwing in uh, some of your exotics here. Some of the other horses that we spoke about with John, like King Ottoman, Rattle and Roll, Best Actor, Actuator are going to be fun. But I'm going to try to hook up trademark in the mix with a couple of them in exotics. So a very good Saturday, big day over at Indy. Good luck if you're playing the races over at Horseshoe Indianapolis. We continue along on a busy Saturday of racing as we hit Belmont next with our good friend Caleb from On the Wrong Lead. You've heard Caleb before on a lot of live streams with me. I think we've uh, pulled the audio on the podcast before, and I have a lot of fun chatting races with Caleb. Let's dive on into the Belmont Saturday Stakes. We're going to go races 4, 7, 8, 9 has a, a great great show that he does himself uh podcast with on the wrong lead also a, a ton of different content too caleb joins me today how you doing buddy hey gina doing pretty good it's great to be back like i was saying earlier uh i missed you guys after our little uh fantasy draft for the triple mm-hmm. crown season everything we had going on with a couple of stable dual streams and whatnot it's it feels like it's been a little while so it's great to be back and you and I, uh, last year, we would do some streams during Del Mar and Saratoga, too. I think on Fridays, we had a fun one. Stuff going with Darren Zocali would help us out, and the sniper would get in the mix sometimes, too. So, yeah, we've uh, we've done a lot of uh, a lot of shows together, and I always enjoy picking your brain about big races. I you, It's not as if we look at the same exact things, but I feel a lot of the times that we have a similar approach when we're talking about races and kind of some of the horses that we may be looking to play, always sort of looking to try to find the most value possibly for some of the folks out there who may not know you tell us a little bit about maybe what, what would you say like your style is as a handicapper or some of the things that are important to you when you're prepping? Yeah, sure. I do think that you and I are probably no two handicappers are the same, but you and I, I think have a lot of overlap, you know, mm-hmm. so yep. I think that for me, and this question comes up a lot, and it's always a tough question for me to answer because I really am a, a kitchen sink handicapper. I mean, yeah. I, 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 there's no you know angle that I don't think I agree. is totally worthless. I mean, there's some I probably hold more than others, but you know, I probably look at pace first and foremost. That's kind of mm-hmm. where I start, try to get an idea of how the pace of the race is going to set up, who's most likely to get the lead, who's going to be waiting in the back, if it's going to be contested or if someone gets loose. And then after that, you know, I kind of just work through the progressions. I'll look through speed figures, try to throw out the horses that maybe just seem way too slow to contend. And then, you know, my probably favorite uh, angle within racing is just trying to find those horses that had bad trips last time. Some things they're not really obvious to the naked eye, things that maybe the computer syndicates and that the algorithms can't necessarily pick up on, but horses who were maybe against a bias last out horses who had some subtle trip that isn't totally obvious to everyone. And those are kind of the things that I usually try to capitalize on. Yeah. Lots, lots of similarities. Like you said, lots of overlap for how we're doing it. And uh, I I thought this weekend is a pretty like sneaky, good weekend of racing. You know, the, the big summer meets are still a few weeks away from really getting underway with Saratoga and with Del Mar. But this weekend, you and I are going to talk about Belmont. They have four graded stakes on tap, and a couple of the fields look pretty big. We'll keep our fingers crossed that the weather holds up. But some of the races in New York recently haven't had the biggest of fields, so we do have some good ones this weekend. 
We've also got the Indiana Derby, um, and they've got a really big card there at Indy. We've got Delaware with another big weekend. They had a big weekend last weekend. They've got a couple stakes races coming up this weekend. Also, um, Prairie Meadows on Friday and Saturday. They've got some big stakes races. So there is a lot of good racing going on this weekend. Yeah, there really is. And it's funny you bring that up because I was talking to a few buddies the other week, and I was kind of saying like, I feel like I might be cursed or something because I've just had a string of brutal beats lately mm. that has like really started to pile up. So we're like, definitely simpatico in that right now too. So <laughs> I saw yeah. the tweet about that and I'm like, oh, oh my brother, I feel you. Oh, but, brutal. And so I was telling the guys, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna take a break, like take a few weeks off until Saratoga, and then you know maybe get back into it, just kind of step back for a bit. But Belmont carded a sneaky good card and they're kind of sucking me back in for this yeah. uh, Belmont Derby, Belmont Oaks Invitational, really, really high quality races, big fields, which has not been the norm. Yeah. So they, they sucker me back in. So I'm pretty excited. Okay. Hopefully this is the way, this is the, the reason why you got pulled back in because this weekend will be the weekend that turns for the both of us. Okay? That's right. We'll, we'll do it together. We'll, we'll get, we'll do it together. We'll give this energy and help one another out. Tell us uh, some of the stuff that's going on with On the Wrong Lead and some of the other content and stuff that you're going to be working up. What's what's like the summer going to be looking like for you? Yeah, so we're going to stick with our regular schedule for the most part. So we stream every Thursday at 8.30 Eastern. We'll generally do a preview of the big races coming up on the weekend. We're kind of Naira-focused, especially in the summer with Saratoga. But we also cover Del Mar. We'll cover some big stakes elsewhere as well. And then uh, we do some live betting on the show, depending on you know, what's running at the time. The last couple of weeks, we've been doing some live Canterbury action since that happens to be what's running Thursday evenings. You know, sometimes we'll look at Turfway or um, you know, Indiana Grand if they have an afternoon card or whatever else, or Horseshoe Indianapolis, rather. Um, so a little bit of everything. Uh, we're starting to pilot a Saturday morning show. Uh, nice. This week, actually, we're going to kick something off. So just kind of giving uh, more of a last minute kind of, Oh, there's scratches. There's this, there's that updated conditions and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And a little bit more just, okay, here's actually like what I'm betting. Cause by Thursday, I may not know exactly how my pick five is going to look. Yeah. Saturday, we're going to give a little more discussion around, all right, here's kind of, I'm building my day around this horse in this race and I'm trying to get live to these other three in the last race or whatever else, a little more structure talk and a little less handicapping. Give a plug to some of the other uh, guys on the team over there. You guys do a, a really good job. You have a lot of fun. Look at the races together. A lot of times you'll pull up the past performances too on the the live streams that you have and everyone shares an opinion. Tell us about some of the team over there. Yeah, so it's me and three other guys. So we have uh, Josh, who kind of goes by uh, Cherry Drank on Twitter, and then Mark, two turns on Twitter. And then the last one is Brian, who's uh, Mr that class or BD horse player. He always switches his handle around, but yeah, uh, three guys, all great guys, all very experienced, very talented handicappers. And I think what makes it interesting is that we all approach a race very differently. It's not like you mm -hmm. and I, Gina, we're, uh, yeah. we're often at odds where Josh is just king of the cheap speed. Mark has never <laughs> seen a favorite he didn't like. And then Brian has never seen one of Mark's horses he did like. So oh, it's, it's always uh, an interesting conversation. And that's a fun dynamic when everyone's there throwing some zingers at each other and uh, talking a little trash as you try to pick some winners along the way. Uh, what I love about if you're watching us and, and you're not listening to just the, the podcast version, you can see that um, based on the background that I have, Caleb's been working out. Caleb, you look very, uh, very good. <laughs> with your, your head is right on the body of the, uh, of the logo there for that, for that's what G said. So what I can do as we, uh, we go through the races is I'll pull us up with the, the DRF, full screen and we can take a look 
at uh, at the DRF past performances. I always am looking at uh, daily racing form for the PPs. I love it because for me as a, a replay, uh, someone like we said, who's like, if you're a kitchen sink handicapper, like we kind of are to where there are a lot of things you're looking at, it's very convenient to go from one click to race replay, one click to look at the chart, one click to look at the pedigree, one click to look at the trainer statistics and really start to get it all formulated to how I want. It makes, saves my me a lot of time versus having like 15 different tabs up there. So uh, we're going to look at Belmont Park for Saturday, four graded stakes races on the card. The races are four, seven, eight, nine that we're going to look at. So let's dive into the fourth race, Caleb. It's the grade two Suburban. It's not a big field. It's a little bit intriguing because there are some familiar horses in here. We've got, you know, first captain and dynamic one, the two to the outside. They'll probably b- vie for favoritism. They're both horses who like we've seen win big races. They're certainly capable uh, on their best days with, with throwing up big, big efforts. They're kind of, this group here is, is a tier below like the top of the older horses. So this is a good group for some of these to, to pick up a, a nice win or to run well and maybe not have to deal with, some of the monsters out there, some horses that might just kind of run them off their feet and they really wouldn't have much of a chance competing against. How do you see this race shaping up with this small field? This was a really, really tough race for me. And it only has five runners and I could probably toss at least one, if not two of them, but I struggled to really land on an opinion that I felt good about. When I was kind of working through the race, I was kind of, I started at the turf races and worked my way backwards. So I kind of got the dynamic one first and I'm like, ah, dynamic one at like seven to five, like no way. I, I don't want to go there. But by the time I sort of worked through the rest of the field, it was kind of like, I mean, yeah. I had a hard time really latching on to anybody else. And I think a big part of my trouble was that, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a big pace player and that's probably my, the first thing I look at. And I really had a hard time figuring out what the pace was going to be like in this race. I mean, it's and, a mile in the quarter in the dirt. Maybe it's not critical, but I wasn't even sure who gets the lead here. And in if you and if we can project that maybe it's untreated, right? Maybe from yeah. the inside draw, untreated got the lead against some of these last time out. But the problem is, he got a pretty good trip last time on the lead. I don't know why it would be that different here against similar competition. And I, I don't really love him. The, the I agree. Like I don't have the strongest opinion in the world in here. The horse who I think I want to give a chance to maybe one more time is Max Player. I think if I if I had to, um, I'm going to pull up the race uh, that he had last time out. So he got really good towards the end of last year, Caleb. In the in this race, he won the Suburban, and then he won the Jockey Club. And what I liked about both of those races, if you're looking at the past performances here, he showed a lot more tactical, positional speed in those races. And it wasn't like they were going like 50 to the half mile where he was just right on really slow paces. He actually did show more speed to get himself into those races. Then the breeders cup classic comes. He, you know, he runs into Nick's go. I think we could probably excuse him for that. And I'm even willing to excuse the Ali Sheba. You know, it's his first start of the year. He hasn't run since November. He comes in and he hooks a really sharp horse named Olympiad. Who's been awesome and just continues to win race after race. The Brooklyn, I think there may have been an okay enough excuse. So let's pull up the race. We've got Max Player. He's the two in the fourth on Saturday. He's the the two in the race that we're watching. So he really misses the break again, too, in a race where they're going longer. Fearless, who wins, has a couple lengths jump on him. So 
Max player has to kind of exert energy just to get back up into contention to give himself a shot. And I, I feel like this was a race where they probably wanted to get him closer up again. Then he's four wide going into the turn at the back of a pack going long. I can give him one more excuse, Caleb. One more. If he just doesn't fire this time, I probably can't come back next time and make another excuse for him. But I think in this race, if he is around five to one in this field, that's the only horse who I'm interested in playing compared to their price. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from, for sure. I gave Max Player a really hard look. I was fortunate enough to actually cash on cash in on him twice last year in both of those wins. Mm-hmm. He's always a horse I've liked. I remember when he ran in the, uh, I think it was the Withers, like a couple of years ago, I think uh, he got maybe second or third in there, had a good run. Um, always a horse I thought, yeah, he's got a run in him, but yeah. he's just not a horse that just shows up every time. A little no. bit tough to trust. I, I, to me, last time was the time that I kind of wanted I, what, to have it, him. I know. It felt, um, and that's, like, I I that, wanted that to see more from him right last time out. I expected it. I guess I can give him one more just because of the start, and I'm not really, like, I don't love anyone else in this race from a betting standpoint. It just nobody feels like their, their price and versus their chance of winning, and I love them. So, like, like you said, I, your analysis was was pretty accurate. It's like, oh, you see dynamic one and you go, okay, I'll probably try to take a shot against this horse at seven to five. And then once you go horse by horse, you kind of go with who though? Yeah. And then that's kind of my problem is dynamic one's not a favorite. I ever really want to have at a short price. I looked at first captain and his, that's kind of a horse. That's a bit of a, a conundrum for me because his form is excellent, but uh, on paper, he just seems a little too slow to really uh, jump up and land a big blow against somebody like Dynamic One, or even if Max Player shows up with his good race. Uh, on time form, he he just isn't quite fast enough. He would need pretty big improvement, and he just showed pretty big improvement in that last start. Uh, I'm not totally sure I expect him to take a second step forward when the, yeah. uh, the McGahee bar not exactly firing at a high clip right now. No, so that's a good point. I had a hard time. This is not a race that I'll probably bet anything. I in agree. For one race bets or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, depending on my opinion elsewhere, I, I might skip the early sequence because this is not a race I really like. Yeah. If you made me pick a horse, it would be, I'd kind of hold my nose and pick the name of one, but I wouldn't feel good about it. No. And, and that's, I don't love anyone there. And I see, I like, I love what you said, Caleb. What's nice is that I have, I will never have a problem telling someone I'm not going to bet this race or I'm definitely not going to bet this race on the win end with that horse, or I'll want to try to find a different way to play this race or get some value out of it because that's, that's reality, right? We, nobody plays every race. And, and I know we are looking at a lot of them sometimes. And because it's a big race and a graded stakes race, do you feel sometimes like you should play it? But yeah, if you don't have a strong opinion there and then, or if you're looking at the board and everyone feels like, ah, well, yeah, this horse probably should be like two to one. This horse should be three to one. If you can't find any reason to dive in, just wait. There's a lot of opportunities. You can always find another race a little later on in the card. We've got three more to discuss here as we'll move to race number seven, Caleb. It's the Belmont Oaks. It is a grade one for three-year-old fillies. They're going to go a mile and a quarter. We have a really fun field here lining up. You have a couple imports, what, one, two, three, four, five horses. So basically half the field who last started outside of North America. Um, so that always brings a little bit of intrigue to a race like this. And they're running for uh, you know, $700,000 here. Give us some of your uh, initial thoughts on the Belmont Oaks. Yeah, this is a fun race. Yeah. For, for, and uh, I think there's a lot of interesting ways you can go in here. 
you obviously have the big American contingent getting sending out by a, was it two or three Chad Brown horses in here? Charlie Appleby is sending a runner over. It, it feels like he's been winning everything that's not tied down in North America whenever he ships. Uh, Aiden O'Brien and uh, Joseph O'Brien both send a horse over. A, a lot of fun ways you can go with this race. To me, I think that of the two turf races, this is the one where I'd probably give the Americans a slightly better chance to win. I don't know that I would necessarily think that they win, but I think that this I, is I their best you. shot. Yeah. Well, so let's start from the outside. What's really interesting, you've got, uh, you know, Concert Hall, who's coming in here. And this is the horse who's your your current, you know, three to one favorite. You've got Agartha, who's going to take some money towards the outside. Of the European contingent, I guess let's start Euros, and then we'll go back to the to the, the North American-based horses. If you're playing this race in a, a late pick five, which it, I think it starts the late pick five here, who would be... You know, what would be your approach be? Would you be using three or four in here? A couple of the Euros, a couple of the US? Who are some that are on your radar? Yeah, sure. So I do think the Europeans hold a strong hand in here. Um, I think that the horse you highlighted initially, Concert Hall, probably a deserving favorite, getting some really significant class relief, dropping out of those group ones in the uh, the Pretty Polly and the, uh, the Oaks. I don't know that I love her as the favorite because I... I am a little bit kind of curious as to really most of her wins have come at you know, significantly lower levels when she's been running adequately against better, but not necessarily stamping herself as a, a division leader by any stretch. So I actually would probably prefer, especially at the odds, the the runner to her inside, Agartha. Yeah. yeah. I think she's really interesting. And this horse reminds me a lot of a horse that uh, Joseph O'Brien shipped over last year in state of rest. Now that was a Colt. This is a Philly, but a similar profile and a horse that was running pretty much exclusively at seven furlongs and a mile overseas, you know, ships over to, it was the Saratoga Derby, not the Belmont Derby last year and uh, stretched the horse way out from like a mile to a mile and three sixteenths. And the horse responded with a career at best effort. You know, the connections are on the record saying they think that there's uh this Philly is going to get the distance you know, the top, you know, Caravaggio is more of a speed influence, but a lot of uh, staying pedigree on the bottom of that, uh, of the horse. So I really thought Agartha is a horse that really just might improve on the stretch out here. You know, mm -hmm. she's also been keeping pretty good company and, you know, just came out of the 1000 guineas last out. She was beaten six lengths, but the horse, you know, she was only beaten basically half a length to concert hall in that mm -hmm. race because the winner was a five and a half length, uh, runaway kind of victor so she's a horse that i thought was interesting and might get a little bit overlooked by uh some of the chad browns and concert hall that were outside she's the european that i probably want the most of but i would be using both of the europeans on the outside and i don't sure. and i don't know why it's not up on this uh past performance running line right here but the thing about concert hall she raced less than two weeks ago i mean this was not like she's not have a ton of time in between her starts this is a uh she was fourth put up via dq on the 26th where, you know, and you have to deal with the, the travel here. I, I So comparing Concert Hall, who now has like an additional race there compared to, you know, Agartha, who most recently raced on May the 22nd, Concert Hall has raced twice since then. I, the, You know, that's a lot to deal with. And then shipping over here for a horse who also draws the the way outside and is probably going to be a little bit of a short price. I think I'm okay playing against the 10 in here. Yeah, I, I respect that, Gino. I think that the short rest is definitely an angle that 
kind of makes sense that this is a lot for a young Philly who you know, is going to be coming stateside for the first time. I mean, there's a lot of question marks and it, it's just a matter of how short a price do you want to go on a horse that is not dominant and does have some adversity with the, with a pretty packed schedule to try to overcome. And like you just pointed out the race against Agartha, they were not separated by all that much. And you've got Agartha who feels like she may be a little fresher coming into this race. I thought the, the, uh, a, a long shot that I may throw into some exotics is the eight know thyself. I don't know if she's quite as good as some of the others. I did like what I saw from her visually in some of her races on May the 15th at Longchamp. She settled at the rear. There were slow fractions in a small field. She made a big, big challenge down the center up into contention. Uh, just a little bit flat late. She missed second on the Bob. I thought that was a, a fine effort. And then I agree with you in that there are some logical uh, horses from the U.S. that have run really well. Like New Year's Eve has been really good. She has not done a whole lot wrong. I, I don't really have any knocks on her. Consumer spending has been really, really good. She's one who wouldn't be uh, a big shock. Hottie, she's another who has not done much wrong at all. And if none of the, these horses show speed, which, stop me if you heard this one before in a, a New York turf race, Caleb, <laughs> going long. We might have a possibility for a horse to get out front. I mean, if Cairo Memories gets a couple lengths and nobody else goes on, what's wrong with McCulloch? All of the, like any of these U.S.-based horses really wouldn't shock me in here. So I agree with you. This is a pretty contentious race and maybe one where I'd be okay with tossing the shorter price horse, quick turnaround, tough post, and maybe looking for a little more value. I'll probably spread out in this race and, and use a bunch. Yeah, I think that's a really valid approach. I think it also kind of just depends on, you know, where's your opinions elsewhere and how you're yep. going to structure that for sure. Yep. I'm a little curious of the Americans. What was there one that kind of stuck out to you? I think I kind of like Hottie the most of the U.S. contingent. I think so too. I, I think got, I've heard a lot of hype on her on Twitter. I'm a little scared what the price might be, but where did you land for the Americans? That, what I like about Hottie is she seems a little bit. She could be sitting second or third. Right? I yes. think tactically wise, she's faster naturally than consumer spending, than New Year's Eve, than probably McCulloch. And it, and I could see her getting a great trip right behind Cairo Memories. And Pratt is so good at that, like in particular, like reading the pace. Oh, they're going slow. I'm going to park second right behind. And like, they're not going that fast. I'm going to make an early move and open up. He just, he makes that move so, so well. So yeah, I agree with you. I think of the, of the U.S. based horses, I would prefer Hottie the most. Second start off the the bench. Her only defeat was in the juvenile Phillies turf when she was really, really good that day. And that race has come back live so far. Uh, and she was disqualified in her debut, finishing third, but she crossed the wire first. So I guess she's been defeated twice. But the only time she didn't cross the wire first was in that uh, that Breeders' Cup race. So yeah, I think we're we're on Hottie, but uh, a a strong contingent for the three year old American Phillies in here. I think they all. Like a lot of them have a big shot. Yeah, I agree with you. I'd probably make the, you know, if you gave me even money on the U.S. versus the Euros here, I, I'd have to think. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's an evenly matched field for sure. Let's move along to the victory ride. It's race number eight. It's the third of four of the uh, big stakes races on the card on Saturday. So it feels like this race, Caleb, should have a pretty good amount of early pace in here with... You know, Happy Soul, who's pretty quick. You've got Pretty Birdie, who's very, very fast, and Hot Peppers, and they're all right next to each other. So I'd imagine we're going to at least get, 
you know, two of the three of these Phillies showing some speed. And that doesn't even bring in the three inside horses where any of them could sort of be forced by their draw to show more speed than they want. Smash ticket can show legit sprint speed. Half is enough. May have to. If he was drawn, if she was drawn more to the outside, I'd, I'd give her, I'd probably, um, you know, upgrade her chances a little bit. She may be forced. They could be going pretty fast in here. I saw it the same way, Gino. I thought that those three horses you highlighted at first with Happy Soul, Pretty Birdie, and Hot Peppers are going to set up for a pretty hot pace. I, I mean, it's hard to imagine any of those three winning the, off of the pace. They would have to kind yeah. of show a new dimension that they have yet to display. I guess technically Happy Soul rated once, but I'm just not sure that she's really developed much from two to three. And I agree. The war horses are kind of, and I've never really been that high on her as, as some of the others. I think she has a couple wins. I don't like the word phony or anything like that, but she just sort of got the lead drew off, beat up on some horses early on. And like you said, she, she hasn't well on speed figures alone. She just, she has not progressed. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you. So for me, I was looking for a horse that can come off the pace and the horse I actually ended up on, who is a bit of a price in here, was to the far outside. Oh, yeah. Sterling Silver, baby. Sterling Silver. Like, this is a horse that I'm going to pay to find out the answer to the question of, is this horse just good against New York Breads, or is this horse just better around sprints in one turn? Because the two races against Open Company were both routes, and she didn't run a step in either of them. So- and she had, tr- in, in, in both of those races, one of them was on a wet track. And the other, and both of them, she had trouble at the start too. She didn't have the best of beginnings in races where she was probably already up against it from a class standpoint. So if you have a slow start like that or a bad beginning in a tough field, you're just going to get outrun. It's going to be hard for you to make up the ground. I think there are enough excuses, Caleb, for those two races to just look at the sprints and say, just like you said, if she's six to one-ish in that range or above, and they're going to all line up on the lead, and we know that she's just going to take back and make one late run, nobody in this race scares the heck out of me. This feels like a good spot to test Open Company again at a one-turn elongated sprint that's kind of right up her alley. I completely agree. I'm not afraid of Pretty Birdie. I think she's a a fine favorite on the slight cutback here, but the pace is not in her favor, and she's going to have to be much the best to win this race, I think. Yep. You know, Hot Peppers, I mean, same applies to her as well. I'm a happy soul. I'm pretty against happy soul. In Me here. too. So, I mean, yeah, there's no really other closer I could latch on to. The one horse I wasn't sure what to do with of the rest was probably the number two smash ticket mm-hmm. who ran a pretty good race in her debut. I mean, it was, it was at Lone Star, but if you look at the horse that she lost to in her debut, that's wicked halo. She's yeah. a, a stakes winner in her own right. She yeah. actually beat a uh, pretty birdie last out at the uh, Leslie Lady Stakes at uh, Churchill. Yep. So, And then she won the Teppin just over the weekend too. Yeah, she just won, didn't she? Yeah, she just won last weekend in that race that was one of the, I think was supposed to be one of the turf races that they ended up keeping on the dirt. So yeah, she she sharp. And that that whole race came back pretty live. There were a couple next out winners there. Yeah, and and I mean, nothing wrong with that Delmar maiden effort winning by five. And then beating Desert Dawn. In right. that race, who, who's third in the Derby? Third in yeah, the Oaks, excuse me. Third in the Oaks, and who was the Santa Anita Oaks winner, and is a, a super talented filly for Phil D'Amato. So, yeah, she's kept like company that fits with this group for sure. And I remember she took a lot of money in this Del Mar, right? She was working well. Like she's got <laughs> ability, right? She's like 
she's a nice, she's a nice Philly. She's, you know, she just, is she going to be able to get that, the kind of trip she needs down here and then be able to stretch out a full furlong? She's going from five and a half to six and a half, but she's kind of a, like a wild card here. She got a big speed figure in winning that race last out at Lone Star. She did. She's absolutely the wild card. I'm not excited about five to two. I think that's what David has her on the morning line. Yeah. But I don't know what price you get. I think he, she could float up to maybe three to one, seven to two. And I think she'd be a bet at that point. That I much prefer her to Happy Soul, right? Completely if you're agree. looking for horses to include in your late exotics and stuff, I would I would throw her in much more than Happy Soul. And they're probably going to be comparable prices. And and probably more money that comes in for just the Ward and Velasquez overall and like on connections play there. So um yeah, let's get Sterling Silver sitting about four or five lengths off. Hope they line up on the lead and this horse can mow them all down late. Sterling Silver for me and Caleb as we move to the final of the stakes races on the Saturday card over at Belmont. It's the grade one Caesars Belmont Derby Invitational mile and a quarter on the turf here. Caleb, we have Tis the Bomb of the U.S. runners who was last in the Kentucky Derby. Didn't run well there. Now you get to come back uh, to the turf where he's been very, very good. He was a runner-up in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, and it was behind modern games that day. Tis the Bomb, Emmanuel, you know, they're going to be horses that get a lot of support of the uh, of the U.S.-based runners. And then the Euros that ship in, you've got uh, Machete, who's a bit intriguing. I'll talk about that one. Royal Patronage, Nation's Pride, and then Stone Age to the outside, who uh, comes off of, I think, a better-than-look performance last time out. Give us some thoughts on the Belmont Derby. Yeah, I think that's a good introduction there because those are some of the more interesting horses in this race. I think that for me, I kind of mentioned earlier that I'd probably make it even money on the Euros versus the Americans in the Belmont Oaks. I think the Europeans hold a pretty strong hand in the Belmont Derby. I would be personally pretty surprised to see a European not walk away with the win here. Of my the top Americans, two are the Euros also. So just for what for what yeah. that's worth, I've got those as my top two. I might use a couple of the U.S. horses, but the two that I think I'll have on a build a lot of tickets around are probably both going to be Euros. Yeah, I, I agree. I think my top my top two are certainly Euros, and probably three of my top four would be Euros. The, the one American I do like a little bit in this race is Tis the Bomb, the horse that you started with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it kind of remains to be seen just how good he is, but if because we haven't seen him on turf since he was a two-year-old. And, yep. and a lot of times that horses don't necessarily mature, they don't step forward the way you would expect. But this horse ran, you know, an excellent race in Kentucky Downs, an excellent race at Keeneland, and then won technically, or won the purse money anyway, from uh, uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf against Modern Games, you know, which you know, he had a tough trip that day. I mean, he was shuffled back. He had to pretty much pass every horse in the field, Sands won. And, you know, he was he was very, very impressive in that Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. It's disappointing, and I and I hate to see when this happens when the connections get uh, Derby fever. Yep. But clearly, they put this horse on the Derby trail where he, he just had no business running. He does not handle the dirt. Uh, you know, you can't really take an, a washed off maiden event at Ellis Park as an indication that you have a dirt horse where he he made the lead and took no kickback. Clearly, he's not a dirt horse. But if you draw a line for some of those races, he handled the synthetic and he handles the turf. And if he had the expected improvement from two to three on the turf. 
and can back up that Jeff Ruby stakes race with uh, yep. another strong effort. I think he's the American that I would probably give the best chance to. And, and truthfully, the American I give the only chance to, although he's not one of my top three. I thought he was a good place to start. Yeah, I think, I think I agree with you as far as of the, of the Americans. He may be one of the only that I, uh, that I include um, of the Euros just from a talking standpoint, I think stone age, which is the this, yeah little issue with some of the the PPs particularly right now with uh, with getting Stone Age re, uh, recent races, but Stone Age last out Caleb is coming off of a sixth place effort in the Grade One Kazoo Derby, and that was Stone Age's uh, third start of the year. He had a start in March, then he came back in May in the Derby Trial, winning his his first two starts of the year were awesome, and he was tracking down on the inside, and you know. He was only about three lengths off and he loomed up like he was a major player. And then he just had no late punch. And that race was going a mile and a half. And when I see that type of run from a horse going longer like that, I just can't help but play it out in my head again, that if he's sitting in the same type of spot, looming up again with a similar trip and just has more bottom now on the cutback, I don't like the post as much. I'm probably going to be including him, though, in most of my exotics. I feel like his A game is pretty, pretty good. What do you think about Stone Age? Yeah, I, I do like Stone Age, Gino. I'm with you there. I think if you look at the form of a lot of runners, just in the Belmont, the two Belmont turf races themselves, it seemed like, you know, I'm not an European expert, but it seemed like maybe something funny was going on with the track at Epsom that day because it just seemed like a lot of horses failed to show up. Yeah. Had otherwise, very strong form going into that race. Yep. I mean, another the same uh, argument can be made for the number ten Nations Pride in here, who just didn't handle the surface apparently. So I'm willing to kind of give a horse, a couple of these horses, some passes for that Epsom Derby. And yeah, I like Stone Age. This is the exact same path that Aiden O'Brien took last year with Bolshoi Ballet. I mean, all the way from the dominant uh, Derby trial at Leopardstown, Bolshoi Ballet did not handle the Epsom Derby. Uh, he you know, got a cut in his leg and just didn't really run that well. And then he showed up and won the Belmont Derby when he shipped over. So, uh, I mean, we've seen this before. So it would not be a surprise to me to see it happen again. No, Stone Age will be in the mix for me. The other horse I wanted to mention was uh, the number six, Machette. <laughs> yes. So I-, I like this horse a little bit, uh, Caleb. He comes out of a race. If you you kind of dive into his form, he doesn't seem like he likes the really, really soft turf quite as much. Um, those have been some of his lackluster performances. You may at first glance look and not think he's really a turf horse, but he ran into a horse named Vadini in his last start. Vadini has won three in a row. Uh, look who else was in that race, Modern Games. It was a really, really tough group. Vadini came back to recently when uh, he's now multiple group ones and... Machette was traveling really well. And when he wanted to go, he was in some traffic. He was down towards the inside. He was in the third flight. He was sixth and he just didn't get any room until it was late. He was never going to win that race, but he was only about seven lengths off with trouble in a race where the winner won by five. I think he's a little sneaky in here. I love the fact that you brought this horse up because I have this horse circled and literally on my form, I have written down better on firm question mark because yeah. we've never really seen him on firm ground. Yeah. You know, racing in France, they tend to get rain all the time. But if you kind of read in the, between the tea leaves a little bit, his two best races have come on the synthetic, but nonetheless on a surface that's going to play relatively the same. 
you know, not exactly the same, but you know, relatively quickly or relatively yeah. consistently, it doesn't get bogged down like a turf course. You know, if you look two back where he ran against Vadini, he was only beaten two lengths and he was second. Mm-hmm. And that was a day when he caught slightly better ground. I think he's really going to take to the firmer turf. And I think that this could be a really sneaky horse. I don't yeah. think he's going to get bet. These are not connections that are people in America are really no, they only, They've with. only had three horses in the U.S. start in the last five years. One of them ran third in the 2019 Jockey Club Derby. So they can send a horse over here and have them primed and ready to run a good race. I This is a really good pick four, pick five type of horse to include. I I think this could be a horse that makes your entire day, you know, makes a lot more than that. Even I, he, it's just one of those things where there's a couple you look at and a couple people may look and go, Oh, his last race wasn't that great. Or, Oh, overall, he's never even won on the turf, you know? And when you dive into some of the reasoning that we've, we've kind of pointed out here, let's get machete. Maybe it's going to be machete for us, Caleb. It might be, maybe that's the horse that gets us off the schneid. That should be the one we come together with machete. Yeah, there would be nothing wrong with playing a few bucks to win on a horse like this if he's in the 15 to 1-ish range or so, which I I think he will be. Machete and Stone Age, those are the two I think I'm going to have probably as my major keys in like pick fours and pick fives. Who else in here? We talked about some of the American horses, Tis the Bomb. Anyone else in here worthy of mentioning? Uh, For me, it'd be Nation's Pride. That's kind of my number two horse in here, actually. Yeah, I have him slightly above Machete. Just uh, again, I, I mentioned the Epsom course on that Derby day. Just it, it, some horses didn't handle it. I'm willing to give him a pass on that because he's just been dominant in every other start pretty much of his career, yeah. winning by daylight in his previous four races up until that Epsom Derby. If you look at that race two back at Newmarket, he beat uh, Hu Yamal by seven lengths. Hu Yamal was 150 to one in the Epsom Derby and ran second. So, yeah. I mean, the I guess you fall into one of two school of thought there is either that horse completely reversed his form and is actually a legitimate contender that should be, you know, shouldn't have been 150 to one or, you know, generally when I see results like that, I tend to think that a lot of horses just didn't handle it. Some horses did. Especially when it's the, one of the only, the only bad race on this horse's page and it's that bad against the same exact horse, right? It's it's It's, too bad to be real in my opinion. 100%. Charlie Appleby, I mean, you know, I'm seeing over the last three years, he's won nine of 19 graded stakes in North America when he ships over, uh, pretty much exclusively for Godolphin. Frankie Dettori comes over. This will take money simply due to that. But I think it's 13 for 27 in grade one races in North America. Over, like in his just incredible. I mean, it's <laughs> mind blowing. <laughs> so that'll that'll get the. There's a reason why he sends him over when you when you're winning like that. Um, nation's pride as a major, major player there. Yeah. Caleb, it looks like a fun card. If, if these races stay as close to intact as possible and the weather cooperates, we've had some short fields over there, even on, on Belmont day, not that long ago, but there are some really nice turf races to dive in. You get the European horses, uh, really strong groups of Europeans in both of these, uh, distance turf races for the three-year-olds. I was pleasantly surprised. That's why I, I wanted to bring you in. I felt like at least it was worth bringing you in to talk about a good card. We didn't have like five horse fields that we actually could spend, you know, 35 minutes talking about this. Not like, oh, two minutes and we're done. I know, I know. Belmont Day was you know, quality races, but short. And those are those are not, I'd rather have a, a $10,000 claimer with, with 12 horses than a, than a grade one with four horses. And I'm trying to decide between a four to five and an eight to five, which one I want to bet. 
Make sure to give Caleb a follow on Twitter at CalebWVU. You can also uh, check out a lot of the work that Caleb does at wrong underscore lead or uh, on the wrong lead.com. Anything else to plug? What other work you have coming on or anything uh, coming up for the next few months that you want to mention? No, that's about it. I'm going to be up at Saratoga for Alabama weekend. Uh, Josh from on the wrong lead as well as Mark will also be there. Mark kind of lives up there over the summer. So yeah, we'll be up there. Um, So if anyone's going to be up there, you know, get a hold of me, message me on Twitter or something, or we'll get a beer and definitely come say hi. Uh, Otherwise doing a little bit of content with horse racing nation over Saratoga summer as well. Probably some quick hitter preview show kind of stuff on Friday mornings, looking at Saturday, but uh, more to come on that once we get a little closer to the opening day. Caleb, buddy, thank you so much for your time. Honestly, I, I really love talking races with you. I always, you always will have one or two things that I wasn't looking at and you'll sort of steer me towards a horse or maybe put something on my radar. Uh, I always learn from you. I think that's how the, the best relationships are when we talk with our friends that are horse players where you can go back and forth and feel like, man, I came out of that conversation, like really gaining a, a little bit of knowledge. So thank you so much, man. I always appreciate talking with you. Oh, likewise, Gina. Thank you, man. It's great to be on and I always have fun. Okay, make sure to give Caleb a follow. Check out all the great content over at, at, at and uh, over with the wrong lead at the wrong lead there. Uh, give him a follow on social media. Wrong lead underscore wrong. Caleb, I'll say it wrong 10 more times. How about that? At, the more you say it, the more uh, publicity wrong, we get. So wronger <laughs> it gets every time. At wrong underscore lead. There we go. There we go. Hooked on phonics worked for me. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll have a lot more on this episode. If you're uh, watching on social media, big thanks. And if you ever need any help handicapping the races, you see I'm using DRF formulator. That's always the place for good time catching up with Caleb as uh, we shift the focus on over to Prairie Meadows. Before we head to Prairie Meadows to talk with Mary Rampolini, we first have to remind you about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What She Said podcast, Cindy Carava, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. And that means she can help you with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can connect you to vendors if you need help with home improvement. She can put you in touch with a lender if you need a little help with getting pre-approved for a loan and the whole process that goes along with the the loan. All of that is stuff that Cindy deals with on a day-to-day basis. Let her handle it for you. She's going to make your life so much easier. She focuses in on the... San Diego, uh, the North San Diego County, San Gabriel Valley, but wherever you're located, she will put you in touch with someone in the area that she knows, that she trusts. She can do a free market analysis of your home's value. If you just want to see where you stack up, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, CindyCarava.com. That's the website. Make sure to get in touch with her. If you need anything in the world of real estate, you can check out all the listings she has there, past projects. There are reviews of of her on Yelp and Zillow. Cindy Carava. We head to Prairie Meadows. It's the Iowa Festival of Racing. So Mary Rampolini from the DRF, who covers Prairie Meadows on a day-to-day basis, and she covers all all of the racing in the Mid-South. She is so knowledgeable about everything going on there. She helps us out. Now, there's a little bit of a annoying sound throughout the interview. It's not my voice. Well, it's in a, in, there's another annoying sound in addition to my voice. It was, I had a little, I found out afterwards what it was. There was just a wire that was out. And so I apologize that the sound is a little bit off. I figured it out and it, we didn't have it for any of the other uh, interviews and 
shouldn't be a problem any any more moving forward. I'm just gonna have to really get on my producer, which is me. So uh, never claim to be a, a technical whiz, but one uh, one person who's a whiz when it comes to covering the races, and that's Mary. Mary helps us out right now. Talk some Prairie Meadows Saturday. Ahead at Prairie Meadows So we are going to dive into Some of the big stakes races for the weekend And we were very lucky To have from DRF joining us again Mary Rampolini Mary, uh, you are one who gets to focus on A lot of the races in the Midwest here So when it's a a big day for a Texas track uh, An Iowa track, a Louisiana track It's really a, a track that you've had a lot of focus on And one that you've been covering day in, day out Yes, you know, it's kind of uh, it's kind of nice because all the horses kind of flow from the Midwest region. We have horses, um, you know, that are going to be in these races up at Prairie from Lone Star Park, Evangeline Downs. So even sweeping into my southern region, we're seeing those horses move up into the Midwest, which which is nice. It gives you a little insight, um, you know, uh, uh, on different circuits. So. For this weekend, you and I are recording on Thursday. It's it's even more than we're going to talk about the Saturday stakes races, which are very good. But there's also a big Friday evening too. This has become a, a two day sort of like a weekend event over the last, I, I guess, uh, de- it's been a while uh, at, at Perry Meadows where they've had these Friday, Saturday, or throughout the weekend, kind of the the Iowa Festival of Racing, I believe. That's right. Yes, and uh, there'll be four thoroughbred stakes, as you mentioned. Friday night, and there'll be a focus on some older sprinters in, in those races. And then there'll be the four thoroughbred races Saturday night, which are the, the heavy hitters, the Cornhusker, the grade three, $300,000 race for the older males at a mile and an eighth, or older horses at a mile and an eighth, I should say. And then uh, you've got your Iowa Oaks, which is a grade three, and your Iowa Derby. So yeah, big, big races on Saturday night. Okay, so those are the races that we're going to talk about. And if you're not Following Mary and some of the work that she does um, over at Daily Racing Form at DRF, please do so right now. Fantastic stuff. If you're a handicapper, if you're a gambler, if you're just a fan of racing, if you're an owner, if you're a trainer, if you're just trying to find out any information, it really helps you on all levels. Mary, I can't tell you how much you help me over the last few years in my handicapping, focusing in now a lot on Louisiana Downs, focusing on, and on Sam Houston. Anytime there's something going on, I'll go like right to your social media. I'll start looking for some of the articles that you've posted recently. <laughs> and I try to find anything else that, that I can out. So you are a great resource for all of the betters out there. And you do such a fantastic job. We, uh, you want to dive on in? And uh, thank take- you, Tina. Thank oh, you. No. Well, no problem. Thank you for joining us. We're lucky to have you, and we are going to talk about some of the Saturday races. For those of you who may see this, actually, because I'm going to I'm going to put the uh, interview, the audio of it, also on social media. We're actually looking at the past performances from Daily Racing Form DRF.com. That's the place that I use for all of my handicapping. Every time I'm looking at one race, any full card, big days, smaller days. I'm always looking at DRF. That for me is where I can just, I can make sense of everything the most. And with the formulator past performances that I pulled up right now, it's so nice because you're one click to a replay, one click to a race chart, one click to owner trainer information, one click to pedigree information. It just makes our job as handicappers a lot easier than having to pull up 10 different tabs and all these different websites. You can get it all at drf.com for anyone that wants to follow along we're looking at 
the sixth race at Prairie Meadows for July the 9th. This is the Prairie Gold Juvenile. And Mary, we have some horses that are, you know, for big barns. We have horses coming in from Churchill Downs. We've got a few that broke their maiden over at Churchill. We've got a Steve Asmussen, a Mike Maker trainee. Uh, Chassis Pommier is one that I've started to become familiar with. That's that's a barn that does really good work with young horses. This is a fun Prairie Gold Juvenile where it looks like Undelay, top recruit. Probably the Churchill horses will take a little more money just because of their wins at the bigger track. Yeah, I, I think so. I I, I liked uh, Undelay a little bit in here. Um for the fact that he's, you know, he's been so quick and, uh, you know, he's gotten out of that gate on top every time. And I think that's important <laughs> with these baby races, get up, get up and get going. And, um, you know, I like the two horses that uh, he defeated came back in one. So that makes that race a key race as well. And uh, he'll be first Lasix here, but you're right. I mean, I think top recruits on another horse who uh, was flattered off of his debut win last out, two horses came back to win out of that race. And, I guess when you look at it, there, there's a lot of speed in this race. Isn't yeah. There? <laughs> yeah. And who, that's the thing is who, who is going to be able to sit, who maybe is going to look at the race and say what we're saying, right? Hey, right. you know what? If we can maybe sit off the pace a little bit, things may, may work for us. The one horse that's a, a bit intriguing to me is the six Todd Chero, just kind of because of the draw. I'm always looking at these races and thinking, if someone can sit, it's probably a little easier if you're drawn towards the outside to sort of break, look over. You're not really forced. I'm not sure if he is quite as good as some of the others, but he beat a horse who came right back to win their next start. And Lane Luzzy is someone who over the last couple of years, he is really starting to pick up some momentum. And I have been extremely impressed with his riding ability. Yeah. Like you said, that outside post should give Lane the opportunity to kind of see if uh, things set up and if his, uh, if his horse is agreeable, um, then maybe he can just kind of settle off of it. Um, you see some of the horses breezes. There's a, there's a half and 49 and four. So maybe that was a controlled type work. I, I did not see that work, but um, I'd be interested to see what that horse does. And I, you know, maybe this horse on the far outside Baytown, get it on uh, might, might sit a little off of it and use those tactics. And well, he's the most proven Right. Of, of everyone, at least we've seen him do that. Right. We haven't really seen anybody else do that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so, yeah. And again, you know, the baby races, there's, you know, so many of them, these are all coming out of five eighths of mile races. So, um, you know, speed is speed is king in those young horse races. So it will be interesting to see how they start to sort themselves out. Maybe a horse like prove right could sit, although he's in that inside post and, um, He's one, like, if he was drawn towards the outside a little bit more, I would immediately have gone towards him. Right. I understand what you're saying, looking at it that way. Yeah. I should should mention, you know, you mentioned uh, Chassie uh, Pommier. Um, She certainly, her family has had a lot of success with young horses, and and Chassie has had a lot of two-year-old success. And this horse, Free From Guilt, is um, a half-brother to free like a girl who's a multiple stakes winner around two turns. So um, I just find this horse interesting that they're bringing him up in here and free like a girl runs later on the card in the Iowa Oaks. And um, you know, their work with young horses might make him a, a horse. That's very adaptable type of horse. That's the Prairie 
Gold Juvenile. It's going to go as race number six on Saturday, and it's an important one that kicks off a jackpot pick five that's going to encompass uh, some of the big stakes races on the Prairie Meadows Saturday card. As we turn the page from the Prairie Gold Juvenile, we next take a look at the grade three Iowa Oaks, 225000 up for grabs in this one. And you've got, uh, you know, big barns here too. Todd Pletcher shipping in uh, Candy Raid. is going to be coming in for Keith DeSormo. Butterbean for Ken McPeak came over to Prairie and won a local prep race here and has won back-to-back races. And then the aforementioned Free Like a Girl, who is a seven-time winner and just continues to win Louisiana Bread Stakes races. Now we'll try to see what she can do against open company. This is a good renewal of the Iowa Oaks. Yeah, absolutely, Gino. And I think there's a lot of speed in this race as well, as we were talking about speed last time. And uh, that might set up nicely for Candy Raid. Mm -hmm. I should should mention that she's cross-entered in the Indiana Oaks, which falls on the same day this year. But uh, her trainer, Keith DeSormo, said yesterday when we were doing an interview uh, for the form that she would run in this spot. She'll run at Prairie Meadows. So good information is yeah I, I agree with you especially with the horse like when free like a girl draws the inside she may want to be a little aggressive to try to get a good spot and that could make things all a little bit quicker that you can see falconet showing some speed there you could see hartley showing some speed there and then to the outside no silver spoon here so now all of a sudden we could have combinations of what four horses right up on the front end miss hard knocks while she didn't show speed on the turf last time out she's also got plenty of speed in her arsenal so i agree with you mary it does look like from a gambling handicapping standpoint i'm probably going to try to look for a horse or two off the pace maybe candy raid maybe butterbean yeah butterbean won the local prep uh the panthers so she's got a win over the track and uh She's also won at this mile and the 16th distance. So she's got a couple of things in her favor too. Yeah. And you look, you know, it was a while ago, but at the end of 2021, she, when she was in the maiden rank, she was behind a horse named shotgun hottie. We saw shotgun hottie come back and finish second in the Delaware Oaks just last weekend. So mm-hmm. it just shows you that from a class standpoint, if you were maybe a little worried about some of the races she comes out of, she's actually competed with top notch company. Um, the Keeneland race was really good on April the 10th too, behind distinctly possible Miss Yearwood. So yeah, if, if the, if the race plays out as we are seeing, it might, she may get a a really nice trip in here too for Ken McPeak. And I'm always, I like when horses come and get a race at the track under their belt. Sometimes that local prep can really be nice because you're acclimated. You've been there. You just sort of, you've been through the barn before you've gone through everything you have to do at that racetrack. It's just a, a routine. Absolutely. And then some of these horses, for some of them, they'll be racing under the lights for the first time, but if they yes. have the opportunity to already do that, they'll have Great some point. familiarity with the situation. So Great yeah. point. As Lots of reasons for that. Sure. We continue on to the Iowa Derby. $250,000 up for grabs for three-year-olds. They'll be going a mile and a 16th in here. And I believe Ken McPeak has said that Rattle and Roll will be running at Indiana. Right? In, that, the, in the Indiana Derby on a quick turnaround. He's coming back on just a week. Yes. Uh, Mr. McPeak did say he would scratch. We talked earlier this week. And he also uh, told my colleague Marcus Hirsch that. And I also should let you know that Marcus Hirsch is reporting that Actuator also will go in the Indiana Derby. So we will have two defections. Great info. Thank you. So uh, of uh, 
of the 10 horse field. So we're looking at eight right now, if everything pans out, like, like we're reporting. And I, I feel like we've been, uh, we're going to sound like a broken record in here, but I think even with a couple of the scratches, uh, we could still see Rome showing some early speed, big blue <laughs> line showing some early speed, major sure. general. He wants to be close up. Conaher doesn't want to be too far out of it. Feel the fear. He wants to be right there. Um, Diamond Rim, you know, he's maybe a little bit more of a, a, a presser. Um, and ain't, ain't Live Grand is probably a little bit more of a presser too, but there could be combinations of maybe five horses all trying to to show the way and, and get some positioning here. It is an interesting race to see how it will set up because there's a chance Conaher uh, could prove to be, you know, the dominant speed in here. You're right based on the, you know, the fractions he set in his, in his effort and he's stretching out for the first time. So it is very interesting to see how this will develop. I'm very interesting to see Conaher run. Yeah. Um, uh, just uh, talking to his trainer, Mike Tomlinson, there's a lot of distance, um, you know, stamina on the, on the bottom side, the mayor, that family went two turns. This horse has a half. That's a three-time route winner. And um, I just don't, know what kind of cult this is i'm i'm, I'm just yeah. very interesting to see what he does gino he might be the real deal and as you were mentioning the pedigree what's nice is i can just click and pull up some of that pedigree right there yes. on drf uh, when you're using the formulator past performances and we can take one click to look at the chart of the race that he comes out of he just beat gunite who came back last week and looked very impressive winning the Maxfield, a $160,000 stakes race at Churchill. He earned a nice speed figure in doing so. So that compliments Conaher and that franks his form even more. Yeah, it gives him a little a little feel for his class, perhaps, that he just, you know, he just defeated a grade one winner. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. You're, uh, you're using all those tools to help you kind of assess this horse, and, and now we'll see if he does it in the flesh, if he does it on paper. What I did like talking to Mike Tomlinson was that, um, he said this is a very, uh, you know, this is a very rateable type of individual. Again, his speed might just put him right on the lead. He might just be that quick. But uh, the fact is that he's a very manageable type individual. Uh, the, the kind of horse he said that'll work, you know, whatever you want from him in the morning. So so that's a really nice recommendation on his mental mental abilities. <laughs> that's great on Conaher. The, the, the wild card for me, a horse that I would maybe throw into like a pick four or a pick five situation is the 10. Now, Jeleno, mm-hmm. I don't think is quite as good and as maybe as proven as some of the other top tier horses. But if we're, if we're sort of taking Conaher and some of his speed figures out and then looking at everybody else, I think if Conaher gets beat, it's probably because they go too quick early and he has to deal with a bunch of other early pace from some of the inside horses. With Rattle and Roll out of this race, there are not very many closers, horses who are really going to drop back and make one late run. And while Chileno took a while to break his maiden, he can close. And when you go in, dive into his races and look at some of the horses that he's faced, it's not as if he's been disgraced by horses like Trafalgar, best actor who came back to win his next start. He was behind Ethereal Road. He's been in some tough races. Uh, Kuchar, who actually was second in the Oaklawn Stakes and then was second behind Rattle and Roll in the American Derby. He was right behind that one. So for me, if I was looking for kind of a wild card in here, there are versions of this race where maybe they go a little too fast. And I could see Chilino at least picking up some pieces late and hitting the board. Yeah, and like you mentioned, those company lines are important. We the people's also. We the people. Company lines. 
So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, I think this horse has a nice foundation of races, and and that racing experience and that foundation will serve him well. And like you pointed out, the company lines are there. He's seen some class individuals, and he might have the right running style for this um, race. And then you know, of course, I, I would expect uh, or hopefully as a handicapper you'd like to see major general recapture his best form yep. getting back on dirt and back at a mile and the 16th and so you know that that wouldn't be a surprise at all to see him pop up and 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 uh run uh, to his to his potential that he showed uh, earlier in the year and last year at two his a game is really good and when you do, when you dig into his his form race by race you can kind of make excuses for some of the poor performances you know, uh, Tampa Bay Derby, okay, it was coming off a layoff. He was on a good track that day, and he just didn't have the best of starts. Then he comes back. He runs really well in the Lexington. They take a shot in the Pat Day Mile. Well, he's involved early in the pace. Jack Christopher has been a monster. He's looked incredible sure. in coming back in his last two. And then they take a chance on the turf. So now all of a sudden, you can be a little forgiving about a couple of those. And this feels like a good wake-up spot for him to – at least give a very good account of himself. Yeah, no, I agree. He's he's the kind of horse that, you know, I look forward to watching him run as well because he just, uh, he seems like he's got a horse that's got a nice second half of the year in him, hopefully. Yep. We are finishing up the conversation on the Saturday stakes races. We're looking at the past performances from DRF.com and we're talking with Mary Rampolini from DRF. Mary, we get to the Corn Husker, the grade three Corn Husker, which is race number nine on Saturday night. And they will go a mile and an eighth, $300,000. We've got a field of six, but we've got two millionaires. And we've got another horse who might become a millionaire if they were to win this race and they're favored. So not a group of 10 or 12, but a really, really solid group in here. And even when you look at the, the betting, the odds are concerned. There's one horse that's double digits. I mean, any of the others really wouldn't be a shock if they ran very, very well or won this thing. Yeah, it, it's an interesting race to read because I am curious to see if officiating just goes out, stretching out from the six furlongs mm-hmm. and can, you know, try to pull a wire job. He's going to uh, have, uh, you know, a real distance test going from that six furlongs to a mile and an eighth, but he's a son of blame. I find him very interesting. And uh, he's also a half to uh, Caledonia Road, the champion uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies winner from a few years ago. So there are reasons to believe, you know, he'll he'll be effective here. Um, and, but then I wonder what Flash of Mischief is going to do. He's, that horse has a lot of quickness, a lot of speed as well. So if they go, it could set up very nicely for for the Silver Prospectors, the Warrants, and the Rated R Superstars. I, I'm very anxious to see how this race sets up out of the gate. Yeah, I agree. Because in a smaller field, it's sometimes harder to project because – in a field of 10 or 12, and we know there's four or five speed horses, you can be pretty pretty sure that there's going to be an honest pace. But in a race like this where there's only six and you have one or two that could go or could sit, it kind of becomes a game of like a rider's game, a little game of cat and mouse sometimes. Yeah, it'll be, it will be very interesting. And then obviously, uh, like you said, I mean, they got to get out of the gate. So I, I'm anxious to see what officiating does. I, I do find him very interesting. In like here. a wild card. Yeah, to me he is. To me he is. So, um, so he's an interesting horse. And uh, I, how did you go here, Gino? Because I really back and forth between Silver 
prospect room warrant is a tough call between those two horses. I yeah, think. I if, think if, I'm, if you're down to those two, I think yeah, I I think I'll I'm probably leaning a little like at a mile and an eighth. If I think warrant may be a little bit better suited at a mile and an eighth than Silver Prospector, I'm I will say I disappointed may not be the right word, but I maybe expected a wanted a little bit more from Warrant after the Santa Anita handicap race where he was so good and he sure. came out here. And he almost won that race. And it was, you know, his second start as a four-year-old. So he came out of a race behind Mandaloon and Midnight Bourbon. And and then he got bet in the Ben Alley. And, you know, he was a little disappointing as your as your favorite to finish fourth in there. He came back and was was very good in the Brooklyn behind a nice horse named Fearless. And so I he's the horse in here that I'm the most interested in, and I think is a very nice one for Brad Cox. I would probably lean that way, but we gotta. We have to mention the cool nine-year-old who you did uh, <laughs> rated rated our superstar graded stakes winner. He's earned over one point six million, and you know, in an era in horse racing where we don't get to see horses run for m- many years, a lot of times, especially at the top levels, we'll see him for ten races sometimes, and that's it. To see a horse with sixty career starts that's nine years old that's won eleven times. And that's still going strong. It's it's really cool, and and I think it's something that we should you know give a testament to the connections Danny Caldwell and now trained by Federico Villafranco. Because when you're able to have a horse like this continue to train, even when they are a gelding late later in their career, it's something that we don't see as much in racing anymore. Now you have to appreciate a horse like that if you if you at all enjoy the sport of racing. Yeah, you have to appreciate a an old war horse and. Like you said, Gino, continuing to perform at a graded stakes level. You know, he was third in this race for the last two years. Um, and, uh, you know, he hooked Nick's go last year in this race. So, uh, so uh, yeah, you have to really give this horse his, his propers. And what's he got? Two stakes wins already this year at the age of nine, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, little sidebar for folks. Um, David Cabrera, who was aboard this horse for both of those stakes wins this year, had been sidelined, but David will be back on Rated R Superstar for the first time uh, since the Essex in March at Oakland, since this horse's last win. Uh, David um, will have his first mounts back Friday night at Lone Star Park, and then he'll head over to Prairie on Saturday, and he's back in full swing. So, yes, and they, they have a pretty special relationship, David and Rated R Superstar. David has uh, been someone that's opened my eyes quite a bit too. And that's the one thing in working at, at TVG years back and in covering all breeds, all horse, all levels from the bottom all the way to the top, just because some of the, just because someone's at one of the top tracks um, or I guess the better way to put it, because some of the, the folks may be running in the lower level races does not mean they are not talented or not as talented as the trainers, the jockeys, the owners, the horsemen at the big track. Sometimes it's all just about opportunity. And in seeing David Cabrera over the last couple of years, he is as good of a rider as there are out there. And he's he tra- he was able to go to Oaklawn and have very good success after riding in Texas for a while and it's something that I've uh, just had a chat with uh, trainer Shane Wilson, who does such a great job at Louisiana about one of the riders, Jose Guerrero, who rides for him. These are riders who are fantastic and could ride the best horses at the highest level. If just given the opportunity. 
Yeah, David. David wins a lot of races in this market, has racked up a lot of titles over the last several years. So he certainly rides with a lot of confidence. And yeah, like you said, I mean, the old adage is a good horse can come from anywhere. So, yep. you know, your talent can come from anywhere in racing. And uh, really what it takes is the horse underneath you or the horse behind your webbing. That's what makes a good rider and a good trainer excel. It, there's there's talent and their knowledge to bring out the best in that horse, but they have to have the individual to take them there. So uh, once they have those tools, yeah, yeah, people begin to see their talent that uh, maybe others knew they already had. We are so, so lucky to catch up with Mary Rampolini anytime we get the chance. Mary does a great job. She's the Mid-South Correspondent Handicapper for Daily Racing Form. You can see her articles and her work show up there all the time. She does a fantastic job with interviewing connections and getting us all prepared for uh, for day-to-day racing at all of the, the tracks that she covers. Mary, what kind of stuff do you have coming up or where's your focus going to be in the next, uh, you know, summertime? Let us know a little bit about what's ahead for you. Yeah, Gina. Well, Gina, first of all, I want to thank you for your enthusiasm for racing, period. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, you're a wonderful voice for racing and I appreciate that. Thank you so that. much. And, and I'm so happy you uh, are aligned with the Racing Form products because I wouldn't know how to handicap it other than off uh, daily Racing Form PPs. So yep, me too. <laughs> uh, that's my comfort zone. It's like knowing right where everything is in the store. Um, but uh, yeah, what we have going on, um, uh, Lone Star next weekend, next Saturday, has a nice round of grass stakes coming up. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a big card uh, for, for so really uh, high-end grass races, open company stakes. And then the following day, the following day on Sunday, the 17th, they'll put their Texas breads in the spotlight with several stakes uh, for the Texas bread or, um, you know, sales graduates. So kind of Texas oriented horses, largely Texas breads. So those are kind of the two major days we've got coming up at um, Lone Star Park. And you flip the calendar to August and we'll be looking for Remington Park to open and Louisiana Downs. Uh, to have its Louisiana Cup Day, which they've yeah. just announced uh, purses for each of those Louisiana bread stakes will be risen, um, will be kicked up to $67,000 each race. So so that's a nice boost for the Louisiana breeding program. Great stuff. Mary, we'll, uh, we'll bring you back and talk some Remington when they open up. They have some big days of racing coming up th- in their season. And Louisiana, as you mentioned, yeah, that's just a month away from their big stakes day too. So lots happening. And summer racing is a lot of fun. We know when Saratoga opens, Del Mar opens, and it just it's, it's a good energy with a, a lot of these tracks and uh, some big, big racing ahead. We're always going to go to drf.com, and the Daily Racing Forum products are what I use to help me get prepared each and every day. And Mary, I just cannot thank you enough. It's such a pleasure talking with you. Uh, always love your work. And uh, let's make some money this weekend. How's that sound? Absolutely. I'll be watching to see how these races go. I'm thinking of you, Gino. <laughs> thank you, Mary. Make sure to give her a follow there. Check out all of the work she does with DRF, with Daily Racing Form. And we'll have to bring Mary back very soon to talk some more races once again. Mary, thank you. You have a fantastic weekend. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Gino. Bye now. Don't go anywhere, folks. We still have a lot more to come on this episode. Make sure to go follow along with Mary, and you can check out all of the great work that she does at drf.com. Big thank you again to Mary for helping us out. Let's uh, let's finish up with some more Saturday racing. We head to Delaware. Another good card at Delaware. Big stakes race is on the card, so we're looking Delaware, July the 9th. The third race, I don't really have a strong opinion in there. Scylla 
is uh, a nice Louisiana bred who has been in some very, very tough races. Cinnabunny is another one who's, who's pretty capable. I just didn't have the strongest opinion in the world there, but I at least wanted to mention uh, a nice stakes. I'll probably use Jerry B, third start off the bench, five-year-old mare who comes out of a couple good races at Churchill, uh, if you're looking for perhaps a little bit of value there. So that would be the eight in race number three. But we move along to race number five, I believe, for the uh, the next stakes race. It's the Battery Park. They'll go a mile and a 16th on the main. You've got Tax in there. You've got Fat Man in there. The number five, Magic Michael, is a bit interesting to me. Magic Michael is a graded stakes winner going a little bit longer, but he did not race from December of 2021 to June of this year. And when he showed back up in June, he tried the turf. And in his three starts on the turf, he's just not really been that good, to be honest. He has not been close to as good as he's been on the main track where he's won 10 times in the other 23 starts of his career. Three of them on a wet track, seven on a fast dirt track. Magic Michael second off the bench, getting back to the dirt, sitting off the pace in here. I think there's a couple speeds that should set it up for him uh, towards the outside, which a lot of times is a pretty good indicator that they're going to have to go if they're drawn towards the outside, riding with Biden, Gentleman Joe, and Confessor. Oh, how about that? You got the ride in with Biden, gentleman, uh, gentleman Joe, exacto there. Uh, as Magic Michael is going to be the uh, the play for me. That's the five. He's five to one in race number five. Oh, five's a wild. As we move along to race number six, it's the Robert G. Dick Memorial. It's a Grade Three, going a mile and three eighths on the turf. I thought the five sister O'Toole was uh, a bit interesting. So she just didn't fire on May the seventh. In the Sheepshead Bay. Let's just put a line right through that race. Now, let's look at her turf form around those races. She doesn't have a great effort on the synthetic at Gulfstream Park when she was favored. That was her first... She was off for a couple months, and maybe she just didn't like the synthetic there. She only has one other synthetic race. It was at Woodbine. It was fine. She fits really well with this group. And even when she didn't run well in the Orchid on April the 2nd, wasn't like she had the smoothest trip in the world. She actually fits really well based on speed figures, even from that race. Sister O'Toole, the five is going to be in the mix for me. The six stand tall will definitely be in exotics and uh, and multi wagers there. The seventh race is the Delaware Handicap, Grade Two Delaware Handicap. Who goes with the one early? This doesn't feel like a really strong graded stakes race. There aren't a bunch of monsters in here. And there is no early speed. The three tonal vision has a little. The five micro cap, a little bit of like positional speed. But the inside draw, let's cruise, should be flying early. Can she go a mile and a quarter? Who knows? Is she quite this quality? Maybe not, but I, it doesn't feel like a deep, deep graded stakes race. The one let's cruise in the mix for me. At Delaware in race number seven, she's eight to one on the morning line. If we could get anything around five, I think that would be fair value on her trying to steal the race from the inside. So that's Delaware Park for Saturday. We've got one more track to dive into for Saturday. Louisiana Downs. Let's jump into the full card for Saturday, Louisiana. Looking at July the 9th, Saturday, Louisiana Downs. We're going to have early post times this weekend at Louisiana Downs to try to avoid the heat. 
So keep in mind, if you want to uh, play along, the race is this weekend at Louisiana Downs. Early post times, they're doing their best to just try to do what is right by the horses. It's been really, really uh, warm out there. And at Louisiana Downs is the place to follow them on social media if you ever need to get any more information. Post time for Saturday and Sunday, 11.45 a.m. Central Time, trying to get the... The race is done, out of the way, before the heat. So let's uh, let's jump on in and let's talk Louisiana Downs. Race number one for Saturday is going to be six and a half furlongs on the main track. And it's a non-winners of a race since March the 9th. I like the five here. Dream Halo was in tough last time out behind a wire-to-wire winner. He's a better animal on the main track. Two starts back, he again ran into a, a pretty tough horse. Dream Halo. Should get a setup here. Some class relief. The one, Hulin, didn't have the best trip last time out. He's probably the horse to beat with the inside draw. Expect them to get a little aggressive. The four, the, gla- the gray blur, did face tougher last time out. 5-1-4 in race number one. We turn the page to race number two. I'm going to go to the eight in here. These are Louisiana bred maiden 12-5 claimers. CF Congress. Okay, so both the seven or both the six and the eight, Ronald's Gatsby and CF Congress, they were in the same race on June the 18th. And a horse, they were the number seven and eight in that race. And a horse inside of them bolted and took both of them out. CF Congress got the worst of it. He really got floated out. And then he got bumped really hard. Then he came all the way back in the race and was right in striking range before rightfully fading. Ronald Gatsby got got it pretty bad too. And then he was able to tuck back in. He loomed up inside with serious intent, but that early trouble may have cost him just a little bit. He still ran a very, very good second there, Ronald Gatsby. So both of those two are in the mix for me. The one King Prin behind them, 8-6-1 in the second. Moving along to race number three. First time starters and maiden Philly two-year-old, some with just a race of experience. I'll go to the firster, the two Layla Ali, whose dam was a multiple winner and she won her second and third start. So she showed some precocity and she has produced seven foals that have raced that have won six of them multiple winners. And the barn is very good with first time starters, 18%. They've won with three of their last 14. They've won with 11 of their last 61, if you want to get that sample size a little bigger. The five cozy tap did not have a good start. Completely missed the break in her debut. She closed really, really well, and she showed that she's got ability, and she may be a lot quicker out of the gate this time. The three Corona Del Mar was quick out of the gate. She outfinished cozy tap, so she's a player right back. She's fast. She was part of a three-way battle, and she kind of Battled all the way, put some of those speeds away early on. 2-5-3 in the third. We go back to the turf in race number four. Louisiana bred allowance runners. I'm looking at the number three in here. That's Eve's Delight. Fort Polk is the logical favorite. She is a nice stakes winner. I think if she gets beat though, it's because maybe somebody can get in front of her. And try to steal the race. Eve's Delight has shown legit sprint speed in 
two of her last four races. In one of those races, going five on the turf, she was battling right on the lead. One of the four last races that I'm that I'm using as a sample size, when she didn't show at least positional speed, it was because she completely missed the break. The other three races, she was right on the lead or sitting just about a length off. I think she can get in front of Fort Polk early, and maybe that's how Fort Polk gets beat. So I'll use three, two, I'll go to the four, AG Charlotte, who's also in really nice form. Nothing wrong with the five dance away, but I like three, two a tad better with the four in the next spot, and then uh, the five, if you wanted to go a little deeper, that fourth race does begin the pick four. Race number five, $5,000 non-winners of two, five furlongs on the dirt. I thought this was a really difficult race, probably a, a race to spread out a little bit. The 1A Dixieland music comes back to the turf, second start off the bench, and there are a lot of horses with major question marks in here. I kind of know what we're going to get from Dixieland music at the 5,000 level. Can launch late, can pick up some pieces. I'm hoping we get that sort of effort in a race where there's a lot of other question marks, horses dropping off of poor, poor form. The one out, uh, the five Vegas guy is a horse who's been uh, a beaten favorite a few times before. Now we'll go second start off the long layoff, big drop down in class. He wouldn't be a shock, but he has a lot of speed and kind of in one dimensional. The seven, that's Candy Shopper, another one who's taken a big drop down from a, a non winners of two allowance last time out and was vanned off the track. Two starts back, an effort like that would go a long way in here. What do you do with a horse like Toolbox, who was claimed by Greg Tracy, and this horse has has shown he gets out a little bit. The shorter, the five furlong distance, a short trip, which is what he got last time, could help. The drop could help. He wouldn't be a shock if he was able to clear or show good speed. I have a hard time trusting any of those horses I mentioned. Even the six market brook, dropper with speed, but others have speed in here. The four, the five, the six, and the seven are all horses that are getting class relief. Wouldn't be a shock, but they're really hard to trust. So I'll probably be using combinations of them with the one, with the three, in a very wide open fifth race. Race number six, back to the turf course. We've got an optional 16, non-winners of two. I've been a big fan of the 1A silent tap in a couple starts at this meet so far. He's had a really nice career. You can kind of go race by race through what he's done, in particular his, uh, his outings on the turf. And I don't really have much to complain about with what we get from him. He's pretty versatile, too. Just looking at his last two races and what he's been able to do, he had to make a big, wide move and just came up a tad short on May the 8th, came right back on May the 30th with a nice win. I still can't believe he was almost 6-1 to one again that day and beat a rival who came right back to win their next start. Oh, my aching arch. You've got the 7 Haley Sailor who gets back to turf, had not raced from the end of January to June. He probably needed that race, and it was not bad. It should set him up well for this one. 1A and 7 are my top two. It's hard to really knock what Buddy Rowe has done recently. He's looked like a completely different horse. He crushed a field by 13 on May the 23rd on the dirt in a race that was taken off the turf. Came back on June the 13th in a much tougher spot. And he was really good. It was a tough turf sprint, non-winners of three in an allowance. He was 25-1 to 1 
and he took it right to the favorite and beat him. The five, Mangalasan. He's obviously capable. He's a stakes winner. He just seems like he's pretty one-dimensional. I'm a little worried that he's going to have Citizen West right next door breathing down his neck. Creme de Bali for the Shane Wilson barn is part of the entry, and that's probably the one that'll show more speed of the entry. He's been on the lead sprinting, going five. Then you got the six, Citizen West, who's really quick stretching out. I'll have the 1A and 7 as my top tier, the 3 right behind them, then the speed horses, the 5, the 6, not exactly sure what to do with them. 1A, 7, we'll build a lot of tickets around those two in race 6. Moving to the 7th and final at Louisiana, we've got Maiden 5,000 claimers, 6 furlongs on the dirt. I'm going to go to the 5, Impending Breeze, who's going to drop in class again, searching for where she fits, gets back to the dirt, Second off the long layoff. Her last start was not that bad. Impending Breeze will be using along with the 9. That feels like the obvious horse to beat. Tap in time. Who dropped in class. Finished second. And found that it's probably the right level for her. The one lucky deal is a first time starter. For a barn who's been kind of sneaky good with their firsters. 4 for 12. The last 5 years sample size in uh, DRF. And 4 for the last 8. So over that 4 for 12 sample, that's a $3.17 ROI. For, for every 2 bucks you bet, you get back three seventeen. That's not bad. And Lucky Deal is a daughter of a dam who's produced 6 foals to race, all winners, 5 multiple winners. One of them won their debut. One horse could be a little sneaky. The 7 Sweet Jackie Lee... She's 0 for 17. She's really tough to trust. She's been flashing a lot more speed lately, and there is no proven speed in here on paper. That's why I almost want to give the 2 a little bit of a look also. I would not be shocked if Yes, I'm a Lady was forwardly placed again in here, and third off the bench, that could go a long way where there just isn't much early lick. 5-1, or 5-9-1-7-2. That was the order I had him. And depending on how deep you want to go or what you want to use in your exotics there. So that's Louisiana Downs for Saturday. We're going to get on into an interview now with the leading trainer at Louisiana Downs, Shane Wilson, who just continues to have better year after better year. Horses that are winning bigger races. And we get the chance to talk with him about how he got into racing, about family, about how uh, how he operates his barn and uh, owners. It was a really great conversation with trainer Shane Wilson. Kick back and enjoy. Very excited for this next conversation. I'll be talking for the first time on That's What G Said podcast and for a social media interview with Louisiana Downs leading trainer Shane Wilson. He had a fantastic 2021 uh, overall and at Louisiana Downs where he won the trainer's title by 15 mounts. So far this year in 2022, Shane is already up by 11 wins over some fantastic trainers like Steve Asmussen, Carl Broberg, Joe Foster, Greg Tracy. Very excited to talk with trainer Shane Wilson for the first time. Shane, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking some time. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. So I always like to ask people right off the bat, how did you get into horse racing? Because it's not like 
it's 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 a niche sport, right? It's not like something that is the most mainstream. It's not as if you just um, you know, you're one of your friends and you go to the local place to get the job. How did you get into it? For most people, it's family, but in in reading about you, it seemed like it was a little different for you. Yeah, I um uh, I really just got into it. Um I was I was a 15-year-old kid wanting to get a vehicle, you know, as soon as I got a driver's license and uh, my my parents I grew up right on top of the hill in Espanita there in Halton from Louisiana Downs. I could hear the race calling when I'd be playing basketball in the driveway when I was a kid. And uh, I wanted to get a vehicle. My father told me if I got a vehicle, he was co-signing for it, but I had to make the payments on it. So I had to get a job. And uh, I went to work at McDonald's in Halton up there. And uh, one morning, a, a gentleman came in early and I asked him if he was fishing or what he was doing. And he said he was working at the track grabbing a coffee before he went to work and uh, asked him if there was anything that I could do down there to, to make a living. And he told me they'd pay you $125 to cool the horses out, walking them around the barn. I was making 75 a week at McDonald's. So the next morning I was at the track uh, trying to get a job there. And I got a job with Jack Vanberg, uh, actually in the same barn that I'm in now in B9. I had wow. got my first job there. And, uh, Man, I thought it was great. I got to just, you know, I played football and basketball, and I thought, well, shoot, this would be an easy deal, just walk some horses. But I grew up in a subdivision. My father retired from the Navy and then worked construction, and I'd never touched a horse before and just walked down there and got a job. And the first horse they handed to me was a black stallion for John Franks named Frightener. And he bit me about four times before I could make one round around the horn. <laughs> and I, I couldn't believe it. And, and look, luckily there was a... a groom there they called him puppy dog is a black gentleman he's an older guy and he says get get the horse away from this greenhorn before he kills him and uh, look, they started letting me have some of the easy ones after that and and uh shoot it just went from there to every summer when i got out of school we went to the track and uh worked for uh vanberg and david jelpy and then uh, i'd work there until football season two a days would start and then go so i was able to make enough money in the summer to make my 118 a month truck note throughout school so I didn't have to work and I uh man you know you just you get it you get really attached to it and you know from playing sports I like the the competition I like going up there and the winning and you know whenever uh I went to Louisiana Tech and tried to play football and I wasn't I wasn't good enough at that so only thing I'd ever done was worked at the track so I just went back to the track and and uh, went back and got a job working for Bobby Barnett and Tom Amos and worked for Sam David uh, shoot about seven years. I think I was with Sam and we won the Kentucky Oaks while I worked for Sam and just, uh, got hooked on it. And and it feels like the one thing in watching your operation and just talking with you a little bit here and doing some of the research that I did asking around a little about you, it, it seems like for you, one thing that you learned from your background in football and sports, and you mentioned construction a little bit too. My dad's actually a general contractor. It, that, that is all very hard work. And in working for Vanberg early on, it seems like you established that you were going to be someone who was never going to cut corners. You you feel like you're always wanting to attack the challenge head on, not take the easy way out, and just try to outwork everyone. Does that seem sort of accurate? You know, yeah, really, it is. Um, you know, even when I played sports, you know, I wasn't the, the biggest guy or the tallest guy, but I, I studied lots of films. I lifted weights a lot. And uh, I just always kind of, you know, my father would tell me, why don't you take a day off, you know, from, from lifting weights or running or whatever. And I tell him, if I take one day off, that means somebody in the city is one day ahead of me. Yep, you're going to get behind. So, 
Yep. Yeah. So I, so I would never miss a day raining or whatever it was. I was, I was dragging the tire in the sand dunes or I was lifting weights or, you know, going to the track, I mean, running the stadiums and, you know, like I said, I, and I'm, I made honors in sports, all district, all area, all parish, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I never was that good. And I try to teach my sons that I say, you know, you can, you can beat somebody, even if you're not the greatest athlete, if you'll outwork them and you're more prepared than they are, you can beat them. And I feel the same way in horse racing. You know, I think if you, you know, you watch the films and you study and you study and you study your horse, why, why is he not winning? What are we doing wrong here? And, you know, you try to feed them everything you can feed them and give them the best nutrition you can give them. And, and I think if you, if you're more into it and you work harder, you know, you can beat guys, you know, cause you're not always going to have the best athlete in the race, but if you study the race, you study the pace, you know, and you got a rider that works with you and, you know, you can uh, you can beat them sometimes if you're more prepared, even if they have a better athlete than you. And it feels like your owners, they know that about you. They have faith. They have trust in you. They have been with you for a while. And like we're talking about right here, it's not easy, this sport. And, and anything you're doing, it's not easy to immediately just become very, very successful. It's been a process for you. And it's been a process that has taken you to your last two years of having the best years you've ever had before. Can What do you think is is some of the reason for that? Is it just, you know, having these owners that have stuck with you? You've, you've Things have finally gotten a little bit lucky. You, you know, maybe just the right place at the right time. I don't like saying luck because although the definition of luck is when preparation meets opportunity, you're opportunity. certainly prepared yeah. for that opportunity. What, what do you think is the reason why you've had so much more success over the last couple of years um, where you are just your numbers, your percentages, the amount uh, per start that you're earning, everything seems to be climbing. Uh, you know, I think you learn, you know, early on, I, I was just, uh, you know, I was hard headed, you know, and uh, when I first started this, you know, my father, my father asked me, he came down first time I ran a horse, I ran a filly named Wall Street heiress and she run third. She'd been with another trainer and the people gave me a chance with her and she ran a third. It was the best race she ever run. And I was so mad. I couldn't <laughs> believe that we got beat, you know, and uh, my, my father come around to the barn and he brought me out to the, to the street and he said, you know, I want to talk to you about something. And I said, what's that? He said, uh, he goes, do you think this is really what you want to do? And uh, I said, what, what do you mean? I don't understand. He said, son, everything you've ever wanted to do is winning. He said, whether you're playing chess or, chess or checkers or you're playing basketball, whatever, he said, you had to win at whatever you're doing. And he said, you know, you can feed these animals everything you feed them and you can do everything you can do for them, but they may not want to win as bad as you want to win. And that may drive you crazy. And uh, you know what? Early on, it did. You know, I'd lay at night looking at the bed and the ceiling and, you know, trying to figure out what I'm doing wrong. And, you know, as, as you go through it and you get older and you learn, you know, you start learning that some of them really don't want to do this job. Yeah. You know, as bad as you're, as bad as you're going to try to make them, you know, you try to send them to the front, you try to take them back, you try to put them on the turf, blinkers on, LASIX off, laces with, you know. And at the end of the day, you just got to say, you know what, this sucker don't want to do this. And yeah. you, know, you, you spend a lot of time early on before you learn that, you know, and as, as I've gotten older, I think the best thing that we can do as trainers is soon as you see that this horse is not going to make it or he don't want to do it, he doesn't have the talent to do it or whatever, you got to try to get your owner away from him as soon as you can before they lose more money, yeah, you know, in the deal. And, Just be uh, honest, you know, right? Being honest yeah, and upfront yeah. from the very and, beginning. And you know what? And from, from the beginning, you're always so concerned with being fired 
you know, like me, I got married and went into business for myself and had a son, you know, a year and a half later. And so from then on, you know, when you borrowed at $10,000 to buy buckets and tubs, and then all of a sudden three weeks into being on your own, you don't have any money to pay your payroll. And, you know, you're fighting, you know, you're fighting uphill the whole time. And you're so afraid to lose a horse because you need every bit of money that comes in every month to try to pay for everything. And, uh, you know, I think I hung on to horses longer than I should have. You know, and uh, as I've gotten older, I realized that. And, uh, you know, I'm so and, lucky that the, the clients that I have, I mean, I'm, I, I know some guys that are good horsemen and they never get a chance to, to really show what they can do. They never get the athletes to do it, you know, and uh, I, I'll tell anybody, that, and if you don't believe it, you, you're crazy, but what we do is no different than coaching basketball or coaching football. You know, you can be a, as good a coach as you want to be. And if you don't have any athletes, you never, nobody you no ever shot. knows you can <laughs> No, yeah, I mean, I, I give I give the example of Phil Jackson all the time. You know, Phil Jackson wasn't a super coach until he got Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And then mm-hmm. whenever he quit, when did he come back? He came back when he could coach Shaq and Kobe with the Lakers. <laughs> exactly. You know? And it's the same thing with us. And, and I understand the guys that get the really good horses, they get them because they're the guys that can get the job done when they have the really good horses. You know, but but to get to that point to where you can get a good horse, Man, it's a fight. You know, when you're dealing with $5,000 maidens and, and every – I mean, I can remember whenever we'd win a non-winners or two for $5,000 race, we would be so excited, so thankful just to win one race this month. You know, now if we don't win a race during a week, it's like, dang, it's a bad week. It's this a, you know, it's but, the, per, the perspective is flipped a little bit, right? Yeah, it, yeah it's changed. Yeah. And, and you know what? And I, like I was about to say, it, it's all – like with me, myself, it's, it's my owners. You know, I've been so blessed, you know, the whole time – now, we started this in 1998, and, and I'm telling you, I borrowed $10,000 from Hibernia Bank, had no buckets, tubs, nothing. Wow. And, I mean, we, we've been we've been a couple of truck notes behind and car note, you know, house payments behind, got to pay the kids private school. And, you know, but I, I've been blessed to have these guys that have stick, stuck with me because in today's world where everything is getting on Equibase and looking at your win percentage, looking at your first time off a claim, six, 60 days winning percentage off the turf, Everything is so win percentage now, and and I've been blessed to have these guys that they were with me when I was winning six percent because they they knew that I was honest with them and they knew we were absolutely doing everything we could do to try to win, just didn't wasn't getting it done, you know. And and these guys that I've I've had for so long, I mean I, I've been with Joe Hackler since 1999. Me and Mr. Davis were going on 15 years. Uh, Jim Reeves. 14 years, David Fontenot, 14, 13 years, I think. Wow. Uh, Kevin Fontenot, me and him been together for almost 10 years. I mean, my, my newest clients are, you know, a couple of years, but my core base guys that, that keep me with around 40 horses all the time, I mean, we've been together 10 and 12, 14 years. And, you know, I'll tell you a perfect example of, you know, whenever the, the COVID hit and we couldn't race anywhere and I'm watching these other clients, I mean, these other trainers, friends of mine are, they're going from 15, 20 horses down to one and two because people are picking horses up and turning them out because they're not paying bills on horses that whenever we can't race. Yeah. And you, and you know what? I had I had 44 horses at Evangeline Downs when that happened. And they we moved to Louisiana Downs because they were going to start racing and Evangeline didn't have a plan. And, you know, I, ne- I didn't lose a horse out of my wow. stable. My clients, my clients paid me my day rate and we were just riding horses around the barn empty barns next to us and stuff as much as we could. And, and I have clients that would call me and they'd say, 
Shane, don't let your bills get behind on you guys because you can't run your horses. You know, if you need anything, you know, you just ask us wow. and, you know, we'll help you, we'll help you get through this. And, you what know, a family. I, I think yeah, I mean, I've just been so blessed, you know. I mean, even back whenever we had, we went from John Franks to Feral Rider and then, you know, those guys passed away and it just, we've always been blessed enough that somebody else comes along, you know, and uh, it is, it's a, it's a hard, hard, hard game. And, uh, you know, I, I got two sons and, I, you know, everybody says, which one of them is going to be the trainer? And I, tell, I don't want either one of them to be the trainer. You know, I, I want them to, I want them to have a job where they have weekends and holidays and, and, uh, you know, retirement and 401ks. And it's, it's a hard sport, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to get away from it, you know, once you get in it, you know, cause the, the winning is just, you know, you can have the worst, worst day you've ever had and then go up there and win a race. And every man, it just, everything's over the top again, you know? It's, there's uh, nothing like that feeling. You remind me a lot of my dad and, and, and a lot of the stuff that you're saying, because you're right. When I was growing up, our family was a lot into uh, construction. We had a business and he would say the same things to me. He would say, son, I don't want you to do that. I want you to go somewhere where, you know, every two weeks you're getting a paycheck that's coming in. It's coming at this time. I want it to be more steady. I don't want you to hit a nail through your hands. So just, uh, yeah. you know, a um, oh, yeah. lo lot of similarities. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and you know what? And, I love it. I mean, I, if I could go back and do it all over again, I wouldn't do anything different. You know, I was I was telling my oldest son that he's a he'll be a senior at LSU. This and so year. The, is that Peyton or Con is that Peyton or Connor? Yeah, yeah, Peyton. Peyton's the senior. He's a okay. he's actually num he's number one in engineering at LSU right now. Wow. He has like a four four point one three or something in engineering, and uh, so excited about the future he has for him. But we we were talking, and I I told him I said uh, I said man, you know. I know with me doing what I'm doing, I said, you know, a lot of times I couldn't be there. And, and uh, you know, he stopped me and he said, man, dad, just think about where everywhere we've been with these horses. He said, you know, we we lived in Shreveport and Bossier. We lived in Lafayette. He said, we, we go to New Orleans. He said, we've been to Oklahoma City. We've been to Churchill Downs. We've been, he said, man, don't ever feel like that. He said, look at all the places that the horses have taken us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and. I feel the same way, you know, shoot, I, I love these things. And, and I, used to with me, it was, it was the competition and the trying to win. And, but the older I get, I mean, I, I just look forward to every day. I don't, I, we don't, I don't take a day off. We don't take a vacation. You know, I'm there seven days a week and uh, I can't wait to get out there to watch them train to see who's, you know, I can tell you just like a perfect example. I got a horse named Tiger Beach and uh, he's a seven year old guy. And for whatever reason, I can't even tell you why, but in the last two months, He's like completely different. He used to be a guy that would work 51, 52 and just kind of walk to the track and do his thing. And then before his second to the last race, he uh, he starts going onto the track and he's squealing and jumping whenever he's coming onto the track before he trains. <laughs> and, you know, I, I told my son, he whenever he ran here last week, I said, I said, you know, I don't, Connor likes to bet the horses. And I, I said, if you're going to bet anything this week, you bet Tiger Beach. And he said, why do you say that? And I said, Son, he's never ever been so energetic and so excited about his training, and I can't tell you why. We feed him the same way; we do everything. But he would just immediately come onto the track and just start jumping all four feet off the ground and squealing and kicking before he ever started training. You know, and he went out there the other day and he won a claiming twelve five race and running took a field gate to wire. <laughs> it just it just drew away, you know. But you know, that's what's so fun to me is is to see all the different personalities. You know, you have the ones that. You know, they can't wait for you to come there and cut the light on in the morning because they want you to love on them and pet them and give them a kiss or a peppermint or whatever. Then you have the ones that just stand at the back of the stall and you're trying to get them to come to you. They'll look at you like you ain't even there. They just look, turn their head and go back to eating. Hey, they could care less, you know. And But then, you, you know, you, you know, they're different personalities and you get to see them train every day. And 
you know, I, I just, I feel so blessed every day that I get to get up and go do something that I look forward to doing. You know, it's not, it's not a, you know, you got to put your boots on and wait till you can get off of work this afternoon and get out of job, you know, but, you know, I just it look forward so much every day to going out there and, and seeing the, the horses and their attitudes and personalities. And uh, some of them have been uh, memorable horses. I mean, they're all memorable in their different ways, but big name horses too. I had to talk with you about one that uh, that I'm sure is is one that holds a very special place in your heart, Mosito Rojo, who you actually claimed <laughs> out of his first start for $10,000, and then you brought him back one time for claiming, right? And was he protected after that? Yeah, first time back. Uh... I actually, we had to shake for him, and uh, we won the shake first time. I was a two-way shake, and uh, he had he had a stress fracture in one shin, and he and he had shin bucked in the other shin. So I claimed him in December, and I didn't didn't get to run him back until May. And uh, you know, you know, and talking about owners, I mean that right there. How many owners will let you do that? We'll do that. Horse for ten thousand, and and you come back and say, well, he's got short shins, sore shins. They're gonna say, well sit on him till he's out of jail and run him for five and let's go to the next one. And Mr. Davis, Wayne, Wayne Davis, he, uh, I called him and the horse won by three or four lengths first time out, made in 10, you know, nothing, not a big number, nothing exciting, but a really good looking coat, good bodied horse. He had a full sister made 125,000. He's second foal out of the mare. And, uh, he comes back and he's sore. And Mr. Davis calls me the next morning. And he said, you know, what does it look like? And I said, man, he can't even hardly get out of the stall. He's so sore. And he said like, broke down sore or I said no I think just like I can work on his shins and you know it may take a few months but I think we can do it and he said well if you think he's worth it then you know do whatever we gotta do and so man we we uh we blistered him and worked on his shins and fed him some uh high silicone products to increase his bone density and uh we almost had him back and one morning I was breezing him and uh nice easy half and Lee Thomas had a horse go blowing by us around the turn he takes off with Lee's horse and they have they have like the second fastest work of the day Come oh, in no. the next morning, <laughs> he's sore again. So we're right back, starting all over again from the first one. So, yeah, actually, the first time back, I ran him in a non – I took him for 10. I run him back non-winners, a two for 10, first race back. And uh, the, the thought was he had worked really good before, but the thought was if, he, if we can get away with it, then he'll be 10,000 starter eligible for a couple years. And and then I thought, you know, what, what person would – I would claim a horse for 10,000, sit on him from December to May, 99% of the people in the world will be looking at me and laughing and saying that Tom Amos stuck a bad horse on me and I'm yeah. running back for 10. And that, that was what I, I told Mr. Davis. I said, I don't think they'll claim him. I think they're going to think we got stuck and we're just trying to get rid of the horse. Well, he ran, he wins by like seven and a half lengths that day going <laughs> six and a half per horse. And, Never, never has it been in for a claiming race since. <laughs> <laughs> he wins after that. 18 more races in his 41 starts so far. Uh, Mosito Rojo, unbelievable. Over $900,000 in earnings. And this is the type of thing that, you know, you hear, you hear stories of. This is the type of thing that, honestly, like movies and books are, are written yeah. out. Horses like this. And this is yeah. something that, you know what? it really did help put you on the map on like the national spotlight because you had started to really build momentum and you had started to, like you said, your owners had been with you for a while and it was starting to, your numbers were starting to pick up. You're getting a little bit better stock. Like you said, you're figuring things out yeah. a little bit. And now you get a big horse like this where 
you're able to go win multiple graded stakes races all around the country. You show up places and people are talking about your horse. What did that feel like being, you know, instead of being in the races, getting your horses set up, maybe being the one who is looking to dethrone some of the big barns and big favorites, all of a sudden that's you now. Well, you know, we um, we kept him in those 10,000 starter allowance races. You know, I knew, let's see, you see, he won a nine, two for 10. And then I um, I brought him to Shreveport and he won an A other than allowance race. And we tried him on the turf and he kind of just went around there. But then I was I was going to run him in a 10,000 starter at Evangeline sprinting. He was like, a, he was like a non-winners of three or four. I think, yeah, non-winners of four. But it was the end of the meet. And I said, you know, I'm going to work him once and then we're going to run him. Well, he'd been kind of just a colt that would go around there. He'd just kind of go around there. And uh, I work him, and he works a half mile in like 47 flat, gallops out in 59 and some change after winning the A other than at Louisiana Downs. He's just a three-year-old, and I, me and my son was on the rail, and I said, man, you know what? This this horse might might really have a chance to be something, I said, because he's <laughs> never ma never made a move like that ever. So we run him in this 10,000 starter, and he's in there with a couple – I mean, you're running a three-year-old against older 10,000 starter horses that are made two and $300,000 old class horses. Yeah. And he, he breaks about fifth on the backside and Philemon Rodriguez is riding him. Then he swings him in the middle of the track and he draws away and wins by like six, seven lengths, just ran away from these older horses. And it was like, dang, I said, you know, I think this could be a steak horse. <laughs> but what, what we wanted to do was he was still eligible for 10,000 starters. So, we tried to keep him in the 10,000 starter, and he kept winning them and winning them, and he'd, he'd win them on the turf, he'd win them on the dirt. But my thought was, we're going to keep him in these spots until he's not eligible anymore, rather than diving him right off into some bigger sure. races and getting him beat up. Let's get his confidence up. Let's get his momentum. So he got to the point to where when he went up there, he expected to go to the winner's circle, get his picture made, and go to the test barn. That's what we do every time we go up there. And, uh, shoot, I mean, the few times he got beat early on, it was more of his trainer trying to make him run inside the horses and you know I was trying to make him do what I wanted him to do and then you know Philemon kept telling me he said he hates being inside of horses Shane he likes to be on the outside where he can lean on the other horses he can put the pressure on him them he said but he doesn't like being down in the sand in his face and all that and so we we kept him in those races and um then he won the Delta Mile down there and when he won the Delta Mile I got to looking at the horses that are running in the New Orleans handicap and they were running really similar numbers and so Mr. Davis, just being him, I mean, man, he's he's just a great, great, great client. And I told him, I said, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I want to try this Steve Sexton mile at Lone Star with Macedo Rojo. And he said, how much is that for us? It's 300000 He said, wow, 300000 yeah. He said, <laughs> he said what, what, do you, what are you thinking here? I said, well, they have the Oakland handicap. They have the New Orleans handicap. They had a race at Santa Anita was going to keep the horses in Florida. New Orleans handicap is going to keep the horses in New Orleans. Oakland is going to keep the ones at Oakland. And they had the Charlestown Classic. I said, you know, I don't really know how, what all is going to show up for this race at Lone Star because it's summertime in Texas and everybody's got to travel. I said, so let's nominate and just look at it. So we nominated and they had a, Steve had a couple of horses that he had nominated him. But for the most part, we were in like the top five as far as our speed figures and, and numbers at the mile distance. So we went over there and did it. And, uh, man, it was is, uh, you know, that was the first time you you always think, you know, if I had the horse, I could do what they do, you know, and, but, but you never really know it until you get to do it. And so you sit down, you map out his workouts. He liked to, he liked to have a slow work about 10 days before the race. And so 
you know, you map up your training chart and you're doing everything the way you want to do it. You work him his 10 days out. You ship him a couple of days ahead of time, let him settle in. And, you know, so you think you got your plan right. And then when you walk up there and you're looking at the other horses in the paddock and you're like, dang, I don't really know if this is going to work or not. And then he goes out there and does it and just draws away. You know, it, it's such a, a feeling of accomplishment, you know, for someone that's never done that before. And to have the hope that he can be that good and he does it, you know, it, it was it was a super, super day for us. Me and me and my two sons, we took him over there and stayed in the hotel a couple of days ahead of time. And, uh, you know, shoot, it was, it was great. Becky, my wife, she stayed home with the rest of the horses and held down the held down the fort while me and the boys went to Dallas. And shoot, we wanted him. I mean, man, he's just been a, a special horse. You know, he uh, like I said, I can I can tell you the times he got beat. I can usually point to the trainer and I can tell you. I'm the one that got him beat running back too soon or, you know, when he, when he won the Steve, the uh, Lucas classic at Churchill and, you know, everything in my mind told me to take him home, rest him, we'll find another spot. And, you know, then he gets home and you, you get to watch him. He's eating everything. He's feeling good. And I turn right around and take him right back to Keeneland, run him on a sloppy track that he doesn't like to slop and he runs terrible. And then, you know, you're mad at yourself because I, I, I got him beat, you know, I mean, he, mm-hmm. uh, if, if he has enough time between his races and he he had the right spot and the right trip, I mean, he, he got the job done and made me look good so many times, you know, ma- made me look like I could train even if it was just him doing his thing, you know. So amazing to, to hear the story of, like, just figuring a horse like that out, right? It wasn't – it. Th- that's what I love about horse racing because as we're talking with trainer Shane Wilson, who's now coming up on 700 career victories, it wasn't – 300 wins right off the bat for you in your first year. It's not that way for most people, for most people getting into racing, getting into any sports. You've mentioned football a few times. I always compare horse racing to baseball because with the percentages and the numbers, it's very similar. We're going to be the best, best, best in horse racing are losing 75% of the time. You know, it's even when you're the best, it's not going to be a whole lot of winning and it's never direct. It's never a plus B equals C. It's not linear. Sometimes you'll have a horse that's immediately great. Others you'll have a horse like that, like that. You have a couple good races and then you stop on and you start and you stop and you figured out that he didn't like the inside quite as much. And this is the way he Mm -hmm. wanted to train. And um, it's, it's amazing because there's no, there's no book, right? You can pick up a book and learn some of the things to do to be a trainer, but nothing's going to tell you exactly what to do with each and every horse. No, you know, that, and I, I tell the young guys, you know, I tell guys that are just starting out, you know, there's some that are here, been training for a couple of years, and I tell them, I say, man, you know what, anytime, anytime you have any questions about anything, if you, if you have a quarter crack in a foot or if you have a horse tying up, you know, get cramping his muscles, I said, man, come by the barn and talk to me. I'll I help anybody anyway because it's taken me since 1998, and I, I've done so many things wrong for so long, and there's no reason for you to have to have all the defeats before you figure out how to do it right. You know, ask me. I said, man, I, I'll help you because you're going to do it wrong so many times. You're going to get lucky sometimes, and it's going to work out right when you're first starting out. But, you know, with, with ankles and shin injuries and feet and, you know, horses bleeding and, you know, you're going to you're gonna try this and try that and try, and you're going to lose and lose and lose. And then through the losing, you learn next time, I'm not doing it that way. And last time I did it this way, it worked. And, 
you know, I tell these guys, I said, man, don't ever think you can't ask me because, shoot, I'll, I'll help you because I, I can promise you, I can tell you how to not do a lot of stuff in the business. <laughs> yeah. We made a lot, of, a lot of mistakes we had to learn from for years and years. So, Shane, tell us, let's say it's a normal day where you have maybe three or four horses running at Louisiana Downs. What is your schedule mm-hmm. like? What, what time do you get up, go to the barn? Do you have a break in between? And then after the races, take us through a typical day where you've got, you know, normal working workers in the morning and then a few, a uh, few on the cart. Uh, I, I, my normal schedule, I go to bed at 10 and get up at four every day and uh, we're up at four and out the door and, you know, you get to the barn and uh, we like to give stomach medicine as soon as we get there whenever the horses you know first get up and then uh, we usually have you know somewhere between 35 and 45 to go to the track in the mornings we train them and then I usually breeze horses at 6 30 and then come back with another group of work- workers after the break at uh eight o'clock where they renovate the track and you know so we roll pretty much from the time the track opens at 5 30 until it closes at 9 30 we're there and then after 9 30 we're bringing horses to the paddock to school horses in the paddock that are running the, this coming week, you know, to let them get a look at the paddock and see how they are. And then uh, back to the barn after schooling and I sit down and do the training chart for the horses for the next day. So I like to try to have everything finished. And then in between that, you know, you're calling in entries during the 730 to eight o'clock break. We're entering horses and, you know, then uh, the vet comes by at five. We give him a list of the stuff we want to do. And then he comes back after training so we're doing the vet work we need to do on the horses and uh blacksmiths you know shoeing horses and uh by the time usually we get there by the time we leave the barn it's usually noon 12 30 something like that and uh, one o'clock maybe and run home get a bite to eat change clothes and head back to the track and you know just depending on the post time when it's a three o'clock post you know a lot of times we're out there till 7 30 8 o'clock at night finishing up cooling out the horses and uh you know getting getting the stuff ready for the next day and you know you're home get home at eight o'clock take a shower get something to eat and in bed at 10 o'clock and back up at four o'clock rolling again the next day do it all over again and the one thing we notice about you it does not matter if it is 105 degrees you are dressed for success you and your sons all <laughs> are always there's some of the sharpest dressed folks out at the racetrack is that something that was you know, like instilled at you from a young age. That's something that I, you know, like I mentioned my dad and like we all learn from our family members. Is that, is, is there a reasoning for that? You just want to be out there looking good because I, I will tell you it's yeah. noticeable and I love it. You just look sharp no matter what, when you're, when you're getting ready, you're getting horses ready in the paddock, we go right to you and you look like you're ready to handle biz. Well, you know what? I, like I said, my father was a, was a military guy. So you always had your hair short, you had your shirt tucked in, you know, you had a belt on, you know, yes, the way we always looked. And, um, you know, like I tell my sons, you know, the, this is the way I feel about it. I say, when you go to the paddock, you're representing yourself. And I think you're, you're going to work. Yep. You know, that's, you're, just, you're, you're no different than the guy that's going over here to the accounting firm today to do his job. So when we're going to the races in the afternoon, you're going to work. So you need to look like you're going to work. You're a professional. And when you're there, you're representing yourself, you're representing your family, and you're representing your clients that pay you to do this. So you look like, I think you should look like a professional when you go to work. Cause, so that's what, that's what we do. You know, every, Everybody's got their different ideas or whatever, but that's the way I feel about it. I feel like I'm getting paid to do a job and you go out there and you 
represent yourself and your clients and your family in a professional manner. And let's talk a little bit about your family. You've mentioned um, a a couple different times, a couple sons, Peyton and Connor. Um, Tell us about your family. We see them out there helping you with horses on the track. I've uh, just interacted a little bit with some of them on social media, and it seems like they have a very good head on their shoulders with what you've been telling us with some of the the schooling that they're into. Just give us a little background on the family. Uh, Well, my wife's Becky, and uh, we got married in uh, 98. Same thing. We dated for a year and got married, been together ever since. And uh, she was an assistant trainer for her father, Jim O'Brien. And uh, I was assistant trainer for Sam David. We are in barns next to one another and uh, got to dating. And went out on a date one night to El Chico's to have dinner, and, and we've never been apart. We've been together ever <laughs> That's since. great. And, and uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's a blessing for me because uh, – you know, you get, you're just so consumed, you know, when I'm not at the track, you know, when I come home at night, I take a shower and I got the iPad in front of me and I'm watching, I'm watching videos of the horses that we ran today to figure out why we got beat. And then I'm watching replays of horses that might be worth claiming and studying pedigrees or the horse, you know, so it's pretty much horses all the time. And uh, if it wasn't someone like Becky who understands the industry and understands how competitive it is and understands how, how hard we have to work to be successful, you know, I probably wouldn't be married anymore because, uh, you know, I'm I'm married to the job very much so. And luckily I have Becky there and she she supports me and, and uh, she knows I'm trying to do whatever's best for the animals at all times and uh, trying to take care of our clients. And so Be- Becky's huge and uh, Becky, she's a she's the one with the boys. You know, I have uh, Connor's 18 and he's he's about to go to college and then Peyton is 21 and you know, when I was at Delta or I was at Fairgrounds or wherever I was at, Becky was the one getting them to, you know, we put them through private schools and she was at all the school functions and, you know, she took care of all that while I was with the horses and, and, uh, you know, she did. I got two really good boys. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're polite. They both work hard. That's one thing that I've tried to teach them, you know, from the beginning, you know, is whether it's raining or, whatever you know if you're sick whatever you do you get up and you put your boots on and you go to work because somebody's paying you to do a job and you're expected to be there and uh, both of them are really hard workers i think peyton made a b in the third grade made straight a's the rest of his life he's he's in his and that b's bothered him forever right (laughs) oh yeah yeah and and connor made connor made one in like the second grade and he's he just finished his high school up and he's a straight a student and you know they uh they're both really good boys. I'm really blessed to, to have the, the wife behind me that could, you know, keep them straight whenever I'm not there. It's so easy for these kids to get down the wrong road. And, you know, uh, you know, I had a lady one time, at, I was at one of the football practices and she turns around one of the other mothers. And my son was at St. Thomas Moore playing football and she turns around and she says, man, I don't know what it is you do with them boys. She said, but they're the two most polite kids you ever meet. And uh, I As told a parent, her, I said, well, isn't she, that, everything you you would want oh yeah oh yeah and and i you know i told her you know she said how do you how do you make them make the grades that they make you must stay on them all the time you know and i told her i said you know what i think really works i I was adopted myself at birth and uh, my father my father was a big guy and played football for the navy and like i say he was construction worker but you know what it didn't matter if i had friends over whizzing out in the driveway playing basketball or if i had a girl over watching movies in the living room at some point, whenever he came in from work, before he went to bed, he'd come and he'd put his arms around my, my neck and kiss me on top of the head, and he'd tell me how much he loved me every day. And uh, I try to do the same thing 
with my kids, you know, and that's what I was telling this mother. I said, you know, all I do is I, I try to sometime during the day, even bigger, they're bigger than me now. I got to look up to both of them, but I, uh, you know, I, I put my arms around them and I tell them how much I love them. And I think, I think it makes them want to work for you. They want you to be proud of them, Yeah. you know? And so it's not, it's not ever a deal about really, I think, I think, I think I spanked Connor twice and maybe Peyton once in their whole lives, you know, but you know, when they do things good, tell them how great they are. When they do things wrong, you sit them down and talk to them and, and tell them, you know, and uh, shoot, I, like I said, I, I've been really blessed. I got two really good boys and uh, Connor wants to be a equine veterinarian and Peyton's in mechanical engineering and shoot, it's a, it's a family deal though. As soon as Peyton gets off work in the summer, he's heading to the track to come see our horses run. And if he's a, if I, he's off somewhere and can't be there, he's texting me about the race and what I thought about the ride. And, you know, they, uh, both of them love the horses. Connor's with me every day. He's at the barn and you got to try to drag him away from the barn. He wants to stay out there all day, every day. He don't, he don't want to leave. And Peyton loves the horses. He worked for me one summer grooming horses and did a great job. You know, my, we were all surprised how quickly he picked it up and did a really good job. But when the summer was over with next time the summer came around, he went and got a job at Evangeline Downs working maintenance for the maintenance crew. And he would rather be mowing grass and <laughs> stuff like that than, than, work, than working at the barn. You know, he, he tells me if engineering goes well, he's going to be my best owner that I've ever had. I was going to say there, he can create a system for you, right? And make yeah, he's a, operate he don't, things. He don't, and... <laughs> yeah, he don't, he don't want to be up at four o'clock in the morning, but he, he does, he does all, he hangs my cameras in the shed rows for me and he helps me when to move. He's, he's very good at hanging the gates and, you know, he's he's pretty much the maintenance man for me, fixing, doing anything at the barn. And, uh, you know, it's not that he won't be out there, but just as far as interacting with the horses and working with the horses, it's just In a different way. That he wants to do it. Yeah. And you know what? And that's great. You know, I want I want him to be what he is and what he wants to be. And, you know, I, I feel 100 percent that he's doing what he's called to do in, in engineering. He loves he loves anything mechanical and tools. And, you know, he's doing really well with it. And they uh, they're both good boys, though. We're very lucky to be talking with trainer Shane Wilson, leading trainer over at Louisiana Downs, last year's leading trainer at Louisiana Downs. He's coming in to this year um, off of a 2021 where he won at 20% with a 50% in the money percentage coming off of his career year in purse earnings, just breaking all sorts of personal records all over the place. And you were just talking a little bit about the ride. You have a, it looks like a very good relationship with one of the perennial leading riders over there, Jose Guerrero, who I've been very, very impressed with. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Jose. Well, you know what? I, I, I watched Jose even the year before I came up here. Uh, we came up here the COVID season and uh, I had watched him the year before. And I, I was telling my son, Connor, I said, you know, if you watch this guy, he doesn't ride for Broberg, he doesn't ride for Asmussen, he doesn't ride for Joey Foster, he doesn't ride for Joe Duhon, but at the end of the year, he's like fourth or fifth leading rider yeah. every year. And I said, uh, I said, you know, he's only been he's only been riding for like five years or something at that time. And I said, you know, I feel like this is a guy that if somebody gave him a chance and gave him a barn of his own, you know, not saying that the people that he was riding for weren't doing the best that they could do, but he just wasn't riding the best horses, you know, and. Uh, so last year when we come up here, I talked to his his agent, Steve Malanson, and I said, man, I'd really like Jose to ride everything for me. And he said, well, Shane, we can't because you go to the fairgrounds and we're going to Delta. And he couldn't just turn all of his business away for mm -hmm. Delta to ride for me. And uh, that was the only reason 
I mean, I feel like if he had rode for me last year, he'd have been leading rider because he was he he I, I gave he gave away some wins. Yeah, you know, with Jose, with uh, Juan Vargas and Castillo and Dominguez. When I couldn't get Jose, I'd ride them. And uh, I watched him ride again through this past Delta meet. And you know, Ho- Jose's a guy that he'll be out there when the track opens and he'll be out there when the track closes. He's not scared to work. You know, I call Steve and say I got nine to work in the morning. He said, just tell me the times you want him there. And me and Jose, we have a little deal. My, my sons laugh at me because they say I got to go to film study. But, I mean, I've always been a, a nerd about being prepared. And so we sit down on the days of the races, you know, and I told him, I said, you know, Jose, if you don't, if you want to, I said, I really think we can have a big meet. We claim a lot of horses and we have a lot of conditions. And then I have owners like Kevin Fontenot that buy yearlings. So we have two-year-olds for him. We have the older horses. We, we have a lot of horses. And, uh, I said, but you're going to have to come to the barn. And we watched films the day of the races of the ones that were running that afternoon. And, you know, I show him this is how the horse won. Whenever they get beat, I show him this is why I think they get beat. And then we watch and we make a plan. We sit down with the program at my desk and, you know, I, I handicap the race of this, the two and the four showing speed. And we got that inside hole. You got to let them clear you and put yourself on the outside to put pressure on them. And, you know, we sit down and make a plan and, Jose has never been like, oh, man, here we go with this film stuff. You know, he he's in there pulling his chair up with his bottle of water. And he's like, come on, boss, let's look at some films. Let's get ready for this afternoon. And we sit down and we make a plan every day before we go up there. And and, and it don't always work. Sometimes the gate opens and horses that you thought were going to show speed wouldn't don't. And, and then he has we have a good enough relationship that I tell him, you know, I want to go in there with this plan. If it don't happen that way. You do what you would do if you own this horse. Mm-hmm. If you're paying the bills on him. If you're paying the bills on this horse this month, you do what you would do, and we're going to deal with it. And, uh, I mean, man, Jose's been great. I think uh, I think Jose has a really bright future. I think the, the more confidence he gets in himself whenever he can start seeing what the rest of us already see in him, you know, you always have that, that fear of taking that next jump and, uh, you know, like taking the Macedo Rojo to Churchill Downs. You know, I know how he feels, and – but whenever whenever he gets the confidence in himself, I mean, he comes to the fairgrounds and won a couple races for me during the Delta meet. And, you know, I tell him, I say, Jose, you can ride with anybody. Yeah. You know, he's not, he's naturally his size. He doesn't have to fight his weight. You know, he, he, he gets them out of the gate. He puts the horses. He got it slow, you know, easy hands. He can just slow them down and do what he wants to do with them. And, you know, I, I asked him for the meet start. I said, you decided yet if you want to be a, a race rider and be leading jockey or you just still just want to be a jockey and make jock mount and be happy <laughs> you get that. and he's like what do you mean i said because whenever you start studying your horse and you start studying the horses in the race with you and you ride your horse in this particular race the way he wants to be ridden to win the race then you're going to be a race rider I said, but if you just walk out there and look at the number on your sleeve to see what hole to go to and you go ride a lap around there and get your jock mount, you're just a jockey. That's and uh, he said, no, he said, Shane, I want to be leading rider. And I said, well, if you'll study and you'll work, I pick on him all the time when he's on the track at 930 and nobody else is out there. And I said, look what time it is, 930, huh? He said, man, boss, I got to do it. I said, that's why you're going to beat them because you're going to start earlier than them. You're going to stay later than them. Outwork them, you're going to beat them. And uh yeah, I mean, to me, he has a great attitude. Some guys, you know, some of the other trainers talk about him being cocky and, you know, but I, me, that's why I ride him because whenever you I want that, the confidence. Yeah. 
I I never knew a good athlete that didn't walk out there thinking that he was the best one on the field. Absolutely. You know? It's and, about harnessing it, right? And and that's what you're there to do as sort of the coach that you mentioned is give right. him the the positive feedback, the constructive criticism. And I will tell you as someone who prides myself as um, the, the the most important thing to me when I'm handicapping the races is watching a horse's replays and, and watching all the backtracks. Mm-hmm. And I will say and when watching your team and knowing that now, it does not, it's not a coincidence that when you guys get beat, it's not usually because you're in a bad spot. You didn't get the great trip. You didn't get the right trip. Sometimes the horses just don't have it or you ran into a horse that may be a little better. But it feels mm-hmm. like in knowing what you just said, I can sense that you and Jose and your team with the owners have a plan. And far too often yeah. people go out there and they don't necessarily have a plan for every race and for how you're going to ride, uh, you know, from the very bottom level to the top level. Oh, exactly. You know, some sometimes they just, you know, we have a couple we sent home this week, a couple of horses we ran last week and they're just tired. You know, they're not, they're eating everything. They're bright eyed, they're sound. They just run flat, and and I think the heat, and some of them just need a break. You know, they just don't run. But if we, uh, you know, like we want to race Tuesday with a with a new filly we just got, Texas Blue Bonnet, and uh, her only win she had was running five furlongs on the dirt. So I'm watching the replays of her in these route races on the turf, where every time she breaks, they would break, and then the riders that rode her, maybe it was instructions that the other trainers were giving them, but they would just absolutely break her in half to get her back to last. And then make one run with her. And so I told Jose Tuesday, I said, I said, look, he came watch replays. I said, watch how hard they fight her to get her back off the pace. And he's like, okay, what do you want to do? I said, I want you to break and just throw the reins at her. Let her go. Let her do what she wants to do. And he said, so you, you don't want me to take her back? I said, no. I said, let's just let her bounce. I said, she, had, she has enough athleticism to win going five-eighths on the dirt at Remington. There's no way she should be trailing the field in a mile and 70 A other than race. No. And so we sat down and talked, and uh, we went up there that afternoon, and I said, you're going to shock all of them because they're not going to expect you to be on the lead. I said, but this filly's going to put you on the lead. And he let her he let her bounce. She went right out to the front, ends up winning the race and, and a pretty good pace. And She put you know, away. The the, you're, you're, being, and you're being and modest. Them and, you know, her, Jane, her dosage numbers being... say she should run around the ground. And, you know, and, and that's a good thing with Jose. I mean, I know I give him some instructions sometimes, and he I can tell by looking at him, he's like, what? But he'll go out there and do, you know, I tell him, hey, put him on the lead and let him drift in the forepath. This horse don't like horses on his outside. And he says, so don't go to the rail. I said, I don't care if you're two in front. Stay in the forepath and invite the horses on your inside because if they get on his outside, he's going to quit. And he'll put them out there and park them. And I know I have friends call me. They're like, dang, he kept that horse four wide all the way around the track. I'm like, yeah, but the horse don't want to be in traffic. He don't want to be down inside. So he put him where he wants to be. And I think that's the evolution of Jose as a jockey. You know, he's he's learning to ride a horse to where the horse wants to be in the race, you know? And, uh, and I mean, you're I'm, being, you're I'm being modest. Jose. I think Jose is a guy you can see riding at Churchill one day or, you know, Gulfstream or wherever he wants to go. I think he has a talent to go wherever he wants to go. As soon as he gets that confidence in himself and he believes that I think he can go anywhere. And that, that horse you were talking about absolutely dusted a minute day, had some pace to deal with, just put them away. It was fun to see that impressive of a performance. As uh, we are finishing up here with trainer Shane Wilson, I think we just might have got into a a bad spot, but no problem. So we'll pick up right back where we're talking about football. You mentioned football. Mm -hmm. And uh, is that something you you get to still experience with your sons, with your family? It seems like football has been a big part of your life. 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, my oldest son played. My youngest son didn't care that much about it. He did when he was young, but he, as he got older, he didn't. And that's fine with me, too, you know, with the injuries and everything you go through. And I had, I had fun with my son, my oldest son. He won a state championship in high school and finished second the next year. And uh, But I think I think with football, I, I really feel like I learned a lot of life lessons, you know, with the, with the hard work and, you know, facing that adversity and injuries. And, you know, you find out a lot about a person when they get hit in the mouth and, see how yeah. they come back from it you know and uh I, I i i think football is violent you know and uh it's probably not for everybody but um i loved it you know that's all i wanted that was my first love in life was football and i loved i love the contact the physicality of it you know i like the one-on-one battles and you know it uh like i said i i think of training horses a lot like coaching a football team shane I asked you if you could help me out and come on for about 15, 20 minutes. You've given me almost an hour of your time, which I know is very, very valuable time, and you're so busy. I got to say, this was so nice to talk with you. I I see your name in the past performances every day. I watch your horses run, and I, I'm so impressed with the work that you do, but I have not ever had the chance to talk with you before. Uh, I was looking forward to this, and I cannot thank you enough for all the time that you've given me here. I would love to have you back in like a month, maybe before the big uh, Louisiana bread day. And maybe we could talk about some of your horses that you have running on the big day and, and, and preview it. Great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds great. And I, I appreciate the opportunity, you know, shoot. It's uh, I love this industry. I love this sport, you know, and uh, anything that I can do to try to promote it or, you know, try to get people interested in it. I, I sure want to do my part for sure. If you are an owner out there and you are looking for a trainer who you can trust, who you know is hardworking, who has years and years of experience under his belt, you can go talk to some of the owners that he's worked with for 10, 15, 20 years and, and the loyalty that they have and the trust they have in this man. He has been your leading trainer at Louisiana Downs last year. He is destroying the uh, the standings right now early on against some of the best, biggest barns out there in racing. This is Shane Wilson. If you didn't know a whole lot about him, hopefully we, uh, we, we found out a little more right now about Shane. Thank you so much. Please tell Peyton and Connor hello and your family. Uh, you guys do such a fantastic job. I'm big fans of all of you and all the work you do. Thank you so much, man. Have a great day. Thank you, Shane. That was Shane Wilson there. We'll have to get Shane back in just a bit uh, to talk more. You can see Shane out there each and every day. There's racing at Louisiana Downs. He always has some live runners. Don't go anywhere, folks. We have a lot more to discuss on this episode of That's What G Said. Big thank you to Shane for taking time out of his busy schedule to come talk with us and uh, let us all get to know him a little bit better. Very, very sharp guy. You can understand why they win so many races there. Shane Wilson, leading trainer over at Louisiana Downs. Let's finish up this episode with This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. We dive into WWE. We recap Money in the Bank. We get into Monday Night Raw. We've got a new WWE Women's Champion on the SmackDown side, Liv Morgan. Austin Theory with the Money in the Bank briefcase. Then we get in over to NXT, where it was a really good Great American Bash show. Uh, possible plans for some that could be moving up to the main roster. We get into AEW, some good ratings the last couple weeks. Still good good in-ring stuff, some production issues, and it's tough because they've had so many shows to build to. 
the yeah, they had their big show. Then right off the bat, afterwards, they got to start building to Forbidden Door. Now they're building to a Ring of Honor show. We hit everything going on in the world of wrestling with Chad Cooper on this week in wrestling. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. It's that time of the week again. Time for another installment of This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper here on That's What G Said podcast. Cooper Loop joining me uh, again, coming off the heels of Money in the Bank for WWE. And Coop, I thought the show was a very good show. And I thought the night was a really good night for them coming out of Money in the Bank, how it felt, good buzz. And they're creating stars for the future. Something that WWE has been criticized for, even just recently. Oh, they're bringing Brock Lesnar back again. Oh, Goldberg's back again. Oh, we have to keep going back to all the old stars. Well, you know what? They are creating new stars right now. So if you're someone who complains when they bring the old folks back, you can't (laughs) be mad now with the new stars. You may not like or it may not be the people that you wanted, but I like what they're doing. I thought it was a good night for them. Really pleasantly surprising. Uh, last week, uh, we mentioned we just didn't want uh, the same old, same old. Don't yep. give us the fallback. The Drew McIntyre, the Sheamus. Becky and, and Asuka, they didn't need it, too, sure. right? And boy, did they do the opposite. They, yeah. uh, I mean, look, I, I thought that the women's money in the bank ladder match probably needed to open the show. Um, yeah, for the record, let me, cause you're not going to give, you're not going to, you call this spot on in, in how it was going to go down. Not exactly sure. who, but sure. we, we had narrowed it down to live being one of the two or three that felt like it made the most sense. But what's funny is we were thrown off because they were giving her such a good push recently. Right. That was, we were, <laughs> we thought they were trying to, to throw us off course, but, if we would have just looked at the field and said, who is actually stacking wins right now and who feels like they're coming into this match in the best form, like we were we were talking about looking at a horse race, right? Liv sure. came in off a couple nice wins and people were sort of, it was like, ooh, but who did she beat? It was one of those kind of things, right? That's, sort of, that's like what we were dealing with, but they did a great job with her. And we didn't even know Austin Theory was going to be in there. But you called this. You said they should have the women's ladder uh, match open because then we can tease two chances to take to cash in. And they did that. They did. They actually teased it almost twice. Yeah, and that that's what makes this pay per view one of my favorites of the WWE's. It's you know Royal Rumble is there because uh, it's the official march. You know the official start to the march to WrestleMania. But this one is, man, it, it will make and break careers. And first and foremost, the match, the the women's match was fantastic. And, you know, I thought for sure, you know, uh, Liv is, is going to come up short again. They're going to tease us. Uh, she's going to be pushed off the ladder last or she's going to be climbing in the ring. 
and someone's just gonna, you know, Becky, I, you know, all indications were there. Becky got herself in the match. So it's going to Becky. So the match was incredible. We never thought for one minute that this match would not be fantastic. And it was the major surprise here is her cashing it in with Ronda Rousey. If you, if you were putting betting me between the two, you know, I was under the impression that Rhea Ripley probably was going to win the title from Bianca Belair. Maybe she wasn't, but I was going in that direction. So I thought, okay, Liv's been a, a mainstay on Raw, but man, it's just it, it, well, it would have been an easy audible to call with yes. Liv, right? If you were good, if that was the direction they were going to go. Oh, but hard to believe, her. though. Hard to believe because Bianca, if you think about it, still a face, whether if you like her or not, still over with the crowd. And yep. everyone loves Liv Morgan. So if yeah. she comes in and does it, it's like, uh, well, and then Rhonda, people, you know. It's different. There, it's But it's a completely different feel. And this was uh, this was really well done by the WWE. Um, Liv Morgan wins the women's money in the bank. She cashes it in a little bit after. So what they did, Bianca ends up beating Carmella. They tease after the match, Carmella kind of beating Bianca down a little bit. Just to make you wonder if Liv could possibly come out and cash, but Liv doesn't even come out. She doesn't even tease it. She doesn't ever, ever even um, bring the briefcase out. Then we get Ronda versus Natty, which was a pretty good match. I will say they it was better than I was. I think than most people were expecting too, and then I was. And they they was hard hitting, and Natty kept going for the sharpshooter, and. What I loved is Ronda wins in this sort of hard-fought match. You could tell at the end she was noticeably hobbling and hurt, and she was selling a, a, a knee injury. And when Liv's, more, when Liv's music hit to come out, Ronda, we give her crap about a lot of her promos and a lot of the stuff you know that she does on, my, on the mic. They show this look at Ronda, and she's like using the ropes to, to pull herself up. And when Liv Morgan's music hit, she just goes, oh, shit. It was great. <laughs> it was great. It, it was, was great. It reminded me of the Stone Cold. Like, it reminded me of what people do in the Rumbles, right? Like, Stone Cold in the 97 Rumble when Bret Hart music hit. And Stone Cold's, like, sitting on the – he's doing the push-ups. And he's sitting on the on the ropes. And he's waiting for – and then Bret's music hit. And he goes, oh. Uh, it, it, was, it was perfect. And this – it's funny because Ronda – I wouldn't say that her comeback has been a smashing success, right? It, it's she moves the needle still, and people are still interested in what she does, but she's sort of miscast, right? She just doesn't feel like she's this great baby face, and she's more of a badass who we just kind of want to see come in and kick ass. And this is going to give her the opportunity, Coop, to I think be a little bit more herself because Ronda's got to go heel, and if if we're going to have Ronda and Liv. Moving forward, right? If we're going to go to that, if that's a thing, I feel like Ronda turn, turns heel on Liv, either wins the title back, which I wouldn't like to see, or maybe tries to fight Liv straight up and Liv rolls her up, right? And wins, and then Ronda snaps. That that would be kind of fun. And I think it would put Ronda back to where she should be as more of a heel, or at least like a tweener who's just tough and doesn't have to be this. Happy baby face I, They had to do that for a little while She just had a kid You're not going to boo her right off the bat She just came back from having a child She wants to be a baby face Now 
I think this could be fun, and it feels it it feels like energetic for SmackDown because you think about Liv Natalia will probably have a feud. You can go Liv Ronda when Charlotte comes back. Charlotte and Liv would feel fun. Look at all of the fresh contenders on SmackDown. Liv, even Shotzi, throw her in a in a feud on TV. Liv Raquel, it all feels really really fresh. Yeah, it, you bring up Charlotte, and I'll get to that point in just a second. We we this this is a great natural hill turn progression for Ronda, and I think uh, you know, other than being the the ultimate badass that that she is, I think she feels more natural, uh, and I think she feels more comfortable. And I'm I, I don't know this to be a fact, just as someone watching the product, I think she she prefers to be a heel character. In the WWE, I think it's it, it it's it, she's a little more comfortable with it. Just yeah, uh, natural. It, it, yep, it's, it is. It's easier on the mic when you're a heel because you don't have to do a whole lot of of talking to get to piss people off. Now you can have that chase, but there you know there there's going to be an interesting dynamic here, and and you bring it up. Yeah, there, there's some there's some feuds. Is this going to be a short lived uh, title reign for Liv? You know because we're we're never it shouldn't with it should not. It, no, and what worries me is we have Charlotte Flair coming back here soon. Charlotte has to be on SummerSlam. We assume that that is that is basically other than the Crown Jewel type shows um, that that are in Saudi Arabia. These SummerSlam pay per views are massive. They're almost as big as WrestleMania. They're not, but they they're big. So I would assume Charlotte is going to come back. I'm not saying she has to be back in the title picture. For her to be a part of SummerSlam, it's hard not to think she is going to be though, right? Right. She's... And she and she's fantastic heel, right? So this you have the ultimate baby face and live, um, but you know great. you got to have Ronda back. You could have Triple Threat. There's all kind of stuff you could have. And you when know, Rhea could, comes back, we have Rhea, Rhea and Liv already have all of their there's stuff. All kind of good stuff built in. Now don't we have? Ronda versus Liv, the rematch this week on SmackDown, or am I just fantasy booking? Is that let me? Yeah, let me confirm on that. I think I think I saw that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I know she is going to respond. I don't know if uh, I know. I know that uh, that and that, that would that Ronda's going to respond. But I just, I you know, I know we saw Liv Monday night. We'll get to Raw in just a second. We saw her and Bianca, and I love when the two champions team up like that. Me too. And, uh, and this was great for really for fun. Liv. Good, good brawl too. It was good for Liv just because what when you put someone there next to next to the other you champ, want to feel them just as important like they belong. Yep, and they did. It felt it, Liv felt really good next to really, Bianca. It, it was good for her. It was really, really good for Liv. I I, I thought this was a great night for her. They, uh, yeah, they're posting t- pictures together on social media after she's going over to the bump. So, folks are there. The crowd's really behind her, and um, yeah, I can't find if they've. Now I know Roman is coming back. He's he's scheduled to come back Friday night on SmackDown. Cool. So maybe but- we get something more with uh with Ronda. But yeah, this I'm just I'm intrigued now with Liv. The crowd has been behind her and. WWE's done a really good job with her, Coop, because we were worried after her Becky feud. Sure. It's like, okay, well, she's not going to beat Becky because we know Becky's going to go on and face Bianca at WrestleMania. So then what's going to happen to Liv? And they put Liv in a tag team with Rhea, which was fun. 
and that was short lived. Then they gave her, but they they didn't just throw her off TV. They kept her on TV. They moved her from a tag team, then to do the stuff with the Judgment Day. Then they let her chase the money in the bank, qualify for that. So she kept on television. She was in matches. She wasn't back like on main event. And now Liv Morgan is your SmackDown Women's Champion. Congrats, Liv. As uh, yeah, that they had that good match on Raw. She came out. She cut a nice promo. She was excited. She thanked the fans. And her and Bianca beat. Uh, what was it Carmella and Natty So I'd imagine uh, Liv heads over to Smackdown And she's got plenty of feuds set up along the way We'll see if Charlotte comes back soon Or um, if they're going to have her go with Ronda For a little while Natty seems like she's in the picture you know what Gino I, We got a quick turnaround And I thought so because summer It's less than a month July. It's, yeah. in, it's, it's the last weekend of July It's like July 29th so we've got a short turnaround. So maybe we don't get Charlotte Flair. Yeah. Maybe week. they wait till after for Charlotte. I always, th- I always think mid August for summer. Me Slam. too. Well, and- no, it, it's we've got a short turnaround. So we're gonna. That, that's why we've got Roman coming back. And I, I, I would assume we probably wait for Ronda and Liv at SummerSlam. Don't you think? I think so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think you come back with that at SummerSlam. I think you, like you said, you only have three weeks now to set to set this thing up. So. It's not as if you're you want to in, introduce a whole bunch of new stuff. You can run that one back, and we know they're going to go Brock and Roman, and it looks like Drew will be the guy at the big show after that because they'll have the big show in the UK following that. So, yeah, Saturday, yeah. July thirtieth. So we talked about having the big pay per views on Saturday. Well, here we are again, Saturday, July thirtieth. It's outside uh, Nissan Stadium in Nashville, home of the Titans. What was really good about the the Money in the Bank show overall is that a lot of the stuff on the show was was like building off of each other, was intertwined and in, in and related, right? Liv wins the first match, and then you're kind of wor- wondering about if Liv is going to show up in Bianca's after Bianca's match, and then Liv does show up after Ronda Natty and cash in. So you sh- that women's match was. A big part of the next couple involvement for the women throughout the night. Then you've got Lashley beating Theory, and we weren't sure. Uh, right, right after you and I were talking, going, does Bobby Lashley really need to win the U.S. title here? Is this something that they need right now? Well, in seeing where they've come off of Monday night, wow! All of a sudden, you've got Bobby Lashley. Who now kind of feels like your main babyface again He's got this title There's no WWE title on Raw Because Roman has them both So Lashley's kind of like Your default babyface major champ He's a guy who's been the world champ before So it doesn't really feel off When he comes out and kicks off Monday Night Raw Opens the show Talks about the 4th of July And being the US champ And the reason why we were worried about that result was what it was going to do for Theory. Well, Theory comes out of the night with the Money in the Bank briefcase. We didn't even know he was going to be in that match. They inserted him as a surprise right before the match. And now all of a sudden, I don't feel bad about Lashley having the title. He Maybe he doesn't need it, but it it doesn't feel like it hurt Theory at all because he's got the briefcase now. No, and as right as we were with the women's money in the bank match, kicking uh briefcase match kicking off 
the pay-per-view and a cash-in. I was way wrong with, of course, we didn't know Theory was going to put himself in there. So I'm not talking, we, we, you know, that's that's an asterisk goes by that because if we don't know who's in the match, we don't Yeah, know we can't the predict Theory, but, but... I thought they were going Theory-Cena at SummerSlam. Boy, mm-hmm. was I wrong. Now, here's yeah. the question I have what makes this really, really interesting. They've already announced him and Lashley for SummerSlam. Yep. And I, they keep, they are laying it on thick about how Roman and Brock are having a last man standing match. Oh, uh, you know. They're gonna this going to be weakened. They're going to be weakened after this match. Like, I'm telling you, this kid is going to lose to Bobby Lashley and he's going to cash in. Now, I'm not saying he's going to win both titles or how this works. But at SummerSlam, he's walking out of there with one of those championships. I agree with you. I think so too. And maybe, and and I think maybe, it's the raw one. what's the raw win? Me uh, too. Uh, Universal? It, no. Uh, I know it's, it's yeah. Un- Universal one. versus world, like w- world, yeah, WWE title. Right. So I, 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 I agree do, with. Man. I think I he's do. walking out of there with something. I do too. And and then it would be great because you've already got you know built in. You've got built-in challengers for this guy right off the bat with Lashley. Well, with bring Cena in to to do a big show with for the with title. Him. Yeah. Lashley, anybody, Drew. There's all kind of people you could put this kid. But he, you talk about a rocket. Uh, this is this, this is, is great. This, this is the explanation. Look, we 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 as in the WWE universe bitch all the time, and the majority of the people bitch about how people are brought up from the NXT roster onto the main roster. And there are plenty of occasions where it is justified for us to pitch. But you know what? Something like this erases all those complaints, in my opinion. This is massive, dude. Look at some of the last week we were talking to him with a damn egg at Royal Rumble with Vince McMahon. This kid had an egg, a golden egg. And if you look at this show and you think about NXT, Liv Morgan, Alexa Bliss, Oscar, Becky Lynch, Lacey Evans, Raquel Rodriguez, Shotzi, Theory, Bianca, Carmella, the Street Prof, uh, Street Profits, um, Theory, Drew, Madcap Moss, Riddle, Sami Zayn, Seth Rollins, Good all boy. NXT. <laughs> so I mean. Sometimes it works out, right? <laughs> right. And sometimes it doesn't. There's Alex on AEW, right? There's Adam yeah. Cole. Like, there's a lot of people that are at AEW because because they didn't work. Like that may that is like part of a company because of this. So it's now, not look, as they if all everyone don't have, hits. Look, Gino, they all don't have quick turnarounds like theory. But no. after you just put it that way, I mean, come on, man. Give credit. Look, if you want to hate Vince McMahon. Go for it. I don't care. I, I don't care. The brand deserves a lot of criticism. But at the end of the day, sir, let me tell you something. I thought it was going to be really hard for the WWE on Saturday night to compete one-on-one with UFC's big pay-per-view in the same damn town of Las Vegas. WWE dominated social media. Heck, I think Vince, Triple H, McAfee showed up at UFC, the main card. Uh, on the McAfee big- with the with the neck brace, he's selling yeah. the he's selling the beat down. You've got to give credit or credit. I know it drives the AEW fans just mad. I know it does, but to pull off something on Saturday like that against the UFC, who has a that, that was that was not one of 
that was not an apex card for the UFC. That was a big pay-per-view, a big title. Um, it's just kudos to what they've been able to do. And I'm excited because SummerSlam is, is what, less than three weeks away? And you've got new names now and new storylines that makes it really, really excited. And you and I were going to crap on Lashley winning the U.S. title. Him opening Raw kind of opened my eyes a little bit. Me I went, too. Okay, That's this, what they're going to do. He's, I, I'm not saying he's Cody Rhodes, but that felt Cody Rhodes-esque It did. Well, for right me. now, he has to be. I'm sorry. Because Cody's not there. He, I'm sorry. He it is. Did. He is That's right the now. Line, the next man up. On when you're when we are talking about baby faces right now on the entire roster, Raw, SmackDown, it's Lashley and Drew. And honestly, at the current moment, Lashley feels a little bit hotter than Drew. Again, oh, 100%. Drew's, Drew's like steady, you know, like you, you can get him away from the Omos and, and, and the MVP stuff and let him go. And, you know that. Hey, you know what? That's also credit to Austin Theory, who I crapped on. WrestleMania week and said him and McAfee, I'm scared of this match. And then those two sap suckers tore the damn house down. You know, yeah, this is this it's is a fun. good night. It is. It's fun. They they were smart, like you said, on a night where there was another big UFC event. They they knew let's make some headlines, and that's that's, that's let's let's come out of this night with a new champ, a Money in the Bank winner that wasn't even supposed to be in the. In the freaking match And people are going to be talking And they were And one of the things that People were talking about most On a night where there was a cash in And a money in the bank winner That wasn't even in in the card Was a freaking tag team match That was unbelievable The Usos Versus the Street Profits Fantastic Maybe the match of the night Wow these guys threw it down I I didn't really think it was the moment for the Street Profits, but three or four different times I thought they won that match. And, and they they got me. It was awesome. Angelo Dawkins is someone who we, we all talk about Montez Ford, but he's upped his game in the last couple of months noticeably in, in ring, in like his motor and the shape that he's in. Man, this was a really good match, Coop. And then the... We had the cookout on Monday <laughs> night, and they were out uh, having some hot dog eating contest and uh, a little spew. We'll talk about Monday Night Raw in a second, but let me let me talk match. about the tag match. Yeah, let me talk about the tag. You know, we knew they were going to put on a good match. We just knew they were. All all four competitors are are incredible athletes. I'm really really high on Montez for always have. Yeah. I still think. We're, we're close. It's going to be sooner rather than later. Do, do we do like a like a rumble run for him? Like a long run from the beginning? I, I could and, see it. And then I, that breaks him off as a singles. Like he makes it to the final four, you know? Yeah, it. And it's this, sort of like, wow, Montez Ford is there. You know? and, and then he says, hey, look, Angela. He doesn't even have to be like a heel thing, but maybe he goes, hey, look. I had this run. I want to go try to do this on my own in singles. And then Angelo gets frustrated and they have a little feud and that sort of sparks him to singles. Cause man, he, he looks, he's getting bigger. He's putting on more upper body strength. He's got is, is he just looks like a single star now more than before when he was a little thinner, right? He was slighter frame. He is put on 
pounds of muscle. He looks like a main event guy. So for all the good that we've been talking about, here's what frustrates me. This is a bad time not to have two separate tag titles. I know. Because where do they go from here? Okay. The Usos, hell of a match. Well, you know, uh, you, you see what I'm saying? That's what the frustrating part is. I know. One one champion on two different brands because now I'm not saying to give these guys the titles, but now they really what 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 do they do? They get in the number one contenders. What what storyline do they get involved? You're in? right. That's You're right. Really, really disappointing. So uh, look, yeah, we're we're on the jocks of WWE right now because look, they're hot. They're hot. It's again. a good week. It's a good, good week, week for them. But when you don't have belts on both brands, uh. These guys are left for segments like uh, the cookout, and there's really not a lot to do with. I, I just think, look, I, I know WWE hates breaking up really good tag teams, but if you're going to do it, this Monte, both of the guys, I think, would have a fantastic singles career. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think we did that, but I think Montez Ford, as man, a mid card champion, Intercontinental, United States. Hell, man, that could be. Give me the U.S. Open Challenge, man. I I go to it all the time. It's a good because it's a good thing for baby faces to do to get over, especially someone like him to have to wrestle people of all different sizes and skill levels, and just to show what he can do. That would, yeah. Montez is on the uh, he's on the way. The trajectory is heading up as we uh, head over. We've already talked about a few things that have happened on Raw, but we kick off Raw with Bobby Lashley. And uh, yeah, main event type promo. Theory interrupts him. Theory says that they've already been set up for a, a SummerSlam rematch, and that he said he uh, Theory says he's going to leave SummerSlam with both belts, with the U.S. title and the undisputed title. So this ends up putting uh, this ends up getting uh, a match made for later in the night, where we're going to have Lashley and the Street Profits against Theory. And Otis and Gable And they built to this match Throughout the night <laughs> In the cookout We had a hot dog eating contest One thing I've, no, I've never spoke to Vince McMahon Never met the gentleman myself But one thing I am for sure of Vince McMahon loves him some puke He loves <laughs> him some spew he, Man, what, He's what, gonna what, puke what, He's gonna puke from Don't drive, do it <laughs> From all the way up and to now, anytime he can get some throw up on our show, you know it's going to happen. And so we had Lashley and the Street Profits beat Theory and uh, and Otis and Gable. And after the match, they uh, there was some vomit from Otis. He had too many hot dogs and he just pukes. So you know, you know, we're going to get it. And you know that Vince was bad. Ha, 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 ha. I'll do it. Oh, that's so great. Um, you know, I actually thought it was a for Holiday Raw. Sometimes these can be shows where they just kind of pack it in. Yeah. I actually thought it was a, a pretty good show from from top to bottom. Um, we had the Mysterios versus the Judgment Day, Balor and uh, Priest, and they, they um, I I did not mind. The Mysterios picking up the win It was because it was a win Via DQ It was a win in their hometown 
which is great. They don't like WWE doesn't do that often enough. And in the match, Ray did the old Eddie Guerrero Eddie spot. Guerrero spot with the chair. Oh. <laughs> Which was so great. He pretended like he got hit with a chair and he fell down like he got bu- like to take a bump and the ref DQ'd and the crowd went nuts for yeah, the did. spot. And I, I think it was on Wrestling Inc. or someone said, I've never heard a crowd pop more for a DQ finish. Right? <laughs> they, normally the crowd's like, oh man. But it was fun. I really enjoyed it. And I'd imagine... This next week when they wrestle again Judgment Day will probably get their win back But I'm a little As soon as they put these guys together We enjoyed it and then all of a sudden They haven't felt like Quite as important when, without Edge Or interacting with AJ It's it's kind of been weird Yeah this is weird and I think it And I'm not taking either thing away from either one of them But it definitely took a lot of steam Out of them when Rhea got hurt You're um, right No you're it, right It did it just did. There, there's something missing now. They're just a tag team. Yeah. Um, we got to be careful. Uh, we got to be really careful here. Don't mind the spot. Don't mat, mind them losing this fashion. I don't know what the, uh, you know, how serious or, or how long Rhea's going to be out. Be- but with her gone, there's just something missing. Because see, right now, like what you're talking about right now, if, if, I would love to see them against the Street Profits. Yeah, have them there's nothing for these two we, teams we to do. Like if Scott. we if you had them. a tag team title on Raw, these guys could be battling over it. Be fantastic. Right? That then, could be a match at SummerSlam for the tag team titles. Those two against the Street Profits, it would give everybody something to do. I'm not saying they can't still have that match at SummerSlam, but they don't usually have multiple tag matches like that that aren't for the belts, and so. Maybe they do, but like that would at least because I'm not going to be too hard on them yet. Like you said, maybe they had plans or what they were going to do. Rhea was supposed to be wrestling for the title. She may have won the title. That may have had them feel a little bit more important if they were around, kind of involved in things. And then Rhea got hurt. So we'll, I'll give a, a, a couple more weeks for them, but I they they got to be on the SummerSlam card, right? Absolutely. They weren't. They you weren't. On Money in the Bank And they both could have been guys that were in the Money in the Bank match Even if you don't want to have them against each other Or or in a a tag match Man, we're missing a lot of big stars Right now, okay Cody's out Um, You know, Charlotte Flair is out Yep Roman Reigns has not been in the picture And you know what? For the first time in a long time I've praised the storyline It's been absolutely incredible I think it's been... Refreshing. I agree. It's been okay. It's been okay without all of them. It gives these other guys and girls opportunities to kick it up a a notch. Here, you're good. You're getting this title. Here, you've earned this money in the bank briefcase. Here, you've earned this match. Here, you've earned this spot. And that, uh, kudos again. It has felt fresh. Yep, to not be dominated with the storyline pay-per-view. Now, look, I, I will be thoroughly excited to see Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, you know, at SummerSlam. But when other guys and girls have the opportunity, it's really, really good. I, I, I think Balor and, and, and Priest would be fantastic tag team champions. I thought maybe if Rhea won the title, these two guys would get the strap somehow from the Usos. I, you know, I just, that's why I hate not having at least Two different tag team 
uh, champ. Now I understand women's. You only have one women's tag team because there's not there's not it's, a whole lot. Not of really enough. Yeah. To, to fill it out, but to not have another set of titles on on both brands is this this is we're shortchanging not only the fans but the wrestlers and the company itself by not having them. We continue on through Monday Night Raw. We um, so it looks like we've got Logan Paul versus The Miz at SummerSlam, <laughs> and Logan Paul's going to be the babyface here. It looks like um, I've I've actually kind of enjoyed the back and forth between these two, and and Logan Paul is, is he he's a good promoter. He knows exactly what he can do, what he is trying to do to get people to tune in to watch. The only thing I wonder about this is, do you think people will cheer him? Like it, if they would ever no. cheer him, it would be against the Miz, right? Like you have the right. That's guy their only shot <laughs> against him. But I don't like if I think the WWE fans might think, well, hey, we hate the Miz, but he's our guy. Yeah, right. I, I, I'm short answering this. I'm going to tell you right now. He he's not going to. He's they're going to they're going to crap on him. I don't <laughs> think he's going to get cheered. And so no, yeah, I think they're going to get behind the Miz. And I Me think too. Paul's going to win. And I think it's going to piss them off even worse. <laughs> and if they do, if, and, and if they go all in with it, it might work fine doing it that way, right? Like Miz is a pro enough to like look around oh, and sure. still try to shit on the crowd, but still like maybe play into it a little bit. And Logan will be fine being a heel. I mean, he is a heel. That's, that's, well, that's why this is so funny is that, yeah, like, they would be a really good heel tag team for a while if they just were and and went on and tried to win the belts and just pissed everybody off. Like the two of them talking trash to people together would be really funny because mo- so many people want to just punch them in the face. <laughs> the, the match will be good and everything involving this will be great. Like it'll be really entertaining. I'm I'm very interested to see if this guy is going to get cheered, and this may be yeah, a night. The Miz, the Miz promo Monday night on Raw was fantastic. He goes, "Hey, look, you you can really draw from this match, you know, Jake, and, and we could just we can have a run with the WWE Tag Team Titles. Why don't you just do that?" <laughs> it's so great. He Miz mentions his balls again, tiny balls. His balls yeah, are gigantic. Yeah, taking pictures on Instagram in front of Mrs. Crotch. There, it's a good follow on Instagram. All funny, fun story. Funny stuff here. Now um, I don't get the AJ Miz thing. I, I think AJ Styles is stuck in a weird spot. Right he now. is, and and we can't get if, him out of it. If we get, if we get an AJ versus Champa, just like a match at SummerSlam, hoping we get that, and that, could, that would be great. Let's give those yeah. guys ten or fifteen minutes. Even if you don't have any plans for Champa, really after, like let them go out there, throw him a bone, right? Do you get, need a story behind this, though. Yeah, Do we you're need right. a storyline to get worked up for this match instead maybe, of just him interfering. And maybe it is Miz talking with Champa and saying. Hey, look! I've got some big stuff coming up right now. Uh, maybe I need your help. Um, I'm gonna have to face Logan. I could use you. You know, sure. maybe Miz just. We know that we keep seeing that they have some kind of a tie. Let just give me like one little backstage segment of Miz being like, 
Okay, hey, thank you, man, and uh, uh, here's the payment, and I'll uh, I'll call you again next time I need you. You know, like Shooter McGavin paying off the guy who took out Happy Gilmore. You know, that's what I'm thinking right here. And uh, afterwards, just show me a little bit, and if because here's the thing, I don't know if they would do this, but if they wanted to babyface him, like before the week before Smack or SummerSlam, they should they they could have a tag match on Raw where it's like AJ and Paul. Versus the Miz and Ciampa You know and you put You put Logan with a couple of baby Faces that you actually Know will get cheered and maybe By default he just starts kind of Getting cheered along with them But sometimes the crowd like eats that up And smells it and then like AJ's In and they cheer and then they tag in Logan And boo immediately Right and they start um, I'm I'm super Interested in this I I think he's Going to get booed like hell Uh, Let's go Miz I'm going to be cheering for the Miz like crazy We uh we then got The yeah AJ versus the Miz match AJ Got the win Ciampa attacked afterwards We uh we heard From Liv we talked about the promo that she Cut then Natty came out And that led to the tag team match with Liv and Bianca versus Carmella and uh and Natty Liv and Bianca Got the win there A few other things that uh, We saw throughout Raw So our, our buddy uh, Ezekiel Was um, Ezekiel was out at the, in the cookout And he was squirt. I mean who the hell taught him How to put ketchup on a hot dog First off I gotta say He's throwing this ketchup all over the place It's like hey Zeke come on man You know He's talking about Elrod and uh, Elias and what they did on 4th of July growing up. And he bothers Seth Rollins. So he squirts some ketchup all over him. That leads to a match between Seth and Ezekiel where Seth ends up getting the W. So they've been doing this recently with Seth, which I think is is smart and makes a little bit of sense that when Seth loses, they kind of want to remind you that he's still a top guy, that he's still really good. So then they'll come back and give him a win. Over someone they did it after the Cody feud And then after not getting the job done And money in the bank so he gets a, He gets a win here And do we know What's up with Kevin Owens No and, and I was going to say this about Ezekiel uh, He, he, he needs KO Needs KO I, I don't know If KO has If it's a COVID issue An injury issue personal time Off issue they haven't addressed It um, and he definitely needs KO for this for the storyline, that's for sure. But and, and because think- it just sort of felt like it was right in the middle of it was towards the end of where it was really starting to peak, and then Kevin Owens is just gone, and and they haven't really mentioned any more about it. No, and I, did they jump the shark with uh, with the Ezekiel KO deal? I don't know. You can't plan if somebody got hurt. Uh, hopefully, we see KO back. Sooner rather than later I did hear a rumor that there was some COVID issues between both companies Both AEW and WWE I have no idea though with KO But I will say this The crowd really enjoyed um, uh, Riddle coming in And uh, and, uh, With Seth Rollins and That's got to be a SummerSlam match right? Really big yes Riddle I I feel like that would be That's a really good one Riddle Rollins at SummerSlam I like that. Let's build to these two guys. We uh, we mentioned the the Lashley <clears throat> Street Profits versus Theory and Alpha Academy that ended with some vomit after the uh, 
the baby faces one and Otis, we get to see the slow-mo of him just puking. Um, what I loved is right after that, uh, be- uh, there was an interview with Becky Lynch and she says, no one gives a damn about Otis. And then, then she just went on to, to, to cut. I, I thought it was so funny. She said, he doesn't get to share my spotlight because he ate too many hot dogs. And she's just mad. And um, the only issue I have with this, Becky, Asuka, awesome match. It's sort of a, a, a finish that still had Asuka look fine in losing. But I don't, these two, we feel like we've just seen a lot lately. That's yeah. my problem in there it's they're great every time becky's doing great work her character is awesome i i just don't want to see them again for a little while right no. let's keep them away from each other right now we've seen a lot of them in the last two months right ever since oscar has been back yeah and it just hasn't felt right with her because remember we, we we had this combination of her bianca becky bianca becky oscar uh and it just I don't know. And, you know, somebody, I don't know if it was Graves or whoever it was, said, uh, <clears throat> you know, Becky's slump is over. Um, I don't know if you needed Becky to go over Asuka again. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so either. No. no. And and I guess it. I guess they're going to maybe go back to Becky Bianca for SummerSlam. Or maybe they have a triple threat again. I'm not quite sure. Maybe Oscar needs a heel turn. You know, something. Maybe yeah. just your like, her matches and her entering work is still fine, but she's. I agree with you. She's not. There's just something a little bit missing. It's not connecting quite as well as uh, as she was before. So maybe they can tweak her character up just a little bit. And uh, since it was Fourth of July, we had Uncle Sam, our truth, come out. <laughs> um, he was interrupted. I thought this was a good a good yeah. use of of Gunther. You know, it's Fourth yeah. of July. You have him, the the big foreign heel, come out, look imposing, look impressive, and squash our truth. Oh yeah, yeah. I I mean, it was a good way to to you to utilize some SmackDown um, superstars on a, a a holiday edition show where a lot of people were out. Uh, I, you know, we've got to have somebody for him now, right? I don't know who it's going to be. Um, is this a way to to put him on Raw? Uh, could you see somebody from Raw now stepping up with Guthar? I don't know. Uh, it's just just the thing. Hey, we needed a a, a, a glorified squash here, but uh, you know, he squashed enough people. He's had some good matches with Ricochet. I'd like to see a good storyline with him going into SummerSlam for the. That title We head on over and start talking a little bit About the Great American Bash Really good show uh, I thought just a If if you have not been watching NXT 2.0 Maybe you, you started tuning out When things moved from the Black and gold brand over I can understand it was sort of a A, a, a way different show than, than the show over the last Couple years and what ended up happening Was they were introducing a lot of these new characters, people that we didn't really know a whole lot about. A lot of them looked green. But now, all of these folks who have been on TV for like six months, they are experienced. They are good. This was a good show. And, I mean, I came off of this show with like, 
Trick Williams looked like a million bucks. Wesley, yeah. you could tell they have plans for him. Tiffany Stratton, I don't know how much longer she's going to be in NXT. I don't know if I can remember someone improving this rapidly. From where she was like a month ago and six weeks ago to right now, she's like a full, she's the complete package. Yeah, it, make, it makes you think now we know why she didn't win that breakout star contract. Um, may, maybe she is going to move up. I'm not sure, but man, she looks better and better each week. She, So we have Cora Jade and Roxanne Perez who are, they're low, to what, 21, 20 oh, years old? Um, These yeah. two? I and, think they're... Look, here's the, look, I thought Roxanne Perez's contract was cashed in for the tag for this. Nope. Evidently not. And it so Gigi Dolan and JC Jane get beat. Cora and Roxanne win the tag titles. And now Roxanne is gonna cash in her opportunity at Mandy Rose next week. I don't know if she wins this right away, but it feels like that's a great story to tell if she does win. You want to bring Mandy and Toxic attraction back up You have Roxanne And Cora as the tag team champs For a little while And then Cora gets mad That her friend has already Won the title when she didn't win The title and she tried a couple times And couldn't get it done and Cora Turns on her friend and they Battle over the you know You could do that for a little while um, I don't know if you have them win it Maybe you have Cora Interrupt and and then maybe you go in a different direction with Nikita if you want her to be. But wow, all of a sudden I'm looking at Roxanne, Cora, Nikita as all, and Tiffany Stratton as like wow, they could be right in the title picture right now, win the women's title, and it wouldn't feel weird. They have done a really good job building up all of these different women, and to the point where they feel like they could be the champ right now. Yeah, and I, I just don't think that Roxanne Perez is is going to beat Mandy Rose next week for the title. I could be completely wrong. Um, I am a gambling man. I would go all in here and say that she doesn't. I, I could see toxic attraction interfering because they've lost the belts. They're mad. I could see Tiffany Stratton, who Roxanne Perez beat. Yep. Uh, interfering. Uh, okay. Interfering, I, we could see a debut, a returner. We could see somebody from the main roster. Um, you know, they've sent somebody down to stop this. I, I, I just think it would be odd to have the tag champions and the women's champion within two people. Now, if, uh, you know, they lost the titles and Cora turned on Roxanne, Something like that, but we're way, way, way too early. Yeah, it feels like they need to have a little bit of a run first. They need some breathing right? work with this. Absolutely. Yeah. They need so a I run. Think I, I think we're going to get some kind of interference here from someone. Uh, wouldn't surprise me uh, if it's toxic, toxic attraction because that's the natural fit to you know stop yeah. them. But uh, there's no way Roxanne Perez can can go over Mandy Rose. Hey, I, I'm not saying that Mandy needs to keep the title for another two or three months because she doesn't. But I don't think this is the right time and the right person to change it to. No, I agree with you because it just if if they had the titles for a month right now or even a, had defended them a couple times, then I could see it happening. But they just won those titles, so any story you're going to tell with Roxanne and Jade needs to be it needs a little more time. We need to see that that story told a little bit more. 
as uh, good, yeah, good start to the show. Then we had Trick Williams beat Wes Lee. Was he using like was it does he chloroform? What did he have on his gloves or <laughs> some? But they gave an out for Wes Lee. Trick Williams looked like was it a boxing gimmick that he had going on? He looked like a million bucks here. He came off like a big star. And I thought he was the. I thought he was just a, a sidekick mouth. Me too. Um, like, it just, it, it was surprising. It was surprising. And I, we, I'm high on Wesley right now. And so I actually like this as I feel like it brings Wesley into a feud with Trick and Carmelo. Yes. Yes. It, and I think it brings them all in there together. And so this could be very good for Wes. This was a good night for Trick. He just he looked like a million bucks. He came off like a star. Tiffany Stratton is just more and more impressive in the ring. And shout out to Wendy Chu. The character and the gimmick is like a little silly sometimes, but she, whenever they give her the opportunity to go, she can go. And Stratton is just incredibly athletic. Yeah. What she's able to do in the ring. Really like her, man. I, I I thought there was something there in the beginning. Again. That's the one good thing about NXT 2.0, watching some of these 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 athletes, WWE superstars, who we didn't know in the indies because there really wasn't a background. To see them grow from what they have done in a short period of time shows you that there's going to be some longevity in this sport, and she's one of them. She's re- she, I, you know, I know she reminds a lot of people of Mandy Rose, the main roster Mandy Rose, and maybe that's what they want her to be. But man, she's getting unfortunately better. she's way ahead of Mandy Rose, right? Right good now, point. like that's at this point. point, at this point in her career, she's like worlds. And the, and Mandy, I don't think like Mandy gets a hard time in the ring sometimes. I think Mandy is perfectly good in the ring. Like I think she's had some very good matches and she's gotten a lot lot better. But it feels like Stratton has like this upside in this ceiling with her natural athleticism that I could see her in like six months or a year having an, a, a banger with Bianca or someone like Charlotte just because of what those ladies could do athletically. And I continue to be more and more impressed with Tiffany Stratton. We uh, we heard from Apollo Cruz. I thought this was good for him. Like Apollo just in being in his own voice. Sounding like a a regular baby face He said you know my kids would watch Raw and they didn't even know who it was They said dad that's not you So I wanted to come back down to NXT Kind of remember where it You know what what the feeling was like down here He was interrupted by Giovanni Vinci 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 Who uh, says that he'll outperform Cruz And now we set up a match for these two next week Should be fun should be fun. I, it's good when you hear someone speak from the heart. Um, uh, who goes over here? I don't know. This is interesting. You know, you have the young guy with the new gimmick, and then you have Apollo Cruz, who basically returns to his original stopping grounds. And hey, look, he had a good promo from the heart, talking about hey, his, you know, his kid, his family watched him on WWE Mondays and Fridays, and this is not who he was, and this is who he is. So a good promo, good match. Uh, uh, something to look forward to and something new from these two. And I think it'll be a pretty good match too. Looks like we're setting up a, perhaps a new women's tag team with Ivy Nile cutting a promo. And then she was backstage and she talked about uh, Tatum Paxley and mentoring her and training her. So I could see us 
they haven't really had a lot to do with Ivy Nile recently. I think she got hurt for a little bit. Um, yeah. But she, you know, if she's good in the ring, she, she's got a different look and, and she's got a different vibe. I think if her and Tatum were a tag team, that's, that's a good use for them if they don't have other, uh, other plans for them. Yeah, this is, there's a lot of talent on this, on this women's roster here. Um, And sometimes you can get away with hiding some of the ones that aren't as good, but they're all relatively pretty good. Um, And and if you, you give them something, hopefully they stick with it here. I, I, there's, there's a couple of storylines here. I know there's some injuries and we're talking about it. You know, there's been talk about an NXT, another NXT women's tournament. You have Nikita. Um, you you have some stars here on the women's side in NXT that you don't want them to go to the wayside. I, I, I think, you know, like, the for instance, the Wendy Chu gimmick. Um, don't know if I really like that or not, but the fans do. And she's really, really good. Uh, who is it? Paxley? Who is uh, Fallon? Fallon with uh, with with Brooks and Jensen. There's a lot of lot of good women's talent, and I like the fact that they're pairing them up because I think they can do a really good job of this women's tag team division here. Because you don't have to just be everyone lined up from Andy Rose, right? No, you can have, you can have a lot of tag teams, and I think they're doing a pretty good job with uh, with people. I would like to see Ivy get back into the ring. I think you're right. I think she has been injured because she's very intriguing. She's small. She's very intriguing, though. And I like that gimmick. We okay. Maybe this is what happens, Coop, next week. So Zion Quinn was backstage. He mentioned Apollo Cruz. Maybe he gets involved. Maybe he interrupts that match. We have Apollo versus Vinci. Maybe he comes out, and then we have a baby face come out to try to help. To save it and we end up getting a tag team match I could absolutely see Us having like Zion and Vinci Versus Apollo And some baby face Come out there to make the save I don't know if it's Cameron Grimes I'm just using him as a, a Baby face example because I do think We may have seen the last of Cameron Grimes And sure. maybe we get a goodbye from him But yeah that's something that At least to, to keep an eye on because Zion Quinn did mention Cruz The um Oh god so we had Chase University segment. Oh, this was hilarious. So, <laughs> so Bodie couldn't get any sleep because Tia Hale and, and Tia keeps him up. They watch Money in the Bank over and over. She's annoying. There's a new kid in class named Chad. <laughs> Who the hell are you, Chad? Chad says something about John Adams and and he tries to correct. Professor Chase And Professor Chase just says F you You mother effing mother Beeping F and he just Goes off on him John Adams What did John Adams ever do Fourth of July it's not the Second of July John Adams Which this was Really really funny It just felt sort of wonky afterwards To say well, now we're going to go to the UK. Now we're going to London. Um, yeah, we're going to England. After they were talking all about the America and 4th of July. But when he goes off and just the whole like, Chad, who are you, Chad? Hey, let me say one thing. <laughs> I don't trust anybody with the name Chad, okay? I don't trust. 
this, was, this was funny, man. This was funny when he started going off. And I love this. This could absolutely be a main roster gimmick. Like, I, hell yeah. I don't, I don't know why it's not already. Me neither. If I could, especially like on Raw, you could see it every week, once a week, a little three minute segment. You know, uh, chase you just like it, they would do the Firefly Funhouse or do whatever. They could do chase you in the ring. They could do them filmed. You know, it could be like, here's a thank, welcome everyone to our lecture in chase you. You know, I could see him up there with a whiteboard in the in the ring pointing at stuff. There'd be a few people sitting with chairs, and the crowd would love. Like, it's come on, Vince. I know you're listening to that's what G said. We're we're making it easy for you right now. Bring up Chase U to the main roster. Let's uh, let's finish up with NXT. We had a really good tag match between the Creed brothers, Roderick Strong, and Damon Kemp. Creed brothers get the win. Man, these guys are stars. They are so impressive visually. And they're getting better on the mic, and they're more and more charisma now that we're seeing from them. You know, it's uh, they're so unorthodox and so... Non WWE esque wrestlers that it makes you like them even more, right? Yep. I think you nailed it best. I mean, these guys remind you of the the Steiner brothers every time you know uh, they're on TV. It, it it's I mean, again, you have to ask the question. It, it it's not how, but when 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 do they move up? They're just stars. They're good. Imagine them in matches with the Usos and. Gable and Otis, uh, the Dirty Dogs, or uh, you know, Street Profits. Uh, yeah, it's just they're really, really good. They have good personas. Uh, they don't need a mouthpiece, you know. I I just think that right now, I I think they're the A plus stars in in WWE or NXT 2.0. I, I think they are the two guys. They are so over. It's unreal. They are. The crowd loves them. They're incredible in the ring And they're, it's just, it's natural Right, the, they they never have been forced They built up steam On their own because of Impressive feats of strength And that's what got the crowd behind them And now, I think Because of the support they've been getting from the crowd Because of the fact that NXT goes, hey, we like you guys We want you to be the champs, we're gonna push you Wouldn't it make you feel more comfortable? Of course, why wouldn't it? You Oh wow, the company likes us They think we're top guys Now we can really feel comfortable in our own skin Talking about who we are and what we do And yeah, yeah Whew. As uh, <laughs> we continue on, man The Creed brothers, they are so, so impressive We got a vignette for Axiom Who yes, is a, a new <laughs> star Yeah um, Weird choice one, Yeah and then we got to look at uh, Robert Stone, Sophia Cromwell, and Von Wagner backstage. They were mad that he wasn't booked. And then we got Solo get involved with him. And that is one where I'm I'm a little bummed because I, I'm not saying the guy can't be a star or won't be a star. But a few weeks ago, Solo Sokoa felt like the most over guy in this company. And right now, in just a few weeks later... Because we didn't see him really in any big matches and big feuds, it doesn't feel as much like that. No, and I hate that, right? Me too. You, you definitely, and this is a little AEW-ish, where you have so many people in so little time, and you don't want this guy 
to get lost in the mix. And maybe he'll throw a banger down with Von Wagner. I don't know. But, man, this this guy, I don't know, man. It just sure sure feels like me. He He's even a bigger star than Braun Breaker. I, I just – I, I know, again, at the end of the show, we, you know, we, we had, you know, uh, we didn't think Braun Breaker w- was going to lose the title, but man, Solo has been on money since day one. And maybe they want to keep these guys down here for a while. Maybe it's we're just getting overzealous and we're getting too excited about someone in too short a period of time. But man, when we see somebody like this, uh, we definitely think that they need to be, uh, in the ring every week. I, I just hate that there's so much talent that they don't have a lot of things for him. And I don't want him to get lost in a meaningless feud. I really don't. The show finishes up with the NXT championship, Braun ba- Breaker versus Cameron Grimes. Very good match. Now, a couple things. One, Braun gets the win. Do do we see any more from Cameron Grimes? He kind of feels like he's been involved in you know he had the 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 fun run with LA Knight and the million dollar uh stuff he was initially i think in the breakout tournament a few years a few years back and he's kind of climbed the ladder he's been in feuds for all the big titles while he didn't win the NXT championship he was as close to winning it as possible and he's always felt he's felt like a pretty top guy for a while he i think he showed that he can do the comedy stuff he can do serious stuff. He's really good in the ring. I think he he could be a good player on the main roster. I would love to see him in maximum male models, which <laughs> we didn't get a chance to talk about. But okay, so while we're while I'm talking about this right now, wow, maximum male models. That segment. I know people are some people will never like that that because they they want serious wrestling, and that's fine. I understand that. But if you're someone who's okay with having some comedy on your wrestling shows here and there, the way they presented Maximum Male Models was so good. <laughs> they came out really dressed well, like an actual style. Yeah. They looked good. It was what, Masse instead of Mace and Mansoor or whatever <laughs> it was. And I, I just, I, I want to see them keep adding people to Maximum Male Models. At some point, it's got to extend into the ring, but I could see him showing up and be like Cameroon Grimes, you know, like <laughs> wherever you put this guy, though, anytime you've given him something, he's nailed it. Whatever you've given him, he's made the absolute best out of it. I'd love to see him on the main roster. Yeah, I, you know, Grimes, uh, the models thing. Uh, I, 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 I know we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Um, of course, there was, because there was money in the bank. I, I, I like the gimmick. I don't know if I'm gonna like uh, and, and see uh, if they. Uh, wh- what does he go by now? Uh, not La Knight. What you you say? You pronounce his name with a what? What does Max do? That's it. We cannot have him just outside of the ring, or it's no, not. He, he, it's just not. He, he's got to get in there at some point, and I think he will. If this is just the introduction, and then you know, in in six months, these guys are all in different spots, or in a year, the roles are slightly different. For right now, the models thing makes me laugh. I I truly don't think Grimes will show up in there, but I I more so 
We thought and he might, though. A we couple did. Of weeks we did. Ago, a few, we, a few we, weeks ago, we thought. We written him out of NXT multiple times. Yeah. Um, I just, I, he's a good, good performer. And he can do well with whatever you give him. I hope he gets a shot on the main roster. And they had JD McDonough attack Braun Breaker, put him through a table, which right off the bat makes you feel as if he is someone who they think highly of. And they're going to maybe shoehorn horn him right into a feud with Braun. This is a guy that was uh, Devlin who was trained by Finn Balor and has been someone who they were very high on for a long time. And he's... He's not, he just hasn't been able to put like the character and everything all together, but he can go in the ring and he is very confident in himself. This guy carries himself like a star. I'm super intrigued by this now. Yeah. And I, I don't think he's going to be a champion. Uh, I, I, you know, and I don't think he's going to go over Braun, but I think this is of, of all the feuds right now, other than, you know, uh, the few that he's had, he hasn't had a whole bunch of storylines. You know, the, the Joe Gacy was just an absolute joke. Um, you know, the uh, uh, Dolph Ziggler storyline w- was good. Um, I think this may be one of the the, the better ones we're, we're going to see out of the few, because I think this guy can go, and I think it's going to make Braun better. I just don't know if the NXT 2.0 fans have have just come, I think they've come to the realization that uh, Braun is just okay. I, I think it hurts. He, he, it's it's Roman Reigns from a few years ago. That's, yeah, that's look, and he can, he can rebound. Of course, Roman did, but man, I, I just think it's, it's, it's a tough deal. And a look, and I know NXT is starting to go back on the road now, which is fantastic. They're doing a lot of the Florida runs again, where they did before COVID, where a lot of these guys and girls get a lot of ring time. I'm not saying that they, he needs it, I'm just saying his brand right now is really tough to buy, and I think this storyline could be his best one yet and will help him. We uh, head on over to AEW, and we're coming off a week where AEW got really good ratings for their Blood and Guts show. They had Forbidden Kingdom uh, right before that, and I love that last week it felt like, okay, New Japan, Forbidden Door, is done. Now we can get back into AEW because we have critiques about AEW's roster as it is being so full and having so much talent that their own wrestlers don't get very much TV time. They don't get very good builds for a lot of feuds, for a lot of storylines. And then they tried to throw in all this New Japan stuff over the last few weeks. So I felt really good about. Okay, now we'll get to be just kind of back to AEW for a little while. And then and now we're we're pro promoting this Ring of Honor show. And and that makes zero sense. And honestly, Chad, the the I don't have any problems with any of the talent, any of the wrestlers. It's how they are presented. We don't know anything about them as far as the AEW canon. That it, it needs to be established. You have a, your own show. You've got to tell us who these people are, how we're, how we're supposed to feel about them. You cannot expect us to just know all of these people and how you want us to feel about them. You can't. And Roosh comes in. Roosh is a guy who is really talented, 
They don't tell us anything about him Chad, when I'm watching a football game and a, and a player for a football team is a rookie When they mention that guy's name They either give us a little bit of a video clip And they show us some of his highlights from Ohio State When he was playing defensive line And coming off the line and sacking the quarterback a few times You get that probably in the, the pre-show Before the the sh- the game starts You'll get it at halftime You'll get clips of things You'll get stuff on social media We don't get any of that from AEW They don't tell us who any of these people are They just expect that we're going to know them And some people do But how many people watch Ring of Honor? 100,000? Or how many people were watching Ring of Honor When it was still going? I right? don't even think that many How many people watch in the US New Japan when it's on TV, it gets 50,000 ratings and it does a, a .001. So I'm, it's good wrestling. Tell me, show me why. Give me a little video package. Give me a little buildup. Give me a little segment to show they won't do it. And for whatever reason, I read that Tony Khan got some ratings one time that told him that video packages make people change the channel and turn away. I'm sorry. You have to do this if you want to tell stories that people are going to continue to get behind. This week, the ratings went from a million down, under a million, still pretty good in the high 900,000s. But what ends up happening is your ratings are usually reflective of what happened the week before. Right. So they came off of a good blood and guts show that for the last hour had this spectacle, a big cage, people walking all over the cage. Uh, Claudio Castagnoli was out there There was a lot of cool stuff happening This week you've got A few people on your show That you don't tell us anything about And we've got a main event With Brody King in the world championship match Now Brody King Is a fantastic wrestler He is a very very good wrestler He's big He's imposing He will remind people of Rest in peace Brody Lee Because he's got that big bruiser Brody Kind of look right And the name obvious He reminds you of a a cane type of worker A big guy that's a good worker That can do some very imposing stuff Now Did he cut a promo on this show Before he had his match No Did we get anything at all from him A guy who has not at all been built Like he's a main eventer For AEW I have no problem, Chad, when when you do this for a TV title match. I have zero problem when you have someone win and you want them to be the person that get a little bit of a spotlight. So then on this show, give me a little video or some a little bit more on Brody. Give me a little bit of a of a, a promo from him. Hell, give me Alistair, give me Black cutting a promo for his buddy, making him feel more imposing. Like he might have a shot to win this match Once we got to the main event The in-ring work between Brody King and Moxley is fine Do you think there was one person On the planet who thought John Moxley was losing that match No <laughs> and, and, and it's because they didn't make Brody seem like he was a viable Challenger now, was, oh, He wins a battle royal Put him in Now I, I, I think there was a small Video package taped that they showed earlier in the night. I don't know if it was Malachi who said it, but the House of Black did have a small promo 
and they and I because I remember them saying uh, Moxley inflicts the pain on himself to to get the way he feels or something blah blah blah. But Brody King will lead, you know, will make him feel even worse. But then again, it wasn't long enough. It was and that like, and see thirty see, seconds. I'm week. glad you pointed that out because that is what happens when you have a show where you're doing so many things and you have just a little tidbit. This guy there is were a wrestling. lot of promos. Wednesday yeah, too. a lot of promos. This guy is wrestling in your main event of your TV show for your world title. We need to be built. Th- this episode should have been a lot of telling us about Brody King. Who is he? Building him. Moxley cut a nice promo. I would have liked to hear more from him. And I think it. I think it. It hurt the match. I think it. It, it hurt the way the crowd perceived the match. This was like the first time that the fans were getting a little bit like squeamish maybe with AEW or not cheering for everything that AEW wanted them to cheer for. Right. We we got chance for FTR. We got chance for, you know, when the Revival were not out there with the tag teams and they were backstage the, the, promo. The crowd wanted them out there. And then in the main event, the crowd was noticeably just not quite as into this match because I don't think anyone felt like Moxley was going to lose that match. So a couple of my main gripes, Coop, is is those are little things that I don't think they're that hard to do, and they feel like they just do not want to do them. I don't know why. Yeah, and, and that's and. They've been doing it this way for a while because that's been our consistent main gripe for for going over going on a year now. I, I just think that I don't. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. The Ring of Honor stuff. I don't think anyone. There's not a lot of people who care. I just don't. I don't know what the plans. If they would come out and say, "Hey, look, Ring of Honor is going to be a YouTube show." Or Ring of Honor is going to be an option where you you spend this much on it. Uh, there's no we're we're going to have a pay per view on July 23rd. Death how? Who, like I, what? How do you have a pay per view when you don't have weekly TV to build towards it? I mean, or, Samoa Joe hasn't been on in forever. You've we we've it just a lot of it just is not. They're trying. They're trying to do too much. That's yes, the problem. Way too much. This was way three things. Like, think about the pay-per-views. They came off of their big pay-per-view show. CM Punk wins the championship. And then three weeks later, you've got up this Forbidden Door show with New Japan. And then following that, as soon as you're done with that, you're promoting to a Ring of Honor show. And l- let me put it in put it to you in this way. What does company A do? When company A loses several stars to injury and how do they do things as opposed to what company B does when they begin to lose stars to injuries or other contracts or leaving or whatever, how do they respond? That's a good point. There's a major difference there. And this has nothing to do with talent in the ring. I, it just, you know, I, I just look, man, look at all of the, the promos, um, that we got on Wednesday night, uh, trying to remind you who's there, who does this, who does that. It's a lot. Uh, there's there's so much happening that I think it does a disservice when they try to squeeze all of this stuff in. It it it's backwards. I think Tony feels like, wow, we've got so much on here. The fans are going to really love this. 
it becomes overwhelming for people who don't know what's going on. And then you don't remind them with video packages or little little recaps of what just happened. And you've got some matches that don't need to be on. I'm sorry. I have no problems with anyone in this match. But you tell me why the acclaimed and the gun club had a match with Roughing it and Fuego I know, I know. on Wednesday night. I know it. It shouldn't. It you're. It it doesn't. It's not really leading to a whole lot more. Are you going to have Billy Gunn have a match next week? The, I will. These guys are over. So do a little more with them, or you know, otherwise think about the TV time that that's taking something else from. Now and then you've got another again another Miro promo where he's coming. The, uh, the Redeemer is coming. I'm coming after you, Malachi Black. I, I just don't know why these guys c- can't work matches in the ring because their Friday programs are not good. I don't know if you've seen the card for Rampage this week. It's one of their worst. It's taped. It's one of their worst. They're, there's, they're just, I, I just, I'm not getting some of the reason why Miro, who should be in the ring at least every week, um, you have Claudio, who was the star. He's in a promo now. Uh, we don't really see him. There's no Britt Baker around. Now you have Thunder Rosa and, and Tony Storm and a tag team called Thunderstorm. That is as hanky as it gets. I'm sorry. It's just well, I had a, what are, I had a lot of problems with Wednesday night show. I so, did. And I why is like why is Marina Shafir keep getting a lot of TV time? Um, one, I don't and- know what's going on. Two, not good. you've never really told us why Marina Shafir and Nyla Rose are together. Why, why are they teamed up? And then we give we give WWE crap for this. Now we've got the, will they coexist? Thunder and Tony Storm. Thunder Storm. Um, if, if Tony isn't wrestling Thunder for the title, what's she going to be doing next? I, this is what you do when you've not buried someone, but she can't go for the title. I'll just put them together as a tag team. I it just, it just, I, no offense, it has not worked with Thunder Rosa as champion. No, it and it, it's not, not as if the the matches haven't been awful. There have been a couple that weren't great. Presentation, but, but yeah, the all, overall, and it's not as much her fault as it's maybe just a combination of little things where. Britt Breaker was such a big star And then Thunder Rosa, the chase was kind of fun As soon as she got it, then what are you going to do Like we say sometimes, you don't know how to book baby faces And then all of a sudden, she's not even on TV Or ever really being treated Like she's a big star So why are we supposed to feel like she's a big star And uh, Thunder Rosa And Tony beat Marina And Nyla Okay, negatives a lot, positive I thought the, the first part of the show Was pretty good TNT, Street Fight now, here's what's funny. There wasn't really anything street fighty about this, except for it made it possible for all of the, the members of America's top team to get involved. And Scorpio Sky didn't really seem like he was doing a whole lot with this belt. So Wardlow, there was a week or two where I was a little worried. I still don't know if he feels as big of a star as he did when he was doing the MJF stuff, but this was positive. This was the right way to go. Put the belt on Wardlow. He's your new TNT champ. And let him kind of have an impressive run here for a little while. Because now this belt, after Cody, it's the belt has been has struggled a little bit. It's been back and forth and back and forth. And even 
it, like the first Cody run felt really good. Miro, I thought, did a pretty good job with this. Darby did a pretty good job. Since then, I think it's been wandering a little bit. And 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 Wardlow could be able to get this title back on track. And I feel better about Wardlow right now than I did a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's a start. Um, you know, I'm not comparing this to Ezekiel KO. So I, I don't want to be bombarded with with messages. Um but it, it, it felt for a while that Wardlow was going to be nothing without MJF. And you're right. And it's still a start. He feels this less. I'm not, and I'm not saying that it's because MJF is such a big star that and that but was they such presented a, it as this this was the best thing going on AEW Wednesday nights. You're and right. it was. You're right. And that's positive. That's a good thing. And I and don't know what, what this title does for him. What made this night at least better was what you were saying is that they opened the show with it and they acted like him winning this and him is a big deal. So that's positive. If you continue behind yeah. him, he's someone that I like and think has thinks have a lot of upside. And it felt for a few weeks like I was I was really worried. And I completely agree with you. He doesn't feel like as big of a star without MJF around. So now they got to focus on getting him into some storylines that make sense again, more than just having him be the guy that throws some impressive power bombs. That that only can get you so far. Sure. We yeah, uh, yeah because uh, unless you're a, a Goldberg type animal, and I'm not comparing him and Goldberg because Goldberg got got away with, but his gimmick was spearing and beating someone in minutes. I, you can't you can't duplicate that at any level anymore. It's like somebody trying to duplicate the Undertaker or. Uh, you know, the rock or, or, or somebody like that. It's, it, it's a start and it was good that they started the show with it because anywhere else other than the main event, it just would have just been another segment. We have uh Kristen cage. Whoo, man. man. So he cuts- look, look, before you say anything, I don't want to hear Dave Meltzer saying another word about the Usos problems. Um, yeah, I, this... I saw I saw someone post an old tweet, and I hate to do this because it's it, it, it it's I, I just don't like it. But Meltzer blew up the WWE when the Usos were having their issues, and the WWE was they were still on TV. They gave you know they won the titles. Oh, they're awarding bad behavior. I don't want that guy to say another word about the Usos or anything else when you have Christian Cage cutting a promo to Matt Hardy about Jeff Hardy. Yeah, this is kind of cringy. It, 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 I will say, cause it's, it's, it's heel heat, right? This is real. Absolutely. Hey, look, this is, you know? look again, I'm good. We said it last week. Christian has become the best Christian version in AEW by cutting these heel pro heel heat type promos. He's done a but, fantastic job. Last night was a little cringy, but he, cause I was listening to, I think it was Wrestling Inc. One of them was was recapping, and they were talking about this. So, whenever there are promos cut like this, it Christian's not cutting this promo without having cleared this first. But but here's sort of what's weird, just kind of thinking about it. So, who did he clear this with, Matt? Did he? <laughs> did, no, no. But like, did he talk to Matt? Because isn't Jeff in the facility right now sure, sure. in rehab? So, are you asking Jeff if it's okay that you? Use him and the problems that he has as a storyline on TV, because 
I don't know. Did you clear that with him? Because this is a guy who, and if so, this is like disgusting to even think about. How do the logistics of, of that work? Does somebody call Jeff up at the place that he's in? And so, hey, Jeff, by the way, we just wanted to run this by you. They're going to mention you in a storyline tonight on TV about, you know, the problems that you've got going on. I mean, the first the the first thing that comes to mind would be it would be his brother, Matt, who and, said, oh, no, I know, Jeff. He's OK. It doesn't. But and that's what I was just about to say. If that happened, if that happened, he's oh, he wouldn't mind. How do you know? Oh, how do you know? Ugh. And if why? I guess I, I just I don't think it's ne- it's a, a, we enough of us know that this is real. And it's serious and the guy has problems that it's not like I don't think it's really something worth joking about, which he kind of was. So I I have a hard time with this because I like when heels play heels. Like I like what MJF Absolutely. does a lot of the time. I like the Miz, how like they'll act like a heel even on social media sometimes, and they'll be they'll play the gimmick, live the gimmick. But yeah, this one this one made me cringe. Like you said, that's the right word. You just went like ah. I don't know. And look, these guys are close. Man, Edge and Christian and the Hardys, they wrestled each other. They know each other as well as probably anybody in the industry. I still, even if they th- they're all okay with it, I don't know if I am. Yeah. You know, and that's good point. Good point. Like, yeah, that was, he said that. So Christian comes out to talk some trash. And then my, Matt Hardy says that Christian's the Michael Jordan of being an asshole. I thought that was a funny line. And uh, and Christian um, says that Matt can't pretend he's close friends with Jungle Boy. Said that Matt makes his brother sound like he's the sober one. <laughs> oh, God. and um, those are fighting words. Yeah, they come to the public a public forum at a bar or a, any a parking lot. Those are fighting words. That's a brutal. <laughs> he he calls Matt Hardy a clout chaser. Says he can't stand not being in the headlines, and that he uses his wife, his father-in-law, a boat, or he's even turned a blind eye to his brother's issues for one last Ooh. run. <clears throat> oh, and here's the thing. Here, here's my thing. <clears throat> With all this, ta- and look, they're AEW. They're under contract, so they have to be used. I mean, does this not feel just WWE, right? And it feels like WCW slash the old impact. It just feels like these guys have left the big show and have really just carried it on to to the next show. You know, you you can't tell me, Gino, that you're looking forward to a Christian and Matt Hardy match. I am not. No, Christian Jungle Boy. Sure. Sure. But. Matt Hardy maybe having to be the proxy here. I don't. They they both cut good promos and they Absolutely. did a good job in the ring. But yeah, um, where's the money at the end of this? Man, Christian, in just a few weeks, he's the biggest heel in wrestling, and he comes out with the the turtlenecks on, you know, and the sweaters. And okay, we're gonna get a little uh, Jake Hager, Claudio Castanoli. We. The people Again uh, Take what I just said <laughs> It's like Where's Dirty oh, yeah. Dutch Mantel when you, uh, when you need him So if you don't think WWE Would you see Christian and Matt Hardy Now you've got uh, Jack Swagger and Cesaro Here going at it I did think like how um, Hager said hey, You've never been a world champion In 
in Ring of Honor or in WWE. They don't usually mention WWE. No. You know, like, it's not as if, like, WWE never mentions AEW. And, and like, AEW has said WWE or the other company or made reference to them plenty of times. But not, you know, you don't hear them saying he was a former WWE champion when they go through someone's credentials. So I, I did just sort of take notice of that uh, that being thrown in there. Uh, we got the Butcher and the Blade versus Swerve in Our Glory. The Swerve in Our Glory stuff has been weird. They, they acted like they were going to break up a few weeks ago. They've continued to win matches. They've been on TV a little bit more. And they're, they're fine when they do. It's just they've like started and stopped with the breakup. I don't, I'm just kind of confused at the storyline with them. They picked up a win here. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just not exactly sure what what the story are they they buddies are they not or uh, it's and we're they, putting them in a triple threat for the World Tag Team Championship next week, which is Fighter Fest thing. I, I guess each Wednesday we we a lot of times they're doing um, like a theme. I think they're calling you know Fighter Fest used to be like a one or two day event that they had that was like driven by Omega and video games, but I think next Wednesday we got a triple threat. For and the did they say? Did they say WWE too? Huh? I think, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hobbs and Starks did. Yeah. Which is really that kind of a thing is really it's noticeable. Tacky. It's tacky. And, and it's noticeable when you. Ha- I mean, I can't remember the last time anybody said WWE on their show, and then Multiple. you heard it twice <laughs> on this show. That so it's it's really weird because Hobbs and Starks say. We're sick of you guys thinking that you have a shot just because you're former WWE guys. So, yeah, that's um, that's the match that we're going to have next week. Powerhouse Hobbs and Starks versus the Young Bucks versus Swerve in Our Glory, which should be a great match. Um, but I don't think everyone fe- – anyone – I just I don't think the Young Bucks are It'll losing. It'll change. maybe expedite the, the, the feud with Keith Lee and Strickland. And, hey, if these guys lead to a one-on-one where – they can get like a, a nice long TV match or maybe a match at a pay-per-view. Maybe that'll be good for the both of them. But I don't know if either of them is in a place where they should be like losing singles feuds. They still sort of feel like they haven't been around all that long. Neither one of them has really had a major singles feud. And if it's with the other one, maybe the winner of that will move up. But I, I just keep looking at a lot of these talent and think about how when they were in NXT or WWE, the complaint was, how come they aren't a bigger star? How come they aren't used better? Or how come they're not the champion? I just don't, I don't understand why those same complaints aren't had with these same wrestlers when they're on the AEW roster. True. You have a good point. No arguments they're in the, for me. They're in like the same spot. Um, Keith Lee can be a world champion contender. But we said right off the bat when he came in and he like didn't win the title that he was supposed to, the uh, the TBS title, it was like, oh. You know, you, you lose a little something. Every time you lose another match, you lose a little something. We, uh, okay. You know, what, you know what? Before you move on, I, I think I said it last week. Maybe maybe I didn't explain it good enough or didn't. Uh, I, I don't know. Sometimes my words are, are, are fancier than what they sound and, and don't mean the right thing. But it seems like AEW, and I'm, I'm not crapping on the workers, but they deserve some of the some some of the uh, the problem. But it's an AEW problem. It just seems like 
they have a hard time with debuters from WWE and keeping momentum going. They are. It's it, what, it's what was it? No, uh, it's very noticeable. De- it's not debut. E W A E debut. A couple people called it you know, <laughs> yeah. debut. E W and A E debut. Think, because think about it, how how hard it is for them to to keep someone, and I, that's because I think they they've signed way too many, and they're trying to do too much now. All think about all the people that we we didn't see on this show, but we see Roosh because they're needing to to build this, to a Ring of Honor pay per view, and he beats Penta. But it's fine. They didn't make Roosh seem like a big deal. He just seemed like you know a a, a good wrestler, which I, it's disappointing to me in in the way some of these things have been presented. The uh, even this okay. Eddie Kingston, Claudio Castagnoli apparently hated each other. They never told us this on AEW. If you didn't, if you watched Chikara or you knew some stuff from from the independents, you may have known that. I really didn't. You didn't. Our buddy Andrew knew a little bit about it, so he told us. That's fine. But what? Why? How? Like, what ties do Ruby Soho and Eddie Kingston have? Like, why? Why? Why do they like each other? You know, I saw one quick promo a couple of weeks ago, and from she, Ruby, and she was just talking about like Dean Malenko was in it. It was very odd. It was just again another promo that's just placed in the show, and you're like, well, Ruby goes, "Oh, he's one of the toughest guys I've ever known." Uh, well, anybody we could say, "Hell, I, Chad Cooper could be put on AEW next week." I I, I know Eddie Kingston's probably one of the toughest SOBs I've ever known. For God's sake, look at him. I just don't. Why can't you know? I just don't think they have time for it. I don't. And, and because they're trying to do so much, you AEW, you really have two hours because Rampage now is falling, and it's not the type of show that you wanted it to be. You have two hours on a main show to get all of this in, and you're you're you know you're promoting to the pay per views that are New Japan shows, and you're promoting to pay per views now that are Ring of Ring of Honor shows, and. I don't know if that's the best use of the time that you are given with the roster that you have to best get all of these guys and gals over. I'm saying this not because I want to be critical of AEW. They had a nice week. They made they had 900,000 watching again. Their ratings have gone up the last couple of weeks. Counter to that, there's less on TV. There's no more sports right now. It's just baseball for a while. There's not even hockey and basketball and it's the summer, so you're not even getting New shows you're not getting like The new network shows They're, It's just rerun so it's the It's the least It's the least difficult time For TV um, Ratings you know this is the easiest time To get higher ratings and I I just wish They focused on A core group of people Told their stories a little bit better If you just if you don't Want to do it themselves WWE has done this sometimes Pull up social media Jade Cargill talks so much Trash to people on social media And goes back and forth She sets up her own feuds On social media By how she talks to people Just show us those tweets Literally (laughs) Take a 30 second to a minute and say Oh wow Look what happened earlier this week This set up the match These two fired back and forth at each other on social media Boom Okay Or Ruby Soho, longtime friend of Eddie Kingston. Look at the what some of the, these two have been through through the years. You know, she has a 
She has some comments on Eddie and how he feels heading into Blood and Guts. Show a picture of them ten years ago at an independent, you know, show, hugging or them tweeting each other, and just give me a reason to believe that they're friends. I know they are in in real life, but I've never seen that on AEW TV. When when you're dealing with wrestling, it's tricky because you're trying to be a sport and a TV show. You know, it's it's like live sports, but it's also scripted and predetermined. So you you can tell whatever story you want, and I don't think they've done a really good job setting up the New Japan guys, setting up the Ring of Honor guys, telling us stories more than, oh hey, these two guys and gals ran into each other on the Independence. Go find out more. <laughs> what? Come on. <laughs> I can't do it. We've been a little fired up because I I thought that last week's show was so good. They come off of a million. And then this week we're already hearing about a ring of honor show. Find an hour on YouTube, create a show, find a time period, whatever you want to do and let people know this is going to be ring of honor. This is when you're going to be able to see some of the ring of honor stars. Then people who want to see those stars will tune in for that. And then you can build to a pay-per-view I I don't like using AEW TV time for Ring of Honor I mean, what do you think If you're I'm a, honest with you, Ring of Honor didn't work when it ended It was. What do you a, think the, 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 the TNT or TBS executives are wondering? They're like, what is Ring of Honor? What do you mean you're building to a Ring of Honor pay-per-view? Huh? Like, what do you we need that Big Bang Theory uh, to rerun season two before <laughs> Yeah I, <laughs> Just never really complaints about the like the in ring stuff for a lot of AEW. Some of the women's stuff, and sometimes we will have complaints. Maybe they try to do a little too much, but overall, the issues with them is just the production, the way it's presented, yep. you know, the way it's set up. And you compare where WWE is kind of the opposite. Sometimes they're all on the production, the presentation, and maybe. I think for both of these companies, there could be a little bit more of a middle ground. If if both of them could find it, it would really serve each company a little bit better. The concern would be the growth. There's not a growth. There's yep. a, 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 and the the honeymoon period is is long gone. It, it's the growth, and you mentioned it. Now it's the slow time for sports. You better pick it up. Uh, I, I I mean, <laughs> we've got a Hall of Fame game here. Uh, in the NFL in a couple of weeks, and I'm not saying preseason uh, gets tons of ratings for the NFL, but it's a major, major alternative, Mm -hmm. and people start tuning in, and maybe they're, look, you said it last week, there's problems with Kenny Omega. Maybe he doesn't return to the ring anymore. Well, like I said a while ago, Company A, when something happens, let's do this and turn to this. It just seems like AEW can't get out of their way. It just seems like a lot. Maybe there's too many chefs in the kitchen. I don't know. But I think the the Friday extra hour has hurt them. I I don't think it's helped at all. Um, I don't think people tune in. And yeah, it sucks that we all thought it was the best thing for AEW to do to give the title to CM Punk. He got hurt. That's what happens when you give the title to somebody a little bit older. Um, Things happy and easier. But it doesn't look like they were ready for plan B or C. You know, where's Orange Cassidy that you had, you know, last week or week or two? He felt like one of the biggest stars in the company. 
for a few weeks and then he's yeah i it, it's, it's a consistency a, you know there's no baker there's there's just you know friday night we have serena deeb and mercedes martinez teaming up against two jobbers are you watching that i'm not i'm just not koopa loop We'll be here every single week talking positives, negatives, critiques, matches we love, things we did not. Always appreciate you checking in, my friend. Uh, Thank you so much. And moving forward to next week, like you said, we're only a few weeks away from SummerSlam. So we're not going to have a whole lot in between now and hopefully some good uh, build in the next few weeks on WWE TV. Yeah, get started on SmackDown Friday night and uh, Monday night. It'll be interesting to see a lot of new stars uh, with, with with new hardware, with briefcases and titles, um, and see what AEW does. You know, that that's another thing I think that hurts them, too. They don't have as many as big pay-per-views as, as WWE. That's why I think they could do a better job with their television product. Hey, if we didn't care about AEW, we wouldn't have spent an hour talking about them. We wouldn't talk about them every week here. We what like people. We, we like them. Impact, right? Some, something else. Yeah, we we like the talent. We like the roster. I, for as much crap as we give Tony Khan, I think he wants to do what's best. Oh, without he a just, doubt. He wants to, and everybody really likes the way he treats them as a boss. He seems like he's a much better guy than Vince, just like overall, <laughs> right? But, but he seems like he's kind of got some 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 blinkers on sometimes. You know, he I think he's he lives in a world of what he would like, and maybe what might not be best for their company to grow and be fans of wrestling and even sports entertainment, right? Because for as much as we say. AEW is more pro wrestling than WWE. AEW gets goofy. They literally have a group of guys that call themselves the sports entertainers. You know, like they <laughs> they have funny stuff. Orange Cassidy is on there. They have, you know, they have no problem doing mystical things too. So we just want what's the best for all of these super talented wrestlers that we know. And uh, a good healthy AEW is good for wrestling. I've got a good, healthy friend named Chad Cooper. He's good for That's What G Said podcast. My friend, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You have a fantastic rest of your week, and uh, I look forward to talking with you next week. Let's talk next week, Gino. Make sure to give Coop a follow at TheChadCooper on Twitter and on Instagram. Loop helping us out each and, we- each and every week on That's What G Said. That's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. A big thank you to Loop. For always helping us out with this week in wrestling. And so many guests to thank this week. We had John Dooley, track announcer over at Horseshoe, Indianapolis. Good luck to John on the big weekend. Caleb helping us out with Belmont. Please go download and check out On the Wrong Lead. We had Mary Rampolini from Daily Racing Forum help us out with Prairie Meadows. And trainer Shane Wilson talking all about his life. Letting us get inside of his mind a little bit. And uh, get to know him a little bit better. Koopa Loop with this week in wrestling. What we uh, have coming up for you in the next few days. An AFC East preview team by team with Eric. We'll dive into the Bills, to the Dolphins, to the Pats, to the Jets. We've got old wrestling rewatch. A couple of them actually in the books to, uh, to give you in the next week or so. WWF Over the Edge 1998. And NXT TakeOver New York 2019. We'll have the Miss Marvel deep dive recap and review episode 5 with Tim Kelly. That'll be coming up in just a few days. 
and Louisiana Downs Sunday, Monday and Tuesday racing. It just never stops here, folks. It never stops on That's What G Said. Hope you all have a fantastic weekend. We'll be back in just a couple days.